Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Richard Hutchinson and I'm your host for episode 105, The Old Jock and the Crazy Canucks. Joining me as always is Peter Davis. Good evening, Pete. Crikey, Richard. Good evening. It feels like years since we recorded. It has been years, Pete. Now, Pete, you're off to the pub for some good old-fashioned grub with your family. What do you order? Okay, what, what, what what day am I going? You're going on a Thursday. A Thursday? Oh crikey, Thursday. Then it's probably going to be, if it's not, doesn't come with mushy peas, it will be fish and chips. But it's got to be those big chips, not the small ones. Uh, but they haven't got mushy peas and it's probably steak and ale pie. Yeah, that's definitely old-fashioned grub, steak and ale pie, without a doubt. All right. Next on the list, it's Andy Spoons Norton. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Richard. Andy, at this pub you ask for their dessert menu. What do you hope is on there? You know, that's a really good question, Richard, because I'm very sweet tooth, but after a nice pub lunch... Hang on, has he had steak and ale pie? Yeah, no. see, I can't... He's had quite vegetarian often, steak and ale pie. I've had vegetarian. Well, I, said, I wouldn't mind that, but I'd be quite full. So I always look at the menu and think, oh, that sticky toffee pudding or something like that, oh, I like that, but I know I wouldn't be able to eat it. So I quite like those, like, mini puddings they do with a the coffee these days. So like a mini mini cheesecake and an americano. That's probably what I go for. Should be against the law, mini things. Uh, yes, yeah, so Andy, we've just accepted your resignation from the team there. <laughs> oh, great mini. What's the point? Well, yeah, please. If I wasn't going mini, it'd have to be apple pie with ice cream. Yeah, milk would be better, but I'll take apple pie and ice cream. That's better. Milk would be milk. better. Oh yes, apple pie had, and milk. We've had this discussion before, haven't we? Absolutely. That's mad. No one has milk on puddings. I do. Rich is insane. He has milk on omelets. Milk on your rice pudding just to cool it down, but that's it. <laughs> and it's good evening, Jason Smith. Hello there. And uh, who's this old jock you're referring to in the show title? Yeah, wanna... we'll find out later on. So Jason, you're at this pub with Pete and Andy. You you fancy a little romantic music? What do you go over to put on the jukebox? Romantic music. Poor. I'm not, I'm not getting romantic with Jason again. I don't know a bit of Whitney Houston maybe. Oh yes, good shout, Whitney Houston. Some uh, some power ballads coming through from Jason. And next we have Andy Preston. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Rich. Andy, are you the type of person who's going to nominate themselves to be the driver and sip cokes all night, or do you get a taxi or something else? Oh, during the if it was lunchtime, then I would be Des. 
because I can't hold me drink at lunchtime. It could just uh, yeah, just go straight to me head in the evening. Yeah, like a few beers. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be phoning that taxi. I think Rich in the evening. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not at that party. That's all I can see: romantic music with Pete, two Andys, and Jason. Oh, the images, the images, the horror. Right then, over then to our introduction. So, Andy, I've got to say that I thought this was a really good question, and Spoons has also put on the um, on our notes here. It's also a good question, so I really hope the listeners think the same. So, Andy's question was: Would you rather have one unique, rare, or valuable collectible, or would you rather have a large collection of run-of-the-mill items? So that's a really good question there because there isn't a middle ground here. So I know some of the stats go, well, I'd rather have a, you know, a half of this and one or two of those. No, I, I like the distinctness here. So I'm going to come to you first of all, Jason. Would you rather have one unique, rare, valuable collectible or a large collection of run-of-the-mill items? There's pros and cons here because um, as nice as it would be to have a really rare valuable things like say one of you know luke's lightsaber off a new hope i mean the thing is that is like an absolutely wild piece and it's something that's only going to keep going up in value and obviously it would free up an entire room in my house that i would maybe quite like to get back but then it's the only thing you've got to look at and um Versus having the whole collection that I have right now and all the fun little bits I've got and collecting stuff. I wouldn't really be a collector anymore. I'd just be a, I'd just be somebody who's got this lightsaber and that would be it. So I mean, it would kind of completely change who I am as a collector. So I think if I had that lightsaber, it'd be something that you would look at and you'd be really wow for, you know, a week or, or two weeks or a couple of days, and then you just be, oh, right, I've got a lightsaber. Where's my collection? So I, I think I'd stick with my collection overall. I, I think I totally agree with you there, Jason, because for me it's a talking point. So if somebody comes to visit your collection, you've got, you know, something really iconic like, you know, the Millennium Falcon or something, the full-size Millennium Falcon in your garden. And, and you, you can talk about it, and yeah, but... Uh, is is there enough there to talk about versus you know all of the little figures you got lined up or the ships or the vehicles or play sets? Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that one, Jason. Um, Andy Preston. Cheers, Rich. Yeah, it, it it is an interesting question. I know I posed it, but I haven't really got a satisfactory answer for myself. Uh, I think a few years ago it would definitely have been a large collection, um, because I think probably quantity over quality was perhaps the way that I was going. I think probably that... now, though, haven't you? So. Well, no, 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 I'm, I'm never going to have everything. Never, ever, but uh, it's, it's, it, it's, it the, it's the fun of hunting, isn't it? Apart, apart from that if somebody... of, um, of uh, Helix pencils. Yeah, yeah in, indeed, indeed. If somebody popped up and knocked on the door tomorrow and said, I've got the original 32-inch Millennium Falcon screen-used prop, or I've got the original R2-D2 model, or a Darth Vader suit. Would you swap your entire collection for that? I think I might. I think I might. Well, yeah, Andy, Andy you've, got because a, I've, you've got a different tale, though, haven't you? Because you don't really display your collection, your no, ridiculous I, collection. So you could actually kind of like survive, I think, by just yeah. having that one thing. 
Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I don't display. Um, I would like to one day when space permits. But Selling the kids. I think I would perhaps take the view that I've had it. I've had it. I've enjoyed it. I can still see photos of it on the internet. Whereas something of that magnitude, and it would have to be that magnitude, it would have to be something really, really special, but I think that would satisfy me. Those things you've described, though, are considered, I mean, th those are worth more than your entire collection, probably by several factors, well, at least, you know, a multiple. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, kind of financially, yeah. you kind of go like, if you were offered something like that, I would probably go, well, yeah, I can have that, I can enjoy it for a little bit, I can sell it, and then I can get my collection back and the rest. Yeah, I think the purpose of this question is forget about the financial side. I think it's what you would rather have right. for, the rest of, for the rest of your life to to look at and enjoy. And, uh, a full-size yeah. full Millennium Falcon, please. Well, Pete, I'll come over to you next then. So would you rather have a unique one or a large one? Hey. I think I think just what Jay said, actually. If I could have the, the life-size Millennium Falcon, I'd live on that. I wouldn't care then. I don't care about any tat. But at the same time, if you could, uh, you know, if it's just a collection thing, like a toy, you know, a one-off toy, then I, you know, I mean, I'm not doing props. So if, if, I mean, Andy mentioned props and, you know, the either, you know, let's say a droid or something. If it was just a collectible item that was produced and it's like a one-off rarity, if we're going down that line, then no. I'm, I actually prefer my tat. I love collecting the tat. It is about, you know, getting obscure rubbish, far more fun collecting lots of stuff than one. But if it was like a movie prop or something from the film or living in an attack, then I would obviously take that and stuff the collection. Yeah, financial wise, if it was something worth a lot of money, you know, a one off thing someone would give me a couple hundred thousand pounds for, then I'd obviously enjoy it for a while, then sell it and buy to go to a new level of tat collecting. But yeah, that's that's overall. If it's just a, if it's a production, sorry, a production item, there's not much I really care that much about. To be absolutely honest with you, can anyone can you suggest something I might care about? A production item? Ooh, um, I couldn't. Not for what you collect, Pete. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing really. I, but yeah, there's nothing. Nothing I sit here and go, oh, I'd love to have that. There's lots of stuff I'd like to. Have. No, nobody would trade for a rocket firing fair. If it was, it was like a mint on card rocket firing fair. That, never that doesn't interest me though. I, just, I, yeah. I have no interest in that figure at all. It's just it's it's a fun story. I've got a Boba Fett figure which I had as a kid. Quite happy with that. You know, there's not a maybe ugh, if it was it had been a mock up of a slave layer figure at the time maybe. But even then, nah. I prefer my 400 items of Amidala rubbish and my Empire Strikes Back nonsense and my Ray rubbish. I, I, I like that stuff. I, I like, you know, that stuff. But if it's a movie prop, different story. And coming with you, Spoons, and so many collectors have said, certainly what they've got collections like you, that it becomes a bit of a burden. It comes a bit of a... Uh, you know, the, the pieces that you need, you're never going to get, or they're going to cost a lot of money. You could be waiting 10 years. Um, would you prefer to have the, the huge collection that you've got now, or would you rather have one unique, rare item in your collection? That's, that's easy, actually. So I would, I would rather have the collection I've got now. I'm a bit like, I'm a bit like Pete. There's not one item that I would desire that much to lose everything else I have. And I'd even go for that for props. You know, the Darth Vader suit, 
a Death Star screen used TIE fighter. I'd love a screen used TIE fighter. But if I just had that one thing and nothing else, I would get bored. I like, I like. What about if Harrison Ford sat there in his Han Hoff outfit in your collecting room forever? (laughs) <laughs> you have to feed him, obviously. I've got enough mouth. Do you know, I was just moaning about that today. Four adults now in this house, me feeding all of them. Go, get one of them to move. Get them out. I don't want another one. No, yes. Harrison Ford can sure stay away. Could. If he paid his own way, I'd, I'd probably take it because he it might pay for some of my other lot here as well. I'll take that just as uh, if he's going to give me some cash. Just think, what? every now and again, he could shove you into a tauntaun. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It's getting a bit cold and he comes along to your bedroom with you and your wife there and he just slices open a tauntaun and shoves the pair of you in there. That'd be yeah, awesome. You get those tauntaun uh, sleeping bags, don't you? That, yeah, uh, but no, I'm talking a real tauntaun. If you're going to have a house to afford, I'm sure he can afford to bring a real tauntaun with him. It sounds a bit messy to me. Yeah, no, it's only full of wormy guts. There's no blood. I don't want Harrison Ford in my house, really. He's a bit curmudgeonly, isn't he? Luke, Mark Hamill. Was, I love Mark Hamill. He's what if it was friendly. Daisy Daisy Ridley? Well, she'll be um, putting any taunts on, would she? No, I don't know. I, no, I wouldn't. I don't want. To, I don't want a Hollywood actor. In my house. <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> Get in the way. So yeah, I mean, actually, when this question was posed, I didn't know the answer. I was thinking, yeah, you probably pick the middle ground. And as I've been thinking about it more, I think Rich, Rich summed it up. I would say I wouldn't say it's mediocre, but I do have a lot of relatively normal stuff i don't have a room full of palatoys don't have a room full of first shots and hard copies you know all, all that sort of amazing stuff it's it's kind of the more affordable end of mint on cards whether it's die cast or or hand solos i mean i'd appreciate everything's relative and i and i i like it all you know and, and there are loads of things i think i'll never never own but every now and then whether it's a car back or a totally battered something or other it pops up and you add a little bit more to a run uh, yeah I'd, 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 if i could do it all over again i'd be much the same although as when we come to figure face off maybe i would change my character but yeah i'd uh, i'd do it yeah i'd do it all over again having a a large mediocre collection over a one-off piece anytime. Well, all pretty much in the same mindset there, so that was brilliant. I'd love to know if our listeners would perhaps change answers on that, find out how to contact us at the end of the show. Right then, so I better explain the title and the old jock and the crazy Canucks. So Jason was incredibly fortunate, as our listeners from the last show will know, and anybody who follows Jason on social media, in that Jason got the opportunity to visit May the North Be With You in Toronto, and he was hosted by Chris Porteous, and by all accounts Jason had an absolutely wonderful time over there. I wish I had known more about what Jason was going to get up to, um, because some of the you know the panels and the discussions and the room sales was absolutely phenomenal, and we're going to learn a lot about uh, Nelvana, who are the the team behind the animated droids and Ewoks company, um, and you know the the production of those shows, and we're going to have uh, a lot of interviews later on in the show. And Jason, we're going to really look forward to your presentation on how those was it three days that uh, May the North be with you. Yeah, it was a three-day show, mm. and uh, I was there for a week. So, yeah, I had a great time. 
Yeah. So be sure to check out the interview later on the show and when Chris uploads the YouTube version of it. But I'm really, really excited to hear what Jason's got to say. Right then, latest acquisitions then. So I'm going to start with you, Pete. What have you picked up um, since we last recorded about four and a half years ago? Not much, actually. Not much. I can't remember why I didn't. Probably just been... I got a few bargains. Um, I was after, I think I've already said I've completed my kind of card back collection up to the point I want. But I was going through it the day. I thought, you know what? I've got, I forgot that I'm missing the nameplate for my Black Bespin Guard um, card back. I thought, oh, I'll just go and have a look on eBay, see if I can find one for cheap. And people going, oh, you won't find one for cheap. It's going to cost you like 30 quid. But I actually managed to find a Bespin Guard with his gun, although it was listed as Repro, but I don't think it is. And a nice Empire Strikes Back car back. I got for 15 quid delivered, which I thought was pretty good. Um, I shall stick the Bespin Guard on my uh, Bespin playset, Power Force 2-1, which is very nice. Um, then I had to rescue a manky burnt Leah Organa. It looks like someone set fire to her. That's gone on my little shed Shop of Horrors display. Where I've got some real deformed beasts. You've seen the Boba Fett. You've heard about the Luke Skywalker bullet hole on him. And then I put some modern stuff. Um, I am a queen, Amadala book. Actually, there's some quite interesting facts in there. Really nicely laid out, very really nice little, well, those awful, crappy books, which are just wonderfully cheesy and wonderful. Um, I hope this is the last ever Ray pop vinyl I ever have to buy. This is the Valentine's one. I was trying to find it at Celebration. I couldn't find it for love nor money. I don't know why. Obviously, no one wants it. Uh, it's basically a pink one. Uh, I think that now completes the God knows how many of those I've got. I picked it for, again, and then little bargain couple of folders of all the episode one trading cards it's got it for a fiver two beautiful folders two sets of cards and then some phone cards as well um just an absolute bargain you can get bargains fiver then off vinted i picked up a random bootleg return of jedi badge tiny little badge it looked really nicely done actually as of Princess Leia got her hand over 3PO's face. I can't remember what, what that's from, but that's me. Sweet in return, July. Like, what about? And then a completely random Amadala M&M mug. <laughs> I don't know why. Cheap or vintage. Thought I'd better get it just in case. Uh, and that's me done, I think. I think I got some other stuff. I can't remember. Some nonsense. Oh, yes. Picked up a few. Got, got a lovely print and stuff from, again, a, a vintage computer show. Had a go at... Star Wars arcade game there, really nice. Or Conversity Ford Amiga. Picked up a few bits and bobs from there as well. But, but that was that's me done really, Rich. That's it. Well, Pete knowing you, you would be absolutely delighted with every one of those items, and I consider that a oh. great month. Oh, it is. I am a queen, I'm a dollar book. Best ever title. I am a queen. Um, Andy Preston, that's it over to you. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, not a massive list this month, but a few nice bits in there. Start off with a couple of magazines. So from January 1978, a copy of Cosmopolitan magazine. Uh, in amongst all the smutty stuff, uh, the headline article is now thinking, sorry, new thinking on sexuality, which should cheer you up. I haven't read that one yet, perhaps save that one for later. But uh, there is a nice article towards the back on how the Star War was won. So obviously right on the point of Star Wars first release in the UK. Nice little article about the movie and why it would appeal to uh, uh, to all sorts of people. 
Next one from 1980, April 1980. This is a copy of Now magazine, uh, which is a sort of current affairs magazine. And this has got a nice feature called Star Wars Lives Again. So uh, this is to do with the premiere of Empire. And there's an interview with Irving Kirshner and some nice pickies in there. Move on to a little lot that I bought on eBay. This includes uh, some, I think they're copies, but uh, copies of uh, Jedi call sheets. Uh, some set sketches. Don't know who drew these. They, I think they're drawn from this chap's memory, but it's sort of showing. Uh, there's one of the Death Star throne room, and there's one of the uh, uh, the Monkel cruiser, the briefing room. Um, so things I've never seen before. And a nice little hand drawn sketch by a guy called Hans Jensen, who did the uh, inside Star Wars. What are they called? The, the cutaways, the books where you sort of see the exploded versions of the AT-AT and the Snowspeeder and the X-Wing and all the rest of it. So, nice little bunch there. A cassette tape, Star Wars theme, and some other sci-fi stuff by the London Philharmonic Orchestra. This is under a banner called Showstoppers. Same LP that's been put up under all, put out under all sorts of different names, uh, but this is a version that I didn't have before. Still on the music theme, a couple of 7-inch singles uh, dating from 78 a disc called Scar Wars by an artist called Rico and a single called Do You Have the Force by a band called The Droids uh, they were obviously very big at the time never heard of them but uh, very much cashing in on Star Wars next one is a magazine advert uh, this is for Hit Squad computer games uh, I think there's five different titles featured there and you've got the Empire Strikes Back uh, and the Star Wars Domark um, titles in there. So uh, nice little add to my Domark run. Next one, this is something a bit special uh, from Darren Simpson. I've got a publicity folder for Bunch Publications or Bunch Books. Now, they're the guys that put out the Star Wars poster magazines and the the Empire and Jedi collector's editions the, the sort of programs that came out at the time of the movie releases and this is a folder that they put out saying we're going to be doing a empire strikes back collector's special we're going to be doing a poster magazine series uh, we're going to be doing the uh, there's something else i can't remember what uh, but it's basically saying to other publishers other companies do you want to get involved do you want to distribute this in your territory uh, so there's a little folded pamphlet inside this folder, and I'm guessing that it probably had some examples of their Star Wars publications in there, just to sort of show what they do. So something I've never seen before. Very, very pleased to pick that up. A couple of crew shirts, an Episode Nine Rise of Skywalker, a crew shirt from the, the location shoot in the Wadi Rum. Uh, that's for the props department and a shirt from solo uh, which i think is from the camera crew uh, it's got a nice uh, picture of a movie camera on the back and it says we shot first which i quite like last but not least favorite thing i've picked up for ages i absolutely love this this is a well it, it comes in a bag and it's sealed with staples as a sort of cardboard header which says giant parachute Nothing else, no trademark, no manufacture, no pictures. So you've got this folded bit of card, giant parachute, and a clear plastic bag underneath, which has got a mahusive orange folded bit of cloth, which is the parachute, and the strings uh, that uh, obviously attach to it. And at the bottom, the little weight, um, so the, the parachutist, if you like, is a black 
Darth Vader coin purse. The ones that were put out by Smile in the UK um, and I think were uh, sold briefly before they were recalled or they were stopped from selling them or whatever. I can only imagine that the overstock was picked up by a company who saw an opportunity, thought, I know what we'll do with these coin purses. We'll attach a parachute and we'll sell it as a Star Wars parachute thing. Completely bootleg, completely unauthorized. Never seen or heard of one before. Absolutely love that. And uh, that's me done, Rich. I've never heard of that either. That's a wonderful item, that. Jason, so let's see. I would guess uh, half of the Canadian cardback collections now on its way to you. Well, well, we'll have to find out later in the show. Basically, I'm, all the stuff that I picked up when I was over uh, over in Canada, I'm going to talk about when I do the the bit on the May the North Be With You show, because it all kind of fits in there. But the two things I did pick up outside of that show since the last podcast, I've got an HCF Return of the Jedi grey stationery set. So these are the, these are the kind of uh, stationery, there were various things that HCF did, and they came in red, grey, and blue varieties. So I've got the grey stationery set now, and um, that leaves me leaving just the blue one. So it's basically it's a stationery set with some pencils, yeah, a little a little notebook in it, and various other bits and bobs. So I've got one of those, and I've got a Airfix leaflet talking about a free coloured poster that um, I think I think. Andy, you you put me in the direction of that, I do believe. I think I might have done, yeah. Um, It's basically advertising the posters that came inside the uh, Ethics Jedi boxes. Yes. So um, outside of the the show, those are the only two things I've picked up recently. I'm kind of uh, seem to be very busy doing DIY these days. So um, lots of fun with that. Been a bit of a quiet month for me. Um, Picked up a massive amount of Marvel Comics once again. I did hum and haw when I was in Thailand whether I should pick up the store display for the Star Wars Calypso. Uh, There was loads of them dotted around and there can't be too many over in the UK. But I thought, nope, not going to go down that route. I'm not going to do a Yehuda. We'll just uh, let the Thai people enjoy that. Let's come to Andy Norton then to wrap this section up. Well, the latest acquisition is my tea, which today is breaded cod and mashed potato. That'd go down quite well in that pub we're all in earlier, wouldn't it, really? But in terms of Star Wars, uh, the first items I picked up, which seems absolutely ages ago. So I went to Donny Toy Fair, met Matt Cooper there, and he's a, a loyal listener. Hello, Matt. Now, he always has a stall in the corner. And I, you know, after picking up my one Empire Strikes Back mini tin last time we met, he had the full set there, so I picked up five more and have completed that run, so that was good. And at that show as well, I've started a slippery slope in buying some 1990s die-cast Star Wars. That's sort of the same era as Power of the Force. Two little die-cast figures on cards. I quite like them. I'll get a few more. Another very slippery slope, um, which I know Pete and Andy and Jason as well, in particular, are fans of, 2000 AD. So I picked up the issues with the Star Wars cover, which is Prog 166, and the uh, I picked up four of them. So the Prog before 165 has a, a nice Empire Strikes Back article in there. Um, I then ended up with another 120 issues of 2000 AD, sorry, and a few books as well. 
got loads and loads to read. I'm really enjoying them, and particularly, I'm not, it's actually the, the Sam Slade stories I'm particularly enjoying, but uh, that's probably for a different podcast. Robo um, Hunter. Yeah, he's good, he is. I like him, and he's he and he's talking Stogie. cigar. Stogie. Yeah, Stogie. And a similar theme, I picked up the 1977 film and filming magazine with Star Wars on the front. Uh, I've already got one of those. I just It was cheap, so I bought it again. Uh, just couldn't resist, really. It's not quite nice conditions, a bit of an upgrade. And talking of upgrade, I've upgraded my Retisel Sutcliffe Star Wars playmat. So I have that on the floor in my collecting room. My one's a little bit bobbly. So um, I picked up another one. It's very very clean, good price. And, and on the toy line, I've got six unpainted micro-collection figures. Uh, there was a whole load of them. Andy flagged up these to me as well. I'd already spotted them as a Luke on a Tauntaun I missed out on. They were going for pretty good prices. So my unpainted run of those is is picking up steam. There's still a long way to go. Again, a little bit on the modern line. The Shadows of the Empire, three GG figures. So there's only four to collect. Uh, so the Italian ones there. So they're very nice. More paperwork. The Return of the Jedi poster magazine issue one. And probably for me, the uh, the piece de resistance is uh, from our good friend Ian Sanderson. I picked up the diecast Landspeeder Mailer. So there's no catalogue on it, but it's got the tissue paper. This is the JC Penny one. There's a Sears one, which I've already got. So that's very nice. I'm going to pick up a catalogue for that and, uh, and com- complete that. And before I go on, I've already mentioned non-Star Wars. Let's mention some more. I picked up two black hole shrinky dinkies as you used to get in boxes of shreddies and things. I love those. And that's me done, Richard. You know what? I ate shreddies loads as a kid, but kind of heck, it's like, remember, shrinky dinkies. Shrinky yeah, dinkies? What's, what's a shrinky? What's the sh- yeah, what is it? What is it? It's a, they basically... Well, I'm, I remember the Weetabix ones really clearly. You could get the whole Weetabix gang as shrinky dinkies. I've looked for them on eBay, can't find them at all. But essentially, a sheet of plastic similar consistency to a crisp packet because you can use crisp packets to do the same thing they came with a line drawing of a character so in in my black hole examples i've got maximilian and doctor whoever he is the baddie you then color those in quite crudely if you're a kid you put them in the oven and what starts off as the size of a crisp packet shrinks down to the size of a you know, a smallish bag. You know, now. You put and on the back, you can then stick a stick a safety pin. So the person selling these, it said, oh, only one of these has got a safety pin. The safety pin would have been the kid's mum sticking it on anyway. They didn't come with it. So you make them yourself. It rings a bell now. You said they're just so iconic of that. I don't. And I did a bit of googling. You can buy books of them still. So shrinky dinkies still exist. <laughs> but yeah, they're just yeah, just classic seventies free serial gifts. I love that. Why don't they do things like that anymore? It's so pathetic, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's all discounts on theme parks. And, and but it's not. It's not like you know. I've seen about this today. It's like you know, crisps used to get you know your Tazos and stuff. But it's so boring now. You know, there's no competition. You, know, you, you go and buy the item. I want to be exclusive to that competition. I don't want some bloke just you know joining in because he he read about it somewhere. I if you can only enter that competition if you've bought that packet of crisps, and you should get more gifts. But these days, yeah, they're pretty terrified of everything. I don't want to make. I don't want to get any choking on it or something. I did used to eat Tazos quite regularly, <laughs> and wolfing down a bag of crisps and suddenly chewing on the uh, on the Tazo in his little pack. Yeah, but it's just ridiculous, though. You know, they need to they need to go back to the seventies. Yeah, 
Shrinky dinkies all round. Who knew that Spoons was such an expert on shrinky dinkies, eh? <laughs> right then, so I believe this could be our very last action figure face-off, Mr. Preston, is that correct? No, there is, there is another. There is another? Could it be there another? another. We're done, are we? How many Now, one more, one more one round more after, after this. One more after this one. Right, okay then. And then we're into Ewoks figures. Action figure face-off. So we've got some interesting characters this time. Oh, I do feel so Jason's been stitched up a little bit here, but never mind. Let's see how he defends it. So we've got Andy Preston with everybody's um, fourth favourite bounty hunter, Dengo. We've got Andy Norton with Luke Jedi. We've got Jason with an Ewok, Warwick. And we've got Pete, who I've got to say, Pete, I haven't thought that the Death Star droid was better than the original C-3PO. But, yeah. Take it away. We'll go from we'll go top down. So we'll start with Andy Preston with Dengar. Dengar, the ruthless bounty hunter. His very name spells danger. Head swathed in bandages, covering the scars received while swoop racing with Han Solo in his youth. Dengar was hired by both Darth Vader and Jabba the Hutt, and was last seen in the Rise of Skywalker, propping up a cantina bar. More machine than man. So on to the figure, another excellent sculpt by Kenner. Dengar's distinctive armour, which he seems to have nicked from a snow trooper and a sand trooper, has been painted deep purple, fitting for a, a soldier of fortune. And I do hope someone gets the musical reference there. He's got various objects strapped on his backpack. As a kid, I thought the round object was a landmine that he was going to lay as a trap for his poor victim. His scarred face, sometimes pink, sometimes pale, sometimes even yellow, and his bandaged bonts are captured perfectly, and he sports a long rifle, the same design as the snowtrooper. Now, back in the 80s, a Dengar figure was always exclusive bounty. In the States, he could first be found in the Sears exclusive Cloud City playset. In Canada, one of the very few figures to be released on the skin-wrapped card with no photo art. But in Britain, he was first available as a mail-away figure. Do you remember those comic book adverts featuring that fantastic photo-real black-and-white artwork looking up at the figure? He was also part of the Bounty Hunter capture log promotion. I well remember cutting up my card backs, sending off my order and waiting for what seemed like forever for that little white box to arrive at the door. Now those boxes and baggies are very keenly hunted. That promotion was so popular that although Dengar should have been released on a Palatoy 41 back, only one carded example has been heard of. Not one photo has surfaced. Even the 45A back Palatoy is a real rarity, and it's only the 45B Empire card that can be found in any real numbers. For a focus collector, this guy must be one of the hardest runs to complete. So there you have it, Rich. Only you can decide whether Dengar brings home the bounty today. That was a strong start, Andy. I'm not going to deny that. Pretty, pretty strong start. I think the other three are quaking in their boots right now. But let's head over to Andy Norton to see what he can do with Luke Jedi. 
Luke Skywalker Jedi Knight outfit. Now, that is a proper quality figure to end this run on, even though we've got one more week to do, or a month to do. Right, what a figure. The only figure that looks as good without his accessories as with them. And he came with three accessories, too. Now, that is some achievement. There's so many combinations. Blue or green lightsaber, regular or snap cape, brown or grey palace blaster, and what a blaster. Made a really nice change to have a Luke without the rebel blaster or that funny Hoff rifle thing. Now, if you took the accessories away from Luke, he's there in his black Jedi clothes, ready to jump off the skiff above the Sarlat pit or chop the front off a speeder bike in the Endor forest. There was no real need for Luke Endor. Luke Jedi did it all and always thought it was great. He had his black glove on too. You know, that's really iconic robot hand. He should also be known as Snooker Loopy Luke. With his black outfit, straight right arm and bent left arm, his sculpt is perfect for a miniature snooker player. Surely a customer has to do that. Customer? Customizer. Now, I've always got confused with the order of releases, but tonight, Richard, here they are. Now, this is going to be very educational. Now, it was first issued with the Blue Sabre until Kenner realised they'd made a mistake and it was reissued in green. Now, we all know why. Blue Sky, Blue Lace Sabres, Lucasfilm. We won't go into that. We've not got enough time. The first issue had a cape with a popper so we could unfasten it, and, but that was changed to a sewn cape to, to save costs. Now, what I always thought is Taiwan, moulded face, snap cape, Green Saber, that didn't make sense, did it? The Green Saber came second and the Snap Cape, snap cape came first. This is very hard to say. But I found out this week that there are four factories producing these Snap Capes. There's Smile, Cade and Unitoys in Hong Kong, as well as Taiwan. And Smile Figure had a Snap Cape and a Blue Saber. So that is the first issued one. That's what I've learned this week. Fascinating. It's all very confusing, but it makes sense. We haven't got any time now for card backs, but all have that great image from Jabba's Palace with Luke holding the guard's gun. Power of the Force, Lily Lady, Meccano Miss card I've seen with Luke on a Yan Solo card. The regular one is Luke Tenue de Chevalier Jedi. Luke Jedi Knight outfit. Now, any guesses which box art he's on? He's on the Rancor box. He's on the Jabba's playset in his net restraint. The Ewok village caught in the Ewok's net classic scene for a classic figure now the thing about all these images richard is he hasn't got any of accessories he's all just in his black outfit no robe because he's got such play value and i'm off to start a new focus arrest my case yeah that was brilliant andy really really solid start from the two andys learned a lot there that i didn't know jason tough act to follow warwick Warwick, or Warwick, as I'm going to call him. Uh, yeah, so he's another Ewok, last 17, um, played Beyond Tri logo or Power of the Force. And uh, I feel I'm going to really struggle at this point, so uh, let's head over to Jack Chat GPT. Chat GPT, write me a story in limerick form about an Ewok called Warwick from the Star Wars universe. He has friends called Rich, who is northern and tight with money and Pete, who is obsessed with women's football. Now, this is the first thing it came back with, so, you know, hold on to your socks. In a galaxy far, far away, Warwick the Ewok loved to play, with Rich tight with a dime, from the north in his prime, and Pete, who talked football all day. Rich would often moan and groan, let's save, not buy a new stone, while Pete in delight would stay up all night watching matches on his phone alone. One day, Warwick had a plan in sight to blend their passions just right. Let's host a game on Endor's field with Ewok teams, a fun-filled yield. Rich arranged with minimal expense. P 
he cheered his excitement immense with Warwick's tribe and a football craze. The galaxy watched, truly amazed. Warwick's plan had made them bond tighter. Rich's wallet wasn't any lighter. Pete's passion for football had found its peak with Ewok matches every week. So in the Star Wars universe tale, Warwick's idea did prevail. With Rich, Pete and Games under the moon, they had adventures and always in tune. I thank you and I thank ChatGPT. Jason, I was strangely hypnotised by that. I don't, I don't know what was causing it. I don't know whether it was your melodic voice or not, but I found that really fascinating. Peter well, he didn't write me. it, that's why. It was what? He didn't write it. <laughs> well, Pete, three strong contenders here. What can you do with my favourite droid, Deathstalk? Your favourite droid? You, it's not your favourite droid. You love R5-D4. Yeah. So it's his second favourite droid. Second favourite droid. That's not, that's not bad. That's not bad. Right, Richard, we, we, before we start, we've got to address something. It is not the Death Star droid, is it? Let's face it. This Death Star droid didn't appear in the Death Star. This is the Sandcrawler droid or the RA7 droid. So we have two versions in Star Wars. So we have the the guy who's sitting there in the Sandcrawler. That's the actual droid we get the figure of. And you know what his name is, Richard? 3B6 RA7. And then they paint him up a little bit black and give us a black shiny finish. And that's the one you see in the Death Star. So we don't actually have an actual vintage figure of the Death Star droid. We have the Sandcrawler droid. Uh, but you can argue that another day, but I thought I'd add that in. Right, so, uh, yeah, uh, we first, I think we first see the, the Death Star droid. Uh, he obviously comes out in that sort of second run of figures. And in our little friends over in Germany, they released a German Kenner catalogue. And in the photo was the second sort of wave of figures, Greedo, Snaggletooth, Warsman, Hammerhead. And they're all, I think they're all painted hard coppers. And then we get... Some kind of random other figures, uh, Luke X and Power Droid R5-D4, and a Death Star Toy, which is basically, it's basically a C-3PO figure with the head, and did you know this? The head, Richard, of a Praying Mantis model kit. Now, I think it looks a bit odd. I kind of like, it looks a, bit, a little bit like something from Finger Bobs. Because uh, it's got kind of real bulbous sort of insecty eyes, so uh, that's what kind of set me off really with finger bobs. So yeah, we, we also have. We think, look, I mean, if you're going to talk car backs, I mean, again, well, just what Andy said, we'd be here all day. I think he appears on pretty much everything apart from I think the last sort of Power of the Force range. He's on all sorts of stuff because he was obviously an early figure. Uh, but we do get a few variations. There are some variations there. I think my favourite variation, Richard is the fact that um, I think it's the POC one. You get kind of a gold chrome finish, which I think looks really cool. I would love to have one of those. I'm like, maybe someone can spray me one. I don't know. But it does look really smart. Although I have to say there's something a little bit sinister about using the colour silver or the finished silver, which makes this droid so wonderful. And let's talk about the droid, because I think it's worth uh, talking about. No accessories, obviously. He is just a droid. But you always find them with, with the loosest legs because they were played with. These droids are excellent fun and value because they look so damn sinister. You have that kind of flat torso body and it comes right in at the kind of waist with sort of electronic-y parts. Uh, you basically got CPO's legs, CPO's arms, but you've got those cool black features. And if you do look at the, the figure in a bit more detail and, and get a good angle, because you've probably got one that's all the blacks fallen off, he looks like he's got a cheeky moustache going on in his kind of front beak. He looks a little bit, dare I say it, a little bit sinister, even more sinister with that little black 
moustache. I shan't mention the name of that person, probably get banned. And he's got those wonderful sort of black shoulder pads as well, if your figures survive. So overall, the sculptor figure is simple, but it's, it's like an evil C-3PO. I don't know how, how you played uh, with your figure, but I always use him as like the anti-C-3PO figure. It was never a goodie. It was always a, you know, something going against it. Now, finally, what about merchandise? Did you know there is actually a Death Star droid better merchant there, aside from the figures? Anyone want to guess? No, you got no chance. It was a Dixie cup. And I believe that's the only singular piece of Death Star droid or Sandcorder droid merchandise that actually got produced in the vintage line and that's me done rich simple basic but i kind of love it and that's all we've got time for on the vintage rebellion tonight thank you everybody oh so uh, i wasn't very long <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was thinking the same andy it's normally pete who calls out the long there was, there was so much info so much love for this figure you see you had to i had to go over richard you know it's such a great figure it's your second favorite figure so i don't want to like leave it short this one's incredibly tough because Andy's, you know, you you really set your stall out. You did really well. Jason, I'm impressed with your use of chat GBT and limericks because uh, you had a very, very tough figure I've got taken into account. Pete, if you could have condensed that down to two minutes, you would have been an outright winner. Even if you could have condensed it down to five, you might have still been an outright winner. I think I, I think it's only fair. I'm going to have to go with all four of you this time, guys. That was absolutely brilliant. Considering that we're now on the second last run and you have all made an effort tonight, uh, which is unusual, I think I'm going to have to award it to all four of you. Brilliant, brilliant effort. Some some tough figures in there, but concept readers. Do you realise, Richard, you've just inspired ChatGPT? Yeah, I was going to say, I've been replaced by AI now. Yeah, which means Jason's no longer needed. We can just basically get ChatGPT, feed it crap, and it will just churn out stuff. So we could get a whole list... I think with ChatGPT is the quality of what you ask it for. So I asked it for quality. It gave me quality. It, it gave you me and Pete. What more could you need? Jason, I think you need to do your list of acquisitions next month via ChatGPT. See what it comes up with. See if you can find you anything new. Well, on, on, a, on a serious note, I think next month for the very last one, Rich should do all four figures. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do yeah. recommend that all of you go on to Rebel Scum uh, look at the Luke Jedi picture side on where he is playing snooker or Paul. Um, it's amazing. I've never noticed that before. I was surprised that there was only one ever piece of um, sand crawler droid merchandise ever made. Yeah, I knew Dixie Cup. You, you didn't give us a chance there, Pete. You, you would have you won if you had done that as well. <laughs> I, couldn't have, I couldn't have interaction in my speech, <laughs> Richard. Goodness sake. It's got to be just, it's got to be, that's why you ask the questions but don't want answers. Good action figure for yourself there, guys. Uh, it's a shame we're coming to the end of the run of that now. Let's head over to the quiz. And Jason, I think you're going to be Canadian inspired on this one for three guys. So four guys. Sorry, Andy, I missed you. Uh, four guys who know nothing about Canadian Star Wars. The quiz is called What's It All About? And it's basically, I had a quick flick through my original first... Uh, edition of Irwin's Toys, the Canadian Star Wars Connection by James T. McCallum. So all the questions came out of that. It's going to basically be a series of questions. Um, if you get the question wrong, I may offer it up to whoever comes and comes in next and says what the correct answer is. Some of the questions have multiple answers, so if people know other answers, they can also get points for those. It's all a bit informal, but uh, and I'll keep a running score. So 
I've got you all down. You're going in the order. We're going Rich, Pete, Andy Preston and Andy Spoons. And this is round one. Um, and the first question goes to you, Rich. Who is the Irwin referred to in the book title? Oh, you know what? I had this book as well at one time. The Irwin is the owner of Irwin Toys. The owner of Irwin Toys? Yep. It's not what I've got here. I'll put the I'll put up to anybody. Was it Dennis Irwin? Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say. The Island pullback. Did he start the company up? Is it Irwin the disco dancing duck? Oh yeah. No. I'll give, I'll give you a point if you can get his first name right, and uh, another point if you can tell me what his job was. Philip uh, Philip Irwin. Um, mm. He used to make toys. Steve Irwin, crocodile hunter. Oh yeah, he's great. Um, I'm giving a point to Preston for being... Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I was going to Steve Irwin. This is my question. Hold a point there, because that is quite funny. Right, uh, and does anyone know what his first name is? Hootsman, there's a clue. Jock. J- Jason. Jock. Archie. Angus. Might be, a, might be a coat that you wear. Mac. Mac, yeah, who said that? Me. Preston. Preston gets another point. I think Preston might have already won. Okay, and what was his job? So he had a job in in this kind of, you know, what 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 could he possibly have been running? A toy press. Drugs. Toy shop. Drugs. A cheese nobody's cake factory. Nobody's got it. I'm going to say he was the head of Kenner Canada. Oh. Okay, question two. Now, this one has been directed to Pete. Oh, crikey. What avenue was Kenner Canada on? Specifically. What, what avenue? Yeah, what avenue? Uh, electric. <laughs> electric. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pitch gets a point for Electric Avenue because that was quite funny. I reckon it was on, um, let me think, a boot avenue. A boot avenue, not a boot. for a point, unfortunately. Oh. Now, at, at the was, of- it, was it on the same avenue as the police station? Let's be avenue. <laughs> hey. Oh, that's still not quite funny enough for a point. Um, oh. they, they were actually I, I'd take a point of, off that. Lots of, um, lots of road signs handed out at the May the Force Be With You Con with this specific name on it, which is why it kind of came up. It was, in fact, Hannah Avenue. H-A-N-A. Hannah Avenue was where Kenner Canada was located. Andy Preston, question three. What city was Canada, Kenner Canada located in? Now, you should be able to have a reasonable guess at this one. Toronto. Toronto, correct. Hey! I wonder what gave that away. Racing out in front. <laughs> right, um, Spoons, Spoons, what, hello, major, hello. What, what major retail out, outlet sold Kenner Canada products? What much major retail outlet? Loads of them. I would say Sears. Sears, yes, Sears gets you a point. Well done. That was round one. Now we're going on to, uh, that was obviously all about the, the background of Canada, Canada, mostly. Round two is more about figures and things. So back to you, Rich. Name a figure that was not available in the Power of the Force line in Canada. And there are three of these here. So you've got, you know, there's three three to get. But I think me and Pete were stitched up in our first round. The two Andes had the easy ones. (laughs) No, Um, the questions equal difficulty. Going to go with possibly some of those... Rare ones that are in Australia that everyone's clamouring for. So I'm going to go with Gamorian God. Uh, no, that's not correct. Now, no. there, there aren't three to get here, so I'm going to give you all a chance, the rest of you a chance at getting one of these figures. So, Pete, have you got a figure that you think that wasn't available in the Power of the Force line in Canada? 
But wasn't available. Oh, crikey. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, one of those Ewok things. Uh, no. Andy Preston? Nikto. No. And Andy Spoons? Han Hoth. No. The, the correct answers here were Barada, Imperial Dignitary, or A-Wing Pilot. Oh. Oh. I don't think I understood yeah. that question. Oof. I have no idea what's going on. I've got my pudding now, though. Pete, your question is, name a Power of the Force figure that was available exclusively in Sears. And there's two here. Oh, and I'll know. give you a clue. They're the last 17 figures. Just oh, OK. Well, I've got, you know, I've got, I've got a chance of one. Um, yak face. No. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm going to put that up for the rest of the group. Uh, Anakin. No. Uh, Spoons. Luke Stormtrooper. It, correct for a point. Uh, and Rich, there's one more to get, and it's a last oh. team figure. Pop up R2. No. I've got Canning Carbonite. I'm just trying to think if he, is he a last team figure? I don't think he is, is he? Yeah. He is, yeah. He is. Well, there you go. So, no, no points there. And the next question in round two, and this one is for Andy Preston. What last team figure was made in Canada but exported to Australia and Europe? That would be the Yak. It is indeed. Racing ahead, Mr. Preston here, and uh, Spoons, your your question for round two. Name the playset that included the blue snaggletooth but was never sold in Canada. The Cantina playset, isn't it? But it's I have to go, I can't remember what it's exactly called. Is it Cantina playset? It's a cardboard it is, one. It is not. I'm going to put that up to Rich. If you can give me the correct name, I will oh, give you the point. It's a cardboard. It's something like is it the Creature and Adventure set or something like that? Oh, that's very close, but. Still not quite right. So, Pete? Is it a Creature Cantina placer? <laughs> no. So, Andy Preston, you get shot at this? Cantina Adventure Set. Oh, um, you know what? You're so far on the lead, I, I, I might have given you that, but it is actually called the uh, Sears Cantina Adventure Set. That is, that is not what's on the box. Well, you're cheating to take all the points off Andy, so you shouldn't know what's yeah, on the he's, box. Yeah, he's, he's looking, he's definitely, there's no way he's got anything Canadian in his room. I'll give you a point for that. But I, I have, I have got a Kenner, a kind of US Cantina Adventure set. Oh, he's gone not British now. I think that should be end, taken off him. At the end of the second round, we have, in last case, we have Pete with no... Yes! Rich with one point, Spoons with two point, and Preston with five. I think it's already won. We don't need to even keep going. Moving on to round three, <laughs> there are, right, name a figure that was on the infamous Sears shrink-wrapped ESB cards. Now, there's seven of these, so um, we're going to go go around and turn. You'll get to kind of have a, have a guess until we kind of run out of figures. So, Rich, can you name a figure? That was on the ESB shrink-wrapped card backs. General Viaz. Sorry? General Viaz. General Viaz. Now, I'm going to give you a bonus point for that because that's he is at Commander, but it's actually named General Viaz on the box. And that was going to be a bonus point. So I'm going to give you two points for that. So you've got three. So we've got General Viaz. And we're on to Pete. Can you name another character? Uh, Luke Bespin. Um, I'm afraid not. So I'm Andy Preston. I mentioned him earlier. Dengar. Dengar is correct. You get a point 
for Dengar Spoons. Can you name one? Han Bespin. Yes, and I'm going to give you a bonus point if you can tell me what. It doesn't say Han Solo Bespin outfit. It says something else. What does it say in brackets on the card for an extra bonus point? It was a Han Solo brackets Bespin fatigues. I don't know. No, it's Cloud City outfit. <laughs> Cloud City outfit. <laughs> Fancy. Right, and we still. That means we've got um, we've managed to pick. Th- Three of them so far, so there's four left. So I'm going to go around. I'm going to do another another pass for you all to have another guess, and then I'm going to tell you the ones which are missing. So, Rich, have you got a have you guess guess for another figure? Oh, I've got two that I think, and the other two I haven't got a clue. Um, yeah. I'm going to go with R2 sensor scope. Yes, that is correct uh, for another point, and um, then we're on to Pete. Uh, cloud car pilot. No idea. Um, I'm afraid not, Pete. There's no, oh, no. cloud pilot there. And then on to Andy Preston. Uh, I guess Luke Hoff is correct. Ooh. And then Spoons. I think there's one, two, three, four. There's two left at this point. I've got a feet. Is Ugnaught one of them? It is for a point. And the one that we haven't mentioned, looking along the line, is poor old Lobot. Now, anyone who oh. can call in here, in brackets, what does it say after Lobot? Lando's aid. Who said, who said that first? I oh, think we said it at the same, same time. Yeah, Rich just speaks slower. I think I should get a point there for not in, uh, interrupting anyone. Um, you didn't, like, I, heard, I kind of heard Rich there, so I'm going to give Rich a point. But <laughs> who, who all said it at the same time then? Me. Hello, you Jason. Did. Right, so you got points. Yeah, I'm right. Okay, so the end of round three, Pete is still on no points. Yes. Rich and Spoons are five, and Preston's out in the lead with seven. So we're on to round four now, uh, and Rich. What wind-up toy was imported from Takara for the Canadian market? God, even I know that one. That would be the R2. Is correct. Right. Pete, it's your chance to score some points here. Can I have the last question, please? I got that one. No, no, no. You want this one? What words form the pyramid logo seen on 12 backs? It's not the Guerre de la It is for a point. Well done, Pete. Look good. Can I pronounce that? I think I, a bonus point for the pronunciation. I think I might have got that spot on. Very good. Uh, Preston, your question is, uh, what sticker is on what's called a transition card? So there's a sticker on there that's uh, quite distinctive. What, what sticker is it? Is that a Return of the Jedi sticker over the Empire Strikes Back logo? It is. That is entirely correct. There is also a blue. I think there's a blue sticker on the front. There's a big blue sticker on the back as well. So it's kind of three stickers. But that's the main, that's the one that I was kind of thinking of. So very good for that. And Andy Spoons, what is different on the front of a Kenner Canada uh, card from a standard Kenner one? It's got the ages in French as well as English. It does indeed. So at the end of that, round four, with one round to go, we've got Pete and a point. Yes. Uh, Come on, Pete. You can still win this. Come on. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Rich and Spoon's on six, and Preston on eight points. So it is possible that uh, Preston can still be caught here, going on to the final round. Round five. Rich, your question is, 
What is on the bottom of the base of the... I'm saying cardboard Death Star. They call it chipboard Death Star. What's on the bottom of it? The base. What's on the bottom? Oh, good. Because it's not going to have the same one as the Palatoy, is it? I was actually shown one at uh, the May the North Be With You um, show, and it was quite surprising because uh, I'd forgotten what was on the, be- on the bottom. So it was quite surprising to see. I'm going to just have a wild guess here, and I'm going to say it's... The Paltoy one's got the hexagon shape. I'm going to guess it's the Lagward as a toy logo. Um, that's not correct. Does anyone know? Pictures of figures. Well, if you correct. wait a second, Dandy Preston will have the photo up. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, yeah, just, is it blank? Is it just it a blank space? It's completely blank. It's completely mm. black, in fact. There's oh. just nothing there. So I'm going to give Preston a point for that, being completely blank, black. Um, that's correct. Um, on to Pete, your question. Oh. What Star Wars playset was updated to the Empire Strikes Back logo only in Canada? So it's a Star Wars playset, but it was updated. Uh, when I say playset, I'm, that's not actually, I'm going to say vehicle. What Star Wars vehicle? Oh, we're going vehicle now. Oh, yeah, crikey. Vehicle. Yeah, not playset really. It's more of a vehicle. More of a vehicle. In fact, I'm going to say it's a vehicle, not more it's of a vehicle. 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 A, could be a playset though. Is he giving that away? What, it could, could be. Yes, I mean, yes, it could. In some oh, cases, God. it is a playset. So yes. Updated uh, from Star Wars logo to Empire Strikes Back logo, but it was only done in Canada. Canada? Oh crikey! I don't know. Uh, guys, whisper to me the answer. Uh, <laughs> um, hmm, a vehicle could be. I mean, name Falcon. No, I'm very right. Was, uh, oh. Does anyone know? Landspeeder. The Sandcrawler. It was the Sandcrawler. Oh. Very nice good. One, Richard. Good point. Uh, on to uh, Preston. Anyway, we're on to Preston for his question. What characters were the were exclusive to the Canada Utility Belt? So there's three characters that were made for Canada Utility Belts, and these only appeared in Canada. Three characters. Uh, can Can you name a character? Uh, do you want just one or all three? I think for your point, I'm going to have to ask for all three because you're, you know you're so far ahead. So that would be Luke, Leia, and Vader. But that is correct. There's just no stopping this man. Spoons, we haven't. Uh, Gone about you, Andy. Actually, can I just ask if uh, Andy's such an expert because of the uh, colonial nature of Canada? Do you count that as a as a British licensee? I think he just knows everything. Yeah, could be. But I think anyway. it's called Google, Andy. Google. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got a copy of Irwin Toys and they've got it open at this moment? Brave moment of time. Anyway, the ca- the question is, what character did Regal Toys make a three foot plushie and a hand puppet for? Ooh. What uh, character is that? Chewbacca. It is Chewbacca, and that is the end of the quiz for for Canadian collectibles. And um, I can tell you in, in last place. As predicted by himself. Yes. With a point. Yes. Is Pete. Well done, Pete. Quite proud of that. Rich and Spoons are then tied on seven points apiece. The clear mounty of of this particular quiz is Andy Preston with ten points. Sometimes I even amaze myself. Great quiz there, Jason, and well done, Andy Preston. Neither of us are bitter about that or Andy Norton. Right, so the NA shout-outs and to wrap up the introduction. Come on then, Annie Preston, we'll come over to you first. So, what have you yeah, spotted? Yeah, hang on, I'm, 
I'm just closing down Google. Hang on. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> I have spotted something picked up by Antonio Ricks, which he showed on the Echo Vintage Star Wars Facebook group. Sorry, SW Facebook group. We'll come on to that later. Antonio Ricks has got himself a double bill UK quad poster. And I've got to say, I absolutely love this poster. It's got a gold border inside of which you have got a it's, a, it, it sort of tapers in towards the middle the artwork does left hand side you've got star wars and characters from star wars right hand side you've got empire strikes back uh, and characters from that movie poster in the middle you've got darth vader striding out towards you with his lightsaber drawn on the top it says together as they should be seen on a big screen beautiful beautiful poster and the story behind it is even better so this is what antonio has to say so a bit of a grail this is for me being born in 1974 i never got to see star wars at the pictures until this double bill came out when it did i went at least 10 times queuing past this poster so roll on a few years and the cinema shut in the 1980s being converted to a bingo hall and then about 15 years ago turning into a Weatherspoons. it was at this time the builders were using my mum's pub and i heard they'd found a large amount of film posters from the 60s 70s and 80s in the basement i showed interest then but it fell on deaf ears now move forward to a chance meeting in the local micro pub last week talking to splads about old pubs and i only met the builder who had the posters away after a small viewing a deal was done and i'm now in possession of the actual poster i gazed at in that light box all those years ago along with many other very cool posters that i will offset sorry i will sell to offset the costs i mean this poster has been on my want list for many years but to own the actual one from my cinema is unreal. Happy days. Unreal indeed. That's a fantastic acquisition. Not just the poster, but the very one that you uh, that, that you queued past as a kid. Absolutely wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah, that's amazing. It's utterly amazing. It's a wonderful stories like that are still coming out. So great, great spot there, Andy Person. Jason, I mean, you've been super busy. I doubt you've had much time to find anything of interest uh, over the last six weeks. Um, I have found a couple of things, and I've picked one of them. This is uh, this is a post that was made by uh, a good friend, uh, Martin Woodgate, on uh, collecting uh, Star Wars. Sorry, SW. More about that later in the show, and why everything's SW now. Uh, Beyond the Toys Facebook group, uh, and he pointed out he's made a post that said, "It's not often that you can pinpoint exactly when something happened, but 40 years ago today, I was with my parents on the third floor." of Alders in Croydon meeting Darth Vader. I remember mum asking the guys with him if I could have a photo with Vader, to which they said no, at which point he just grabbed me, spun me around anyway, and dad took the picture of me looking terrified. He was signing the usual bits of paper, and mum passed him a momentum card to sign, to which I also kept. And on the way out, we asked if we could have the store display, which they were fine with as they know for the youth for it, and that's especially nice to have as it shows the day. And um, there's a lovely blue picture of a blue card here that says, come and meet Darth Vader, and it's all in silver, silver lettering. 
the villain from the film Return of the Jedi. There's a nice picture of Darth Vader. And then it says 10.30 till 12 p.m., Thursday the 28th of July, toy department, third floor. Um, Martin's also got a picture of the mint on card that got signed, um, the little flyer the, the Darth Vader written across it and a picture of Darth Vader that a lot of us have. There's a picture as well of him being swung around by Darth Vader. And I think that's absolutely lovely. Totally great, Jason. And yet a, another wonderful, wonderful uh, item that was spotted. So, uh, yeah, we all know Martin very well. So great pick up there. Right, I'm coming over to one that perhaps could be linked to our introduction question about what would you rather have. Um, and this post was shared far and wide by Bill Cable, the uh, C-3PO focus collector. And Bill has these huge scores, what seems to be every couple of years now. Um, so he's done a post on his uh, CreatureCantina.com website entitled What's in This Box? And he's posted, uh, I'm here today with another What's in the Box unboxing. This time, I promise you, it's not a box of loose figures. In fact, this is my biggest eBay score in years. So then we've got various stages of the box being cut open. And what's inside, as you'd expect for uh, Bill, it's a corded C-3PO. So his first picture has it corded up. Um, it's wrapped in a green kind of cellophane. So he peels that away and then he reveals a C-3PO on possibly a 12 back, could be a 20 back, a 21 back, you can't really tell initially. Uh, cut the price stickers up in the top right hand corner um, takes off the post-it note that covers the Star Wars bubble, um, which is a bit of an oddity. Why would somebody stick a post-it note on a Star Wars bubble? And he also said that that was quite a sticky post-it note, so that was a bit no-no. But then he flips it over, and this is the winner. Um, on the back, covering the bottom third of the card, is a Collect All 32 Action Figures sticker. Uh, and he's posted there, that's right, it's a freaking 32 back. This is the last major US Kenner produced mint on card 3PO that is known to exist that had eluded me. And he's put in brackets, my absolutely holy grail is an Anakin offer sticker, Return the Jedi C3PO, but it's not known to exist. Now, with Bill and the way he displays his items, he actually didn't think he was going to get one of these, and I believe his, his spaces are completely full where he's got um, all his carded items put up there. So he's put at the bottom there, he's going to have to swap one of his items out, but does he perhaps take out a 12C? And how does he display this? Because at the end of the day, it's the back of it that's, uh, you know, that's important. So does he display it backwards? quite a few conundrums there but absolutely great score there for Bill it wasn't cheap um, I did have, go and have a look and see what you paid for it um, it was $1800 which would be about what £1200 £1300 now money but you know wonderful wonderful item and going back to these loose figures he does obviously sell droids custom figures um, which are absolutely wonderful done and uh, it looks as though that this is taking a big chunk of cash out of that so congratulations Bill um, you know it's wonderful to see folks collectors still adding items to their collection you know probably nigh on 25 years after you started to become a collector wonderful Bill let's come over to Andy Norton right so this is on the Baggytastic group I don't know if this is one that's, uh, that's changed its name but Baggytastic group on Facebook and another friend of the show, Frank Muse, and he's very active over on there, if you're, if you're on that group. Now, he's picked up what well, something he's had for a while, but he's, he's finished it off. So he's got the Super Group 
Emperor Baggy tear-off strip. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, I wasn't aware of it before, but he's had it for a while now. This is like a, a long strip of card. You know, you can see them in any shops or whether you might be packs of port scratchings or peanuts on them. A strip of cardboard, name at the top, and you you grab whatever item is and then take them off to the till. Now, this one has an emperor on it. So he's thought, well, why don't I get a load more emperors and complete the strip? So this is what Frank says. Hi, all. So I'm not sure if I ever posted this up here before or not, but I've just amended, updated the guide to include some images of the super group tear off strip, which I've decided to try and put back together. It only had a single, rather ropey baggie on it when I managed to pick it up several years ago. Made the decision to try to restore it to its former glory, and I've used near-mint baggies from my mailer find to complete it. The only part that's not vintage are the staples used to reattach the baggies to the strip. Now, it's quite a tough choice to make it right or leave it 100% authentic. And I think we'll have a little discussion about this afterwards. But I'm happy with my choice and how nicely it displays. I just wanted to share it here. It's one of those items you just never, ever see. Definitely, I totally agree with that. Even way back when these just never came up for sale, and many are not even aware of their existence and part in the toy line's history and eventual decline. More info about them can be found on the comprehensive guide, page six, other promotional stuff from around the world, and end of toy line dead stock items that's on his baggy guide now that is a really good question if you have something like this so he's, he's picked this up as it left the shop with a single ropey emperor that hadn't sold uh, and he's added more baggies to it to make it look like it would have looked in the shop now any any views on uh, on doing that i mean I've, me first i've got no issue with frank doing that at all i'm not sure I probably would have done something similar, actually. I probably would have had it with its single emperor for a while because I like that authenticity. But I can see the attraction in trying to finish it off. So, presume, like, first you, just, of all, you just get the staple, you put it in the original holes on the card and the holes on the baggie and just fold it back on again, don't you? Yeah, yeah it's not it's, it's not damaging it in, in any way. It just looks great. Um, I wasn't. Yeah, are you aware of these them before, Jason? I've never seen one of these before. Nice. Uh, it's kind of clearly they must have sold other stuff on it as well. This super group, but yeah, great item. Really like that. Yeah, I've never seen it before either. Uh, totally agree with you though, there, Andy. I think uh, what Frank's done is fine. Well, as I'm concerned, it's like somebody getting a, a mailer box that's got you know two figures in it, and he's missing two, so he, he goes and locates the last two and fills the box. No problem whatsoever. He's not damaging anything. Pete, let's come on over to you then to see what you've spotted on Facebook. Well, uh, this was from our friend, Paul Davis. Good name, Davis. Uh, was good. And he had picked up a... Well, he started reading a message. just wanted to share this great bundle of stuff I got today. Not sure there's any value to some of the bits, but the fun of going through it was priceless. And what he's picked up is loads of newspaper magazine cuttings, some sweet and biscuit wrappers, uh, competition and mail away leaflets, and a load of cut-up card backs. And if you're just, just going through the images... There's a couple of cracking tickets, which he got where someone went to see Star Wars Trilogy, two child tickets. Wonderful little bits of uh, kitsch, those. That was in 1984. Then the thing that caught my eye were the, I think they're chewing gum wrappers, I believe, have got a slave layer on them, which you know, I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen it before. I don't know. If, were they, are those British ones as well, Andy? Or are they just unique to foreign lands? They are American, I think. Well, they're not definitely not Americans. They've got Dos Chicles Blandos and Super Chromos Collectionables. 
So I don't think they're very American. Uh, not very American. No, not, not British no. anyway. Then. I'm they're sorry. not British. No, no. I just wanted just to, to, to find the exactly. pictures, Pete. <laughs> oh, look at the link, Andy. So yeah, there's um, he's got the biscuit wrappers in there. He's got the the things that came with the. I think, well, I'm assuming they're maybe Spanish or French. I don't know. Just got just a nice little pickup of stuff for it. I mean, it really, really was. Now I have actually shamelessly begged Paul to uh, sell me one of those wrappers because of the slave layer uh, picture on them. But yeah, just a just a cracking little little pickup of stuff. Yeah, you know, you know, paraphernalia and uh, the car bus quite cool because the person actually cut out the the character from the front of the car backs um, and uh, obviously for probably for a scrapbook and also um, the cuttings from TV times. So where Star Wars appeared, they've, they've cut out the actual listing on there and the listings for the, the trilogy from the newspapers as well. And there's a, an amusing, I think it's Giles cartoon there as well, mentioning Star Wars. So definitely sort of stuff of its time. Um, I, I do think the, the cutouts from the front of the car backs are very funny. Um, <laughs> Because you might have just left them because they're not the greatest cutouts in the world. But there we go. Three P looks like he's doing something really rude to R two D two when you cut it out. And poor old uh, poor old Logro is missing an arm, so which maybe should have left them. But yeah, there's a few car backs in there as well. But uh, just a lovely little little section of stuff. There's a nice hand off in there, uh, Mister Spoons and a Yoda tri logo card. Just yeah, I love things like that. Just bits of tat. Hopefully he'll sell me one of those those slave layer items after I begged him like a child for the last couple of days. And uh, yeah, I'll get that slave layer if that's going in his house and steal them. Yeah, great item, Pete. That's so you, that. All five items are absolutely wonderful. I could have picked any of those uh, if I had to spot them. But it just goes to show the amount of times that I, I browse on social media and, and I didn't see three of those items that you guys have found. So wonderful, wonderful pickups. Right, great introduction, guys. We're getting really, really close to the Nirvana interview, I promise you. Um, but first of all, let's head over to Rebel Briefings. Nirvana be with you. Pre-production pandemonium. Wilrow unhooded. In your face book. Dodgy droids and sham snags. You lied to me. Yes, I cried. Yes, I cried. Return of the yak. Way of exploding Detolf. I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. In Cincinnati. Stormzy the Stormtrooper stolen in Stratford. Woolies woes. Imperial peril. And we all stand together. The rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. May the Nirvana be with you. Yeah, may the Nirvana be with you. May the North be with you. I mean, Jason, what we've got to say is you've had an incredibly 
wonderful time over in Toronto. Um, so I'm going to ask you to lead us through this now. And don't forget that our main view is the former Nelvano employees. And I'm really looking forward to hearing that interview. But Jason, what I want you to do first is cast your mind back all the way to the very first day of this trip, okay? What I want you to do is, you know, you're standing at the airport, you've got a big smile on your face, you've got your tickets, you've got your visa. How did day one go for you? It went very well. So I was going over to Canada uh, on a, a one-week trip. Never been to Canada before, so that's quite exciting. So I'm, I'm from London, and I was the uh, the only I think I was the only one coming over from um, Europe for the Make the North Be With You meet in Toronto. So I couldn't get a direct flight over from London, so I ended up flying via via Dublin. So I had kind of like London City to Dublin, and then Dublin to Toronto. As it turned out, my second leg of my flight wasn't with BA, it was with Aer Lingus, who apparently are famous for losing bags out of Dublin, uh, which they did with mine. So, yeah, so I arrived in Toronto, and I only had my hand luggage. And the annoying thing is, when I originally packed, I was taking stuff over for the room sales from May the North Be With You, and I put all the stuff in my backpacks. I had all my card backs, I had, like, you know, a couple of sets of coins some other bits and bobs, and I was kind of, oh, my, my bag's a little bit heavy. I know what I'll do. I'll put all those in the suitcase. I'll put all my stuff in my suitcase, and then, of course, Aer Lingus, also known as Baggage Clouds, lost it. And I'm just like, the thing that most annoyed me about that, it wasn't the fact that I'd lost most of my card backs, wasn't the fact I'd lost, you know, various sets of coins from uh, the collecting track. It was my swag bag. I, my swag bag that I've been using for 10 years, it's like a vintage school bag i was kind of most annoyed that i'd lost that so my advice to anyone if you're going anywhere all your valuable star wars stuff keep it in your hand luggage and get yourself an air tag anyway moving on so i landed met chris porteous who uh, is resident in toronto and we went dave and busters for, for dinner on the first day this was on the on the wednesday night after dinner i played Vader Immortal, which is a kind of like a virtual reality game where you put your helmet on, you kind of wave, you have a sticky wave, which is a a lightsaber, and you kind of uh, kill various kind of like uh, training training balls, and then some stormtroopers appear, and then Vader appears and promptly kills you. That was like uh, really good. Jason, just out of interest, I played Vader Immortal, which was absolutely brilliant. How much was it? Dave and Buster's, you basically, you buy a meal deal and you get a card and you kind of get so many credits and then you just put the card, tap the machine and it'll just let you play for as long as you want. I mean, we got, I don't know, I think we got a meal that cost about 20 Canadian dollars and about 20 Canadian dollars worth of credit and we were playing all kinds of different arcade machines for about an hour. So how, how much it individually cost to go, I just don't know. I just play until you get bored. Wow, because Vera Mortal, I think, when it was in London when I played, it was something like 25 quid. Unbelievable. Right then, Jason, so day two. You, I'm sure you had, uh, you know, a bit to do in Canada before you head off to the, you know, the main event. Did you did you go anywhere? Did you do any sightseeing? Perhaps did you hunt down some Star Wars toys or did you hunt clothes? I, um, I got the train system's called the Go and these big double-decker trains and there's one right next to uh, the the hotel so basically the the con is in it's called the holiday inn in oakville which is just outside of toronto and that's a two-minute walk from the the oakville go 
train station. You can get that straight into Toronto, into the main kind of central part of Toronto. So did that. Now, I'm a really massive fan of tall buildings. So wherever I go, I've got the tallest building I can find. So I just went straight up the CN Tower, spent quite about an hour or so up there, and it was absolutely fantastic. Great views of the city. And then in the gift shop, I'm still dressed in all the clothes that I flew in basically about a day and a half, two days ago at this point, because I've got no spare clothes with me. Um, I was in the, the gift shop, and I managed to find some um, kind of Canadian-themed Star Wars pants, I'd call them. They all had kind of pictures of bears on them. All the bears had sticks for lightsabers, and, and it said, may the forest be with you on these boxer shorts. So I got a pair of boxer shorts, I got T-shirts, some other bits and bobs. And then I went to Treehouse Collectibles, which is a toy shop in northeast part of Toronto with lots of vintage toys and some Star Wars. Uh, went went there, had a look around there. Didn't buy anything, but it was nice seeing. It's not very often you get to see kind of big, dedicated vintage toy shops. It was kind of nice going out there. And then uh, back at the Holiday Inn, it's kind of like uh, the day before the event, I met uh, two of the organisers, uh, Toby Black and Todd Thornhill. We had kind of um, drinks in the bar, which was very nice. And that, that was uh, basically day two. Well, I'm, I'm glad you met Todd Thornhill. I'd love to meet him one day. He did a wonderful favour for me, picking up an item from some random guy in Toronto and sending me an R5-D4. It was the Biker Scout R5-D4 card um, that came from Todd Thornhill, and he didn't want anything for it. Absolutely nothing. Well, well, enough, Toby, Toby Black got me, um, I, he got me a, a Canadian uh, die-cast car pilot card that wow. I knew. And again, he didn't want anything for it either. So um, in the end, I um, I, uh, I gave him one of uh, one of the the Death Star swag for what well, we made for the last celebration in in London. So I gave him one of those for it in the end. But yeah, that was really nice of him. So yeah. Well, sounds like you've had a great first two days. So day three, this will be the the day of the start of the con. It was evening presentations or was it evening dinner? Yeah, so it was an evening dinner. It was the official start of the show. But again, there's people turned up early. Toby and Todd went out to uh, the airport to pick up uh, Jim Swerigen and, uh, and his partner. So they arrived and we all went to lunch at Beer Town, which is the kind of local bar, kind of restaurant diner. And we all had a very nice uh, lunch together uh, with, with them and with Chris Porteous was there as well, so it was really nice having um, lunch with them and lunch with Jim. That was really nice of them. And then in the evening was the evening dinner. So the the way it was set out in the Holiday Inn, there was a room where we were going to have the dinner, and then that's where the panels, uh, room sales, etc., were going to be the next day. And then there was another part of the hotel for the toy show. So the, the evening dinner was nice enough, everybody. Jim was uh, and and the rest of the the guests had uh, desks for signing. So I got a signed photo from Jim where he's kind of holding up one of the pro, you know, had some prototype toys, and I got him to sign one of those. Who else was there? There was uh, Roger Roger Christian was there, and he was um, signing copies of his book. Um, I didn't get one that particular occasion, and then the Nelvana connection the Nolvana guys were there so there's John Celestri who did the original work animating uh, Boba Fett in the holiday special and then there's Brian Lima and Larry Jacobs and they all worked also worked on the animated droids and Ewoks series they were all there signing stuff 
and that was very good. So even dinner with guests sounds amazing. Jason, roughly how many people were there then? How many collectors would you say were in that room? For the dinner, I think there was about 30-odd people at the wow. dinner. Wow. Mm. Something like pretty that. Good. Good. Pretty well good. Well attended, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. So day four for you then, which will be the second day of the con. Um, this is a Saturday, and I imagine that this is where things are really going to take off and it's going to be really, really busy. Um, what can you tell about the panels and how did the rest of the day go? Well, you think, you know, Meet the North with you, it's going to be a very small, dinky con. But, I mean, the guests they had were second to none. It was really great lineup they had. They had they had four panels with Mike Freeman from Fourth Moon Toys hosting. He was a very good host. First panel was Jim Swerigen, Gold Wallen, and uh, James McCallum um, talking about how a Star Wars figure gets made. That was an interesting panel. Next one was John Celestri and Jim Swerigen on the birth of Boba Fett, and that was really fascinating. Um, they were obviously, Jim was talking about the rocket firing fair, and John was talking about, you know, doing the, the animated episode um, that was in. Holiday special. Holiday special, yes. An amazing panel after that. It was called the Nirvana Connection. That was John Celestri, Brian Lime, and Larry Jacobs. These are the guys who animated, you know, the Ewoks and Droids uh, series and did the work on the, the animation of the Holiday Special. It's the first time they'd been together in 30 years. Uh, and their, their talk was absolutely amazing. And it's going to be our main interview, which we're going to lead into after this. Stay around for that. It's really good. And then um, Roger Christian, wow, a galaxy built on hope. Roger Christian, living in Toronto now, what a guy, talking about all the props that he made on A New Hope. And some of the iconic props, he was just like pulling out of a bin like two minutes before they filmed things and going, you need what? You need a little communicator for like CTPO to hold. Oh, what's this I've got? There you go, there's your communion. And, and loads of funny stories like that. I mean, it was just, it, his, his, his talk just blew me away. And on the strength of that, um, I went and bought his book. So, yes, I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah, the talks, wow, fantastic. Couldn't be happier, and it's been one of the, you know, in terms of talks that I've been to, that is like one of the strongest set of talks I've been to in a long time. Still without my case at this point. So, you know, I'm now, my case has been missing for, um, about three days at this point, and out of the blue, I mean, I've been calling um, Aer Lingus, who have got no idea where my case is, and they say, oh, it's not being scanned, that's not possible, it must be on the system somewhere. Eventually, I got an email out of the blue from Air Canada saying my suitcase was being delivered, so I could track it online, and basically, as people were setting up in the hall where we were having the dinner, people were start already setting up for the room sales, my bag turned up just in time for me to set up for the room sales. So I basically got it from the car that turned up at the hotel and wheeled it straight into the, the con and set my table up for the room sales, which was quite handy that it turned up just in time. So thank you, Air Canada, for that. There was an evening quiz by Toby talking about, um, you know, questions, you know, on Canadian collectibles. Um, I did borrow quite a few of those uh, from that for our quiz this evening. So um, there you go. And then there was a charity auction. Um, I bought some tickets and I got myself very nice wind-up power droid with May the North Be With You logo uh, on the side of it. So I was quite happy with that. And then we had the room sales and the room sales were a lot of fun. And I don't think I'm, did I buy anything in the room sales? There was there were a lot, lot of collectibles and stuff that um, I picked up at the time. And I think I, 
I didn't go over these in my uh, in my briefing uh, where we were talking about what new things we've got. So I think I'm going to go through it now to say exactly what I got. So as I say, I got this diecast cloud card, card back from Toby. In the actual uh, toy show, I ended up buying a can- Canadian transition sticker, Return of the Jedi, Best Bin Security Guard, Black card back. So I had never had one of those transition stickers before, so it was very nice getting that. Chris Gagurius was was visiting from the States and had arranged to buy a set of Celebration Europe 2 and Celebration Europe 3 coin frame holders from him, so I picked those up. Chris Porteous, bless his heart, was absolutely desperate to get rid of a set of uh, Anaheim Star Tots in a display bin, and he sold them to me for what I thought was, frankly, a ridiculously low price. So, But he said, I don't want these, and I don't want them anymore. So I've... I am completely long on Anaheim Star Tots. Now, so if you want Star Tots, I'm your man. I've got like two or three sets of them now. I was still short. When I was still short of uh, clothing on the Friday, there was a guy there selling uh, various T-shirts. I got a very nice rocket-firing FET T-shirt uh, that, that, again, was going to be my only other clean item of clothing. And uh, I kind of really, we really do care leaflet that Ken I used to put on things. And it's just a complete parody of that saying, don't wear this um, T-shirt in a in a hurricane, it might rip off and all this kind of stuff. I got a very nice Blu-ray of A New Hope, a theatrical cut. So that's one that's been put together from the original screening that was made in the theatre with all you know all the all the cardboard people and all that kind of stuff. So I've yet to watch that. I got a signed book from uh, Roger Christian. I actually got that on the, the show day. And uh, Andy Preston, I got a signed copy for you as well. You'll be very pleased to hear. So you've got that's very book. good of you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you've got one of those coming. I've got a signed Jim Spurgeon picture, as I said. Um, Roger did me a a digital custom droids picture. So they had five scenes that they, they kind of imagined from, from the cartoon series. And you could basically have yourself inserted as, as, a, as a cartoon character. And Roger, completely at random, picked me. No, I say Roger, not Roger. I mean Brian, obviously. Brian um, picked me at random. To be the guy, so there's a picture of Boba Fett holding me up by the scruff of my shirt, and um, yeah, I got that one completely for free, so I'm very happy with that. Then there was, there's a show poster, which I've got on the, row, on the wall, which is very nice. Souvenir card back, now on the back of that, they've got pictures of all the Nelvana guys, and again, Andy, I got, I got them to sign uh, one of those for you, so you've got your own copy of that, and they've all signed it, and it's made out to Andy, so you, you're getting that as well, that should be really nice. There was a uh, there was a pop lanyard that everybody wore in a lanyard and had your name on it, so that was quite nice. Everybody had one of those. Basically, Clint Garnis was making um, custom card backs and figures, and the show exclusive one said, "May the North be with you" in the kind of style of the Pyramid GDE logo, and it had a very nice uh, Peter Cushing in his slippers as a as a custom figure. So I got one of those. And then very kindly gave me a set of the car backs at the end of the show. So there's a, you know, there's a, there's a GDE version of Peter or Grand Moff Tarkin, various other characters. I got a full set of those cards they gave me, which is very nice. Now Ryan came over, so uh, the guy from the Georgia, the Georgia Alliance, he was there, and he had some very nice swag. He had one with a Toronto skyline badge that was very nice. Uh, a Moss Eisley container beer, mat and patch, which is really good. And a, a rogue fun uh, flyer for an event that they're doing next May 
in Georgia, and that proves that's going to sounds like it's going to be a really good event. So that's another kind of th- three day event I think that they're proposing they're going to do next May in Georgia. So rogue fun, you heard it here first. So yes, yeah, so that was all the swag that I got. Yeah, so then there was the room sales, and that was basically the end of the first day of the con. And that sounds absolutely brilliant. Very on par with the with the annual, the very first annual I went to in New York. So sounds like an absolutely amazing thing. And just to echo what Jason's just said there, our main interview this month will be John Celestri, Brian Nimay, Larry Jacobs. You know, their, their interview uh, hosted by Mike Freeman from Fourth Moon Toys. Right, Jason, day five. So you must be shattered by this point. Any sign of the coin winding down or is it still all go? No, no, no. I mean, I was, I was kind of well adjusted to uh, the with the jet lag at this point, and this is day three of the the show, and it's just the, it's the main it's the main toy show. So I I was lucky to get space on the at the entrance way on one of the tables. Clint Garner was able to give me space on his table, um, so I was again able to kind of sell some of my bits and bobs, and I managed to sell a power toy catalogue which helped fund a car back I wanted to buy. But the show was really good. There was a big hall full of all manner of Cadian collectibles, and I remember Pete. I was trying to interest you in um, you were looking for Amadala items, and I found one. It was kind of a big, kind of store display, but it had too much Jar Jar Binks on it. I think you said so. It's just like, ooh, not 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 today. But yeah, great show. And again, all of the guests were there signing stuff. That's where I got a couple of copies of the book from Roger. And John Celestri was doing original uh, Boba Fett art, which I thought was you know he was just pencil sketching. He was making Boba Fett. You know, just there you go, there's Bob Fat, and he was selling those. That was fantastic. The whole thing kind of wound down about three or four o'clock, and then we all went to dinner to, you never guess where we went. Yes, we went back to uh, Beer Town, which was very nice. A way to end the show, and uh, it was thoroughly, thoroughly good show. And I, you know, anyone, if you've, you've never been to Canada, even if you have been to Canada, they're thinking about doing one next year. I think they've definitely said they're going to do one next year. May the North be with you. What a what a, what a what an event! Yes, very recommended. I had a great time. Uh, but my trip wasn't over. I had another couple of days to go. So the next day, Chris P, uh, my uh, resident chauffeur, took me to Niagara Falls, and we did a kind of full kind of tour of Niagara Falls, looking at the Niagara Falls, going behind the Niagara Falls, overlooking Niagara Falls. We didn't go over the falls because um, you get fined ten thousand US dollars for that. And you'll probably die, because um, that's what happens when you fall over Niagara Falls. So did that. On the way there, we went car booting, which I haven't done in a long time. That was really good fun. So there's a place about 20 minutes outside of Niagara that Chris goes to, and we had a good look around. There were some very interesting vintage um, Vader lamps made out of porcelain that were really nice. And Pete, we got you Amadala cups. So there's a big stack of cups, all with Amadala in it, but you've, you've got... Lad. The guy, the guy wanted five Canadian dollars for this stack of cups, and he, so you've got like four Amadalas, you've got like, you've got like jars. There's about eight of them, and inside there were two cup, two cups. I, 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 they were stuck inside one of them, which I'm keeping both of these. They say Canada's Wonderland on them, and they've got pictures of Yogi Bear and there's another one of uh, the Flintstones that were made at McDonald's back in the eighties. There, yeah, Yogi those, Bear. Those, I'm hanging on to those. Those, those are oh, great. Yeah. I would. So yeah, so I got those, um, and then we after after we went round Niagara, we went to um, 
Where did we go? We went to Teppanyaki. I took Chris to Teppanyaki. Uh, so we had Teppanyaki, and then we, we came home. And then my last day, I had a very you know, an evening flight. So I went back into Toronto, had lunch with an old work colleague I hadn't seen in 20 years and moved to Toronto. That was very nice. Uh, visit to the aquarium, which I thought, oh, it's the day because the the Monday was a bank holiday, so it was kind of good that we booked to go to Niagara Falls because it was really busy. So I thought, oh, the day after the aquarium, that'll be quiet because they'll, they'll they'll all be back at you know they won't they'll be back at work. Was I wrong? It was just absolutely packed full of kids, but I, I really like kind of looking around aquariums and stuff, so that was very nice. And then I got an evening flight home, and uh, luckily I had my suitcase when I got back, so it was. All in all, it was a really good trip. Highly recommend it to everyone. The Rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. Pre-production pandemonium. Oh, pre-production stuff. You guys love this sort of stuff. Rich, what's this about? Well, this was a great find by Tom Scaife and Paul Smith over from the Echo Base Facebook group. Now, this auction has finished. I believe the final listing fee was $18,000 for the main Boba Fett that the guys were trying to auction off at Hakes. The full interview is over on our YouTube channel. It's been there for about five weeks or so now. But I want to present to you a shortened version of this, just discussing the pre-production part of this, because it's a wonderful story, um, and I'm aware that not everybody would have checked this out on Facebook. So let's cut over that interview now with Tom Scaife, Paul Smith, and his wife, Joe Smith. Well, I'm delighted to bring you a Vintage Rebellion special here with um, some guys from the UK. So welcome Tom Scaife, Paul Smith and Joanne. First of all, come over to you, Tom. Um, I'd like to see your uh, Yubnub top there. Can you give a little bit of background to yourself and our listeners and what are Yubnub toys? Yes, well, uh, yeah, I run Rubnub. Rubnub? <laughs> Yubnub toys. <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking about there. Um, yeah, so I've got a Facebook page. I, I buy and sell all kinds of toys but my predominant line is star wars because that's what i collect um my collecting is paid for by buying and selling really so it's as simple as simple as that so i i may drop in a few yub nut references so you can come and find me on my facebook page <laughs> bit of product placement <laughs> yeah, well some of our listeners would have seen your celebration in london wouldn't they yeah well, i've got my little me, uh, oh, on the side. There. yeah, <laughs> just stuck that up the back there, yeah, so you can see. Yeah, so we, we kind of like, um, just coming over to you guys, we, we heard your podcast about what we're going to talk about today, and that, that's why we've come and wanted to come and have a chat with you. So it was quite nice to hear you hear one of the pieces that we'll talk about later. So, yeah, so we'll, uh, they do want to pull now, Paul and Joe. Uh, yeah, so Paul, Joe, I mean, mm. our listeners will have seen you from all over the place because you've been to the States, you've been to London, um, you know, you've been everywhere. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves and what your collecting hobbies are? Yeah, we've uh, we've collected, well, I've collected since being six years old, so 40 odd years. Um, my wife's joined in when, when we got together Um She's slowly come into the Star Wars fold, and she loves it as well as I do. Uh, and our daughter Jessica, she she's Star Wars mad, as you may know. Um, I'm one of the vintage admin on Echo Base, uh, well-known UK group. Um, yeah, I, I don't know much more to say, really. And. 
I mean, Joe, what's what's it like getting dragged into the Star Wars world and I imagine kicking and screaming initially? As a wife, we learn to embrace. Otherwise, we don't see our feelings. (laughs) So it's a matter of embracing it and enjoying it. And you know what? We have gone on some mega trips up and down the UK. But when this one come along and he said, we're going to the United States, thought, great, we've got a holiday. Oh, we're going picking up Star Wars. All right, and we've got three interconnecting flights. Okay, that's okay. With an eight-year-old child. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was a shock. And it was lots of organising, but when they showed me what they found, it was it was pretty spectacular. To be honest with you, very very special. And these two were so excited, wasn't you? Both of <laughs> yeah. them were excited, like so, kids in in Toys R Us again, wasn't it? So um, once in a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. We, we packed our cases, booked our tickets. And, away we and the rest is history, as I say, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so let, let give our listeners, first of all, the background to the story then. So when did you first start to become aware that something was starting to come your way? So I guess this comes to me first, because I'm the one who, who kind of had the lead. Um, this is end of last year. Um, I've got a lead about someone in America, and... I had an email directly from this lady and then she sent me a lot of pictures. And as you do, you're like, is this, is this the real thing? Or, you know, you kind of question yourself. You're looking at these pictures thinking, you know, these actually don't look, because you get Photoshop pictures all the time of various bits and pieces. And is this, is this kind of the real thing? And she, she kind of emailed us, emailed me this message and said what she did. Sent a a list of uh, maybe three or four photos of, things that look slightly different than what I would normally see. And I thought, well, you know, I don't think these have been screen grabbed. They look look kind of legitimate. I've got an idea what they are and what she's talking about. But I kind of, at that point, I, I normally send uh, Paul a message. And rather than me going straight and getting super excited, I send it to Paul to kind of have a second look. Without saying what I think, I send it to Paul and say, what do you think of these? And then this is where Paul came in and came back with, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, we started getting a little bit excited, I guess, didn't we? We did. And um, as Tom said, he he sent me the pictures. When you look at them on on screen and that, they kind of look, you can tell there's a slight difference, but they kind of look like figures, if you know what I mean. They look generally the same, apart from when you look in more detail, you, you notice different colours to the legs and stuff like that and Tom himself um, noticed uh, a slight difference in the Boba Fett card um, I'll go sit, I'll quickly take you back yeah just just jump in there yeah. I didn't say where the email will come from yeah the email was signed off uh, this lady Joanne her name was who worked for the Kenner special projects team in 1980 so uh, that's why I started getting excited so she was a she was a Kenner employee at the factory so, and that's where these pictures came from. So, sorry, Paul, I jumped in where you were at Boba Fett. Yeah, it's all right. So, yeah. like I was saying, uh, we noticed, or Tom noticed the difference in the Boba Fett card. Um, I could tell there was something special about these items, but again, I might have been in the game a long time, but every day is a school day. So, I reached out to other specialists, um, 
that I've known over the years uh, and sent them images to get their take on it to see if we're getting scammed or if it was a real true grail find. Yeah, at which point, obviously, I responded to the email and tried to open some communication just trying to get a bit more background information on what we were what we were kind of looking at. So Joanne, the lady who worked for Kenner, she she gave me a bit of background that she worked for the special projects department. And she kind of sent me she'd actually formulated a catalogue for me to look through of various items that she'd had. Uh, it wasn't just Star Wars, there was Indiana Jones and a few other bits and pieces in there. So this is the second email she sent me. She sent me this catalogue. And at this point, I'm looking at it thinking, wow, this, this looks, you know, there's, there's mailer boxes I've never seen before in there. There's, there's figures, standalone figures, like first shots, unconfirmed. Kenner employee statue. Those things that there's no way that she could have taken off the internet. And at this point, again, I forward the catalogue onto Paul. And I said, what do you make of this? <laughs> <laughs> he starts to get a bit excited and I think you share, you start to crop some pictures and send them off to different people. Because obviously what we didn't want people to do, send them this, all these pictures and someone jump on it because they find out where this source mm. has come from. So you've got to be very careful in this, these early stages when people get a sniff of something sometimes. So you know, you're giving me the impression that you knew exactly what you had. Yeah, kind of, but we didn't want to get too excited because mm-hmm. you, can, you can go down that route sometimes and in a puff of smoke, it's gone. Because mm-hmm. what what we did know was there was someone else in US who was interested. Um, apparently, well, obviously, you know, whether whether yeah. that was the game, you know. We'll go on to that a little bit later on anyway. So I sent the catalogue pictures over to Paul, and he can carry on <laughs> what he did with yeah, those. I, like yeah. I said, I shared it with a few people I trusted and hmm. had greater knowledge of these things than myself waited for their response which all come back positive so that's yeah. when we followed up the lead then yeah absolutely I mean I mean Paul I mean you've you've networked in the hobby as much as anybody so you, you know who you can 100% trust in a situation like this and equally we know some of that perhaps would never ever send these photographs to and I think that's the importance of building good relationships in this hobby when people often ask you know what's the point in communities what's the point in Echo base what's the point that, that this is what sums it up here guys I've got something here but it's mine what's your advice on it and I think it was such a wide variety of items. We had to ask four, three or four different specialists in different areas. Mm. Could they confirm this is what we thought we were looking at? You know, the baggy groups, the mm. the variant collector guys, some guys who were first shot, you know, first shot prototype guys. Mm-hmm. I.e., if we're dropping names, we was it was it we spoke with Tom Darby, Frank, the baggy group, uh, Mark Andrews, variant villain. If anybody else, I'm forgetting you, but I apologise. <laughs> well, Paul, though, with there being non-Star Wars items as well, um, you said there was Indiana Jones, things like that, you must have had to reach out beyond that possibly as well? Kind of, yeah. The, the, the things with the other the items, some other things have been damaged over time, see, mm-hmm. where they've been left in the, the attic, um, and the Indiana Jones being one of them. But you could you could see... It, it was just it was just a, a couple of sealed items. It wasn't it wasn't like prototype type early Indiana Jones. It was just mm. part of what she must have had in the 
their kind of catalogues for that particular year release, I would have thought. Well, Paul, at some point you've made the decision to go to the States. So how did you approach that with Joe, who's going to be looking at these pictures and thinking, are you certain you know what you're doing here? Because I think this is going to be an interesting conversation you've had. I think we got to jump in before that about, we got we got to talk about the negotiation first, which was pretty brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the, yeah. The the, the uh, negotiation yeah. with Joanne was a lengthy negotiation. It went on for some time. Um, when we very very smart lady, yes, yeah. business very minded, yeah. yeah, yeah. She she's not one of these people who've got <clears throat> a, a foggy memory. She was sharp as a boss in this lady, and. Um, she she knew what she was doing. She knew what she had, yeah. and she had a price in mind. So we agreed on a price, uh, organised to fly over to visit her. Um, decided make it a bit of a family family holiday because obviously saying to my wife we're going to America to pick up some toys <laughs> doesn't sit fantastically well until you say I tell you what we'll make a bit of a trip out of it yeah. and that that's how how it turned out and I'll be honest she got as excited as I was because yeah. now she's been with me that long she shares the passion mm. uh, and that it's a family thing now where me Joanne yeah. Jessica which as you say we, we've traveled extensively UK US yeah. all over chasing the the hobby haven't we yeah but how did you what did you it's hard to see paul get happy isn't it (laughs) it's hard (laughs) to see him smile at something i think Uh, what was important for me at that particular time because we have to remember that paul had just undergone extensive radiotherapy and chemotherapy because of course he just had throat cancer so this was very, very early on in completion of his treatment. So when he tells me he wants to go to Atlanta, I was like, okay, let's process this. But it's logistics because we were still feeding by a tube. So it was all the medication that we needed to bring and everything else. So it wasn't a quick, just pack our cases and go. We had to to speak to the, the surgeons. We had to speak to the consultants and make sure that he was safe to get on this flight. And fit enough, really, as well. Um, so we did all that. We did some research and we thought, right, okay. And and because of what we've been through as well, it was kind of, he was so excited, as was Tom. And I just thought, you know what? Just to get that little bit of excitement back, I was happy to just to go along for the ride, if I'm honest. Um, and that's what we did, wasn't it? No, it was. And it was, it was so much fun and, and stress and... <laughs> It was Running through the airport, it was a bit like Home Alone, wasn't it? When you're pegging it for the next plane because you're just about to miss it. Um, I might add at this point, I, I can go. <laughs> <laughs> well, please, please, can you t- can you tell me you had to take Jessica out of school and put on their form? We are going to America for toys. <laughs> <laughs> and this was five days before Christmas. You've got yeah. to remember that element of it as well. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it was a big so, so these guys are about to fly out. I'm like Macaulay Culkin and, Macaulay Culkin home alone. Seeing these guys sending me his pictures, thinking, you buggers. I'm so yeah. jealous. Uh, but it was, yeah. 
send me a picture on their flight, <laughs> send me a little face. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> great before though. This is well. just what you needed just after your year. Yeah. It was just such a great way for you to end it and see you like actually I think so. happy again, seeing something that got you kind of motivated, which you've not seen yeah. for a little while, understandably. So Exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned Joanne then. So can you give us a little bit of background about where did you work and what was her role and what do you mean by this special part of the company that she was working in? Well, I'll let you to discuss that because you spot to her quite a bit. I did. Quite a bit. Yeah. So it was 1980 that she started to work for Kenner and she was only younger self, really. When she spoke about her role within that department is such enthusiasm you know it's something that she really really loved and every toy that come past her you know she got out and looked at and and played with in some in some respects i mean she was telling us stories of of the department having full-on lightsaber battles (laughs) testing these you know this these toys out um and i think it was such an important part of her her life because it was her first career wasn't it really from university from university yeah yeah, and and the people that she met and and also i think the friendships that she made it was it was really it was really special to her so i think there was an element of she didn't she loved these toys as if they were you know her own babies and she wanted I think there's a lot of trust in in Paul and Tom in making sure that these toys were not going to maybe a trader. They were going to people that loved Star Wars, that loved the toys, that still had that nostalgia about what they were holding and what they used to play with and things like that. So that was very important to her. And she said at one point, didn't she, um, that she was really glad that we actually came over and and as a family as well, because she saw that these toys were going to be cherished. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Paul, Paul is one of these that once he gets a toy in his hand, it never leaves the house, unfortunately. <laughs> Hence the attic full yeah. of toys. So it it was it was just really really special to us all, wasn't it? And especially to her. Well, and she welcomed us with open arms, didn't she? And you guys didn't just you didn't just see her for one day, did you? You hang out with her for the whole weekend. Yeah. She <laughs> taught <laughs> you around America, all, didn't she? Yeah. All time. Spent yeah. all time. Spent all five days with yeah. her. Yeah. But to answer your question, Rick, uh, she works in the special projects division of Kenner. Yeah. Uh, she was a, a, the assistant to the president of distribution. And then she got made up and promoted to, um, what was it? Let me just check me. A coordinator, project coordinator for the department of um, pre-packs. Store pre-packs. Wow. So, so that's that's where she ended up. Mm-hmm. And did you have any other fond memories to share as well of our time? Because I, yeah, I bet it's just got tons of stories. Oh, she. Well, she. This is uh, yeah. Again, I mean, she, she just... talks to you. They were very much a family at Kenner from from what Mm -hmm. she was saying. And they did so much together and spent so much time together. Um, And and she used to just tell us about just playing with the toys and acting out scenes. And it's just, 
you could just you could just feel the passion, couldn't you? Mm. Really for the toys and for for what mm. they all did. Um, and even when she left, she was going on to be to, to bigger and better things, of course. But even when she left, she said that they did this huge card and they all signed it, and they all signed it with a special moment they shared with her. Mm. And this was a, a, a full. This was on a full A3, huge size mm-hmm. board, and she'd kept that. I mean, she's now in her 60s. She was then in her 20s. So you can just see how mm. close she was to all of these people that she worked with. Yeah. I mean, the, the Christmases I'm let it be was something that was entirely special with parties and, you know, gifts and things. I've never known a company like, you know, Kenna for, for what they've done for their employees. Well, when she left, the Boba Fett was given to her when she left. It was one of her oh, leaving wow, yeah. uh-huh. toys. Le- leaving gifts. Yeah. Um, and the same with all the things that she got given because she had strawberry cupcake, which of all, of course, all the girls back in the 80s mm-hmm. remember that. Um, and all the boys remember the Star Wars. and Hot and Wheels. Were hot Wheels. Packs of Hot Wheels. And You're forgetting the, um, don't forget to mention about the Halloween story. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, this is she told this me is that. Uh, crazy. Yeah. Well, she, she said what after she left, uh, these um, pre packs and stuff ended up in in the her mum's oh. attic. Yeah. And over in America, if they didn't give them sweets, they give them gifts. Toys. And when these children were knocking on the door at Halloween, her mum used to go in the attic and give these children gifts out of Joanne's toy collection. So oh, yeah, so little, baggies. little baggies, <laughs> little Star Wars baggies or cupcakes or something like that. Halloween. And uh, she she did say to me when we was over there, she says when I think about it, my mum's cost me tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> 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 and children have had in their hands. Yeah. Holy I've got toffee cakes that broke your teeth when you bit into them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's you... wonderful. What a great story. Every Halloween. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've went five times. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely go to that house. You get Star Wars. <laughs> so if we focus back on the whole a second so but you mentioned the Boba Fett that you know initially you know piqued your interest so can can you go through what this entire haul consisted of and perhaps pick out some of your favourite pieces because Paul you mentioned a couple of pieces to me and I think I already know which, which are my favourites all of that go on Tom I'll let I'll let you go through it go on well yeah we'll go so there's a few bits and pieces we won't go through it all but we'll go through the the main pieces so there was uh an r2 first shot with um unproduced legs <clears throat> one of the earliest first shots if not the earliest first shot of r2 and that, that was a prototype and it, that had like a funny screw on the dome oh yes yeah and his legs were slightly yeah. different there was an ig88 first shot which it Mark from Variant, but it seems to think had had an unproduced head, um, which is interesting. We had two first shot wumpers, one with unpainted hands. Is that right, Paul? Because you've got, well, we yes. haven't got them in the minute. One's unpainted, yeah, yeah. one's painted. Yeah. yeah. We had obviously the mailer packs, 15 pack, 14 pack, and 8 pack. And there was some loose mailers because 
not loose maiders, loose baggies, because some of the boxes got destroyed in the attic. Unfortunately, it looks like there was maybe a was there a six pack? We thought maybe there was two four packs, but um, yeah, she'd already sold them. Yeah, but the, the, the but the mail the baggies that were left had a combination of other mailer packs where the boxes had been destroyed by water damage, which she'd thrown out, I think. And then obviously this Boba Fett card that took our eye as well that was that was slightly different because when we were looking at it, it didn't have a footer on it and the bubble was totally different. But we didn't have many photos of that, so we we kind of went over. Obviously, when Paul and Joe went over, we had some better photos of that and we obviously forward that onto Mark from Variantville and it and this is uh, a piece that we thought was very special because it we thought was it was a test pre-production test card that's what it turned out to be um, because it's the only known Boba Fett Empire card with a Taiwan figure on and do you want to say a bit more about it Paul because I can't remember there's so many differences with that card we have to share the link with Variantville because it's on on there but on the back it it, it has a different factory card. Um, yes. It's obviously Taiwan, made in Taiwan, which was never on an Empire Strikes Back card. Yeah. So it's the only one known to exist. When you look at the card in more detail, the print is slightly off. Uh, it has like a yeah. white line at the bottom. I believe that I was getting, it was explained to me when he was cutting it there's most probably been an alteration at some point and it's not cut it correctly. Uh, I d- didn't really understand um, when I was getting told uh, by, it was a printer, a guy who works in printing, explaining how they print the cards and stuff like that. So yeah. I didn't really understand what he was saying regards but that. It, but it was dead exciting because we, we sent it to Narayan, who works on the, the Variant Villain webpage. He's got the big Boba Fett focus yep. and He's got all the variant card backs. So we sent him a picture with it on and he he got dead excited, but he, he didn't think it was real mm-hmm. when he saw it. He didn't this, this isn't real. We need to prove this is real. But if it turns out it's real, it's it's unbelievable, basically. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is kind of like Star Wars history you're looking at here, something that nobody's ever seen before. And from that we <laughs> that's when Mark Andrews kind of we heard that Mark Andrews had seen it because we basically said, don't show anybody. But those guys got their own little WhatsApp group and share these finds together, which we didn't mind. And then obviously Mark Andrews, we sent it to him and he, his knowledge is just unbelievable. The stuff that he was coming out with about the card and looking at it in more detail and comparing it with other ones. It just blows your mind what some of these guys know. You think you know stuff, but like Paul said, it's a school day with these guys, like pulling that W on the back and the bubble and the figure. It was just... And he was just so helpful in identifying it. And then obviously we sent him the first shot pictures as well. And he had he was going through those. So without without those guys, it, it it would have been much more difficult to identify what what that card and those figures particularly were. So do we know what this piece actually is yet? Then is it a a test from a factory that perhaps failed quality control and it went and it went to another factory instead, or is it a combination of a few things that we're testing? Well, we sent it to AFA and Tom Darby. It's what what do, an unproduced, uncirculated pre-production test card. Mm-hmm. That's what they labelled it as. Um, it was blister cards believed to be pre-production sample due to many characteristics which differ from known 
production versions. The Empire Strikes Back card contains the Taiwan version of the figure, previously only known to exist on Return of the Jedi and Droids packaging era. The back of the card is made mar- marked in Taiwan as well as bearing the W vendor code. Known Empire Strikes Back production card backs feature made in Hong Kong text with K later added to indicate the country of factory origin. The blister seal also differs from known production versions as no footer is present. Taking this into account, it is believed this is a test sample sent from the Taiwanese factory back to the Kenner, back to Kenner in US for inspection, as Kenner would not begin producing versions of this figure until the return of the Jedi era packaging. Very rare and the only known example. That's wow. what they put on the, uh, the wow. sheet. So yeah, pretty special. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned varying villain, villains, and obviously yeah. we all know Mark Andrews. Now, unfortunately, even though you know we've we've praised him multiple times the work that he's doing, I've started to see a little bit of a backlash against some of the things that these guys are doing, as if to say yes. they're looking for things that don't really exist. But yes. isn't this the whole point of Varian Villains to have a look at things like this and go, yes. this is something new and to share it and for them to you know, I'm not gonna say put the reputations on it because it's already there in the first place, you know, but the this is ground you know, this is groundbreaking for them and this yeah. must really, you know, push their, their role in the community is without their knowledge, we wouldn't have a clue what these were. And you I know they, in the they get very, very excited with, when we sent them that over. Mm-hmm. And I think you could see, if you look on those comments when they first put it up, there was loads of debate going on, mm-hmm. wasn't there? And uh, I think I think some of the old heads, they don't like taking on new evidence or information. They find it hard to change their minds what, what things are. Once they've got something set in their mind, that's the way they believe it was. But I think when other evidence comes to light, it's important to take that on, really. I think, okay, there may be a different perspective on this, you know? I don't know what you think, Paul. I think without these guys and their research, stuff like this piece, this historic piece now, would have been completely overlooked. It would have ended up in somebody's collection a slight difference, and you would never have found out how special this piece was. Mm. So I think their, their work is invaluable. It would have just been given another letter at the end, wouldn't it? A 30G or whatever, you know, yeah. that's, that's where it would have been thrown. Yeah, yeah. It could have been described as a Taiwan figure on a Taiwan card, as simple as that, mm-hmm. when it turns out to be so much more. We did have to fight to get it labelled correctly, didn't we? It was people didn't wouldn't didn't want to believe what it was. So we really had to give evidence, you know, where it's come from and uh, particularly to, to AFA so they could properly authenticate what it was. Even though they could see what it was, they really did have to get the evidence to back up what we were saying, you know, because I don't think they'd ever seen mm-hmm. one like that either. So, well, they hadn't. They definitely hadn't. So, Which is how it should be. You know, they yeah. the, the should go to the nth degree and now they've yeah. been completely satisfied. There can be no doubt about it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely thing is it's not as though it's just been popped out of anybody's loft Mm -hmm. it's got a good background from an ex-employee working at the special division and it was accompanied with so many other special bits i've seen photos of the eight pack and i haven't seen photos of the 14 packs and to be honest with you i haven't even heard of the 14 pack before so what were the purpose of these packs are these for catalogs or were these just package for internal purposes I've, I've got no idea could you buy a 14 pack even well this is this is a bit there's a bit of mystique around these isn't there paul we 
nobody's really ever seen a 14 pack. It's not even Frank's, Frank's made of pictures. He'd, he'd never, even Frank had never seen one. I feel a bit better now. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's kind of a rumor that the 14 packs may have never even hit stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we don't know. Um, the eight pack, apparently there's one other person who, who may have got one, but that's yet to be seen. Again, they weren't even in the, in Frank's baggy guide. Well, Joanne didn't really go into great detail on if these packs ever was released. Uh, all she said, anything new uh, come through her department. So prototypes come through, pre-packs come through. They'd have a look at them, sign them off. Uh, some went out to stores, some didn't. Uh, but... Like you said, she was um, promoted to the coordinator for the department store pre-pack, so obviously she would have had these come to her. What makes this even more special is it's not 1990. This is 2023, and something like this is still coming out now. Um, You know, everyone says, oh, I wish I was back at Celebration 1, Celebration 2, room seals, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, yes, things may be more expensive, but it doesn't mean it's not as, it's, it's still thoroughly enjoyable hearing stories like this. Yeah. I think we didn't want to, you know, when you see people put hall posts up when some people don't like it, mm-hmm. we didn't really want to, we've been very coy about telling the story, but people have kept asking us and asking us, just got to tell us a story. Please tell us yeah. what happened, you know. And, you see people do it and they, people do get annoyed when they say, oh, look at this amazing pickup we've got. But So it's taken us a little bit of time to decide, you know, we, we want to just share the story because people keep asking and we say, well, we'll tell it in our time, we'll tell it in our time. Yeah. And, I, and I think the other part of it is you don't want to annoy the, Ameri- the American guys off that two Brits have come over <laughs> and taken some American history back to the UK. Yeah. You know, there's just part of that as well. So, But like I said, you took the gamble. Yeah, exactly. We love it as well. So, yeah. Well, we're all we're all part of this, regardless of whether it's kind yeah. or not. You know, we are all part of the Star Wars story. So, I'm absolutely delighted that something like this has come to the UK. And I'm pretty sure they're not bothered about nicking our palatoy stuff anyway, are they? No, no, exactly. <laughs> they do the same. They do the same. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the Vintage Rebellion podcast, guys. Thanks for having us on, Rich. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us on. See you. Thank you. Take Ray. care. Bye. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Will wrote Unhooded, one of my favourite action figures, which I don't own, Richard. I've been trying to get hold of this one for years, but the price just keeps going up and up and up, and I really regret not buying it from Dave Tree about seven years ago. Yeah, so this appeared on Facebook, oh, it must have been about two weeks ago now, and then a lot of the Star Wars fan pages ran with this story. So the actor who played Will Rohood, who was previously unknown, was found. And uh, what was posted on Facebook was, after decades of wondering who the man behind the legendary Will Rohood was, it appears that a Wikipedia contributor has figured it out. According to Keelman 2001, Will Rohood was played by actor and extra Egbert Sen, who emigrated to the UK for Pakistan in 1957, and appeared in some significant hit films including Raiders of the Lost Ark and Bond film Octopussy. Of course, we know him best for playing the galaxy's most famous Bespin engineer and flavourologist, and that's ice cream taster to you and me. Jedi Defender posted this, confirming this article and the identity of Egbert, 
Meet Egbert Sen. After years of trying to find the actor who played Will Wohood, his daughter Dolly has confirmed that he is played by her father. Sadly, Egbert passed away a few years ago. His family is blown away by the cultural phenomenon of Will Woe. Look for more to come. So Sen passed away in 2019, aged 87, after inspiring the most fun fan run of them all, The Running of the Hoods. What a name, Richard. What a name. Egbert. Egbert, yeah, definitely. I have to wonder, though, did, did he actually see any of the videos of celebration and the, you know, the chanting and the running? And I'd really let you know what he thought about that. I've got to say, for me, and guys, you can chime in if you, if you wish, but I find the whole thing, to me, is a bit of a nonsense. I've got no interest oh, in the Will Woe Hood. Richard. Uh, yeah. Go on, Wash take it away, Watch your mouth out, Richard Hutchinson. That's a dreadful thing to say. A legend. It is, it is complete nonsense, but that's oh, the fun of it. I know. Like, I mean, goodness sake, this is a character everyone loves, you know, because it's so, you know, it's just a bloke running through a, you know, a, an emergency call with an ice cream maker. I mean, for goodness sake, Richard, how can you not love that? Here's a question for you, though. Did, did any of you know that that was an ice Because I've never even seen an no, ice cream no, maker it's an before. Thing, isn't it? Is it, yeah, because I assume we didn't have them here. So I think that's maybe he's probably more iconic in the US because they know what ice cream makers are. So here is just some bloke, just some bloke running along. <laughs> yeah, he's running, yeah. I'm a little bit in Richard's camp on this one. I do, oh, enjoy, I do enjoy seeing everyone there. doing the running. That's been replaced by the uh, one way out guys now, hasn't it? But oh, they still both go on. They still both. Do they go both on. go it's on? It's another thing to join in with. Maybe, maybe I'll do it one year. I just think it's just one of those wonderful little bits of celebrate you know, that we can celebrate. And that's to me that sums up celebration, that sort of thing. You celebrate yeah. a little tiny part of Star Wars, which has no consequence. We built an entire. I mean, I was reading the Wikipedia entry on his character. To be fair, it's not that interesting, but they have created a story around the cam. What is now known as a Camtona, was in, of course, you know, they've given the they've given life to the device that he had in his in his hands. So uh, apparently, he was holding some important artifact or something which he dropped and broke it so but how wonderful that favreau and feloni brought it back in the mandalorian he knows as, as, you, as you say gave it life that's just wonderful <laughs> it is and for years now people have been doing that run you know it's a secret society you have to join the facebook group and then you only get told what time it is before about you know the day before or something so and you have to prove that you've already done the run yourself or you've got the costume ready to go so you have to send them pictures of you you don't just get let in anymore you have to be a proper wilro hood runner and serious about it they don't want any half-hearted attempt I just love that. I just love that. Yeah, when it's built. I mean, I've, I still treasure the sticker they gave me one year. You know, but that was, it was kind of like a, a pastiche of, um, ice. Yeah, the obviously the um, oh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. It's just, it's just, I just a wonderful thing. And hopefully we can pass on some love to the family of that guy. I mean, it's, I'm surprised they didn't find him out before because he's been in Raised Lost Ark and Octopussy. Yes, as a background character probably, but. Even then, you'd have thought he must have been on, a, on an agency list somewhere. Surprise it's taken that long. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. In your face, book. Richard, this is really annoying lots of people, so we've got to give it some attention. Yeah, absolutely. So, unbeknownst to me, some Facebook pages were disappearing, and probably the most famous one, from my point of view, is Stephen Danley's Star Wars at the Movies. That page just disappeared completely from Facebook. No apparent notice, no notification, just gone. 
but about two well, maybe not two weeks ago about a week ago Martillo Bartholomew started posting online to say that some of the French Star Wars Facebook pages were being removed and one of them is quite a, a, a popular Star Wars podcast for the, the, the French speaking Star Wars fans over in France and uh, they lost all their pages everything's gone all the history the whole lot and that started quite a panic um, and there was a bit of misinformation initially um, and lots of people started changing you know the, the groups from Star Wars to SW um, a lot of people were quite angry at Disney until everything settled down after about 24 hours and people started to you know put together the pieces of the puzzle so basically what's happened is similar to what's happened to lego as well because a, a number of lego collectors come forward and said the same things happened to lego is that the meta algorithms are starting to detect where possibly there could be some kind of conflict with copyright so they're being quite proactive it's hypothesized that of the many many millions of star wars facebook pages out there together with lego together with you know probably other properties like lord of the rings and star trek and those things facebook are starting to take them down and when i say facebook i mean instagram as well it's not just uh, limited to facebook they're starting to take them down but there is no warning whatsoever your page is just pulled we are aware of one or two people who've appealed against this and you know the has have been successful as of yet um and we are not aware of any facebook groups having been pulled down so we are aware it's only affecting pages at the moment but you know, as, as many people online, such as Chris Jorgoulis has been saying, it's best to be safe than sorry. Facebook is not going to be permanent. We are fully aware of that. And people like, you know, Ed Grant, uh, former guest host who used to run stores from UK, he's been saying this for years. You know, we're, we're taking things for granted. We're putting things on Facebook and, and they're not going to be around forever. Many of the Facebook groups are renaming their pages to, you know, SW. 12 backs or sw cardback guides or sw french collectors etc etc because obviously that removes the, the copyright issues assuming of course that the algorithm doesn't get so clever that it starts to have a look at the you know the group descriptions and god knows where this is going to end a lot of people are saying and, and jason I, th I think i'm going to come to you first because you, you were just saying this is one big overreaction you weren't impressed at all were you when it first came out the, the full story behind why these pages are disappearing, I think, is uh, a lot of the fan pages have been moved by Meta into their kind of business bit. And the business bit has this automated script that goes looking for copyright issues, which is why I think a lot of the fan pages are starting to see these problems. There's some Ghostbusters sites that have just been, been removed recently that people have lost because they've got the word Ghostbuster in them. And it's, and it's happening specifically to pages, not to groups. So, I mean, everyone's going around and removing Star Wars from their groups, but I don't think, unless there's some solid evidence that somebody's lost a group, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I think it's a big overreaction. My, my original gangster group, Vintage Star Wars action figures, is staying as Vintage Star Wars action figures, and if I lose the group, well, you know, rule on me. So, but I mean, that's my kind of... We're all fans. We're all talking about Star Wars. Um, you know, I, I think what Meta are doing, their their algorithm is just being overzealous, and it's really unfortunate the people who've lost their groups, but or not the groups, their pages. But I think for, for Facebook groups, there's so many of them. Are they going to go around and stop everyone talking about Star Wars? I don't think so. 
No, I agree with you there, but Andy Spoon's going to bring you this one. Meta's a business at the end of the day. Surely the algorithm will be able to pick up on the fact of the amount of transactions that are going on in these groups. Is there going to be a danger there that Meta's suddenly going to start having a second way hosting you know, the platform where there's thousands and thousands of pounds of transactions going on just in the Star Wars groups on a daily basis. Isn't that something that they're going to be wanting a slice of? 100%. I mean, we've, we've been talking for a while about there's a potential that Facebook goes the route of PayPal. You know, all, there's no fees, are there, for any transaction on, on Facebook. Now, people complain that it's become... Uh, just a series of adverts. I mean, it's interesting. You said earlier that you, you'd not seen many of the uh, the newest acquisitions. The algorithms now on actually seeing stuff you're interested in are really bad. Just see advert after advert. For me, mostly it's for pants. I've got plenty of pants. I don't know why I keep getting pant adverts, but I do. That's what my algorithms come up. That's yeah. about you, Andy. Not about things you like. Yeah, <laughs> I just love a good. I go searching for pants, and I love a pant. They're, men, they're men's pants as well, so uh, just make that make that clear. So yeah, very odd. But so you don't see half the things you want to see, and it's just loads and loads of adverts. But I just think, how do I use Facebook these days? It's very little interaction with friends anymore. That's what it was in the in the old days. You, know, you see what your friends are up to, holiday snaps, whatever. It's just all Star Wars groups for me these days. And primarily, I'm not a huge. I read the things with interest. I'm not a huge interactor. I don't post much, but I'm always looking for the the items I want to buy. It, for me, it actually is a shopping website. That's what I use it for. So yeah, if if Facebook want to want to get their cut from that and start clamping down, you can't blame them. And again, you, you said earlier, Ed, Ed Jedi kind of saying, well, that's why you got websites. It's a very good point. Facebook can disappear any time. Want to see their, um, you know, I can see a case for them wanting to see all the transactions going through Facebook Marketplace rather than just going up and posting. So I can see them trying to force that on people maybe at some point. That's the most, um, that's really dodgy, isn't it, Facebook Marketplace? All the scams. There's, there's someone that scams people with Action Men on a weekly basis. Same person, doesn't change their name, has like 10 rare Action Men for £40, and every week someone gives them £40 and then complains they haven't got any items. Pete, I mean, hasn't this been kind of threatened for quite a while now as soon as things like Pew Pew started to become more common? Is, is that even a thing? If you put gun, do you get banned? No, you don't get banned, but I think the, the post gets deleted, doesn't it, after a little while? Really? You get a violation message. Because, like, you know, surely the word blaster wouldn't affect anything because that's just a that's a generic term for other things blaster i mean i don't know i mean facebook's just rubbish anyway i mean it is garbage i mean that time i got banned for no reason got completely cut off there's no way of of i didn't I hadn't done anything you know i hadn't had a warning or anything it was just that i was, just couldn't get to my account for about i don't know was it about three weeks four weeks something and then suddenly just came back without any explanation I tried to get on the Facebook groups, the community groups, nothing. It's just, it's just a, you know, I said Facebook Marketplace is such an unregulated unreg- selling platform. I mean, I mean, it's it's good for if you know if there's something like a TV or something you want to get hold of and you pop around someone's house, that's fine. But anything else, you know, no one ever sends anything because everyone's terrified of it being a scam. I, I mean, someone needs to have a look at Facebook and properly sort it out because it's just a mess. I don't, I don't, I don't like the platform. Cue Andy Preston, who's ready to say, what we need is a good forum. 
What we need, Rich, is a good forum. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I, I think it is, or a, or a, a wiki, or whatever the, whatever the youth are using today, a repository of knowledge. And we, we talked about this a few months back, didn't we? Facebook's here today, gone tomorrow. You can throw stuff off on a thread. Facebook search uh, engine is so dodgy, you can never, ever find it again. If there's good info out there, then yeah. Stick it on a forum, stick it on a wiki. But Facebook is not the place for long-term storage of information. The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Dodgy droids and sham snags, not more repro nonsense, Richard. Yeah, I've seen this uh. pop up recently and... You know, Will Flipinski does some wonderful and wonderful work on the Very Villain Facebook group, but he's made a wonderful post, and I'm going to hand this over to Annie Preston because you put this one in the show notes. I did, Rich, and uh, I, I can't do any better than read out what Wolf has uh, said on his post. So, repro alert. What we all expected is coming true, it seems. Blue Snaggletooth and EV99 are on the market now, have been for quite some time, with COOs. Uh, so the the copyrights that the vintage figures had, no Smith Lord creations or stand solo markings. Whoever it is mark- making these is unclear right now, but there are two sellers on eBay listing these, and uh, Wolf has put up some pictures which are directly from those listings. Uh, fortunately for now, there are ways to tell these apart from vintage figures, notwithstanding the COO. For EV99, If you have a look at the back of the figure, right in the back where the spinal column would be, there's it it almost looks like a corkscrew. And on a correct vintage figure, there would be four bolts or four sections to this corkscrew. Uh, On a repro, uh, they have got five. So uh, four bolts, good, five bolts, bad. Uh, And if you check the pictures on the Variant Villain Facebook group, you'll see that very clearly. Blue Snaggletooth, Wolf says, check for the huge dent in the soles. And again, some great photos that are listed. You've got the normal peg holes in the feet, but in one of the feet, there is also a very big indentation in the, the sort of main part, the toe area of the feet very uh, obvious when you see that so wolf does say not sure yet if these appear on all of them uh, but be aware and also be ready for more to come with these false copyrights i mean the ev99 that's a, a basic mistake that i think that unfortunately be corrected very soon but the the blue snag surely that dent is just a bit of I don't know, working in die casting, we would call it, you know, something like a bit of crap still in the die, you know, a bit, a bit of metal that was still in there when it wasn't cleaned out properly. Um, so I would imagine it would be a similar kind of thing with the blue snag where there's some dirt or some contamination in the in in the tooling and, you know, when it's been injected molding, there's a bit there. And that could have been cleared away and there could be a huge run of these now that actually don't have that dent in it. Could well be. Uh, I mean, it looks to me, it, it, it is a very big dent. It looks like it's something that could have been put there deliberately uh, as a way of mar- marking these. You know, that some of them have had different copyright uh, markings on the back of the legs to differentiate themselves. Uh, and I think this might be the same. But as you say, very easy to rerun that mould 
uh, and issue repros without that. So as with all these things, do your homework, check for authenticity, buyer beware, unfortunately. Very odd, that thing on the EV99. I mean, that, you know, to have five things rather than four. So it's, what, like, it's, it's like it's deliberate, isn't it? Pete? Yeah, it, it seems very deliberate. I mean, that is, uh, you know, that's not just a misstep, is it? That's because I mean, I'm assuming they did this in the cheapest way possible, which is just to, you know, uh, stick a, a, a original figure in a mould. I mean, I wonder what the modern one. I wonder how similar the modern one is to that one. If it's, I've got it somewhere. Uh, I think I know what it is. I have to go and look, see if it's got the five prongs on the modern one because they are quite similar. Some of the items, the parts of the modern one. Could be. Um, I mean, it, it it may be something that the repro makers have put in there deliberately as their own little tell, so they they can tell their own apart from the real vintage ones. Which is possibly. which would be a better thing, but it's still going to fool people. We're still going to. I mean, how much are they uh, charging for these nonsenses? Stupid money. Because I mean, this is what, what always amazes me. People will like pay a hundred pounds for some of like this, and you go, hang on, you just save up for a little bit, you know, for a year, you'll better afford that the the original. I mean, there's plenty of them out there, or there's plenty of them come up for sale. So it's not like they, you never see them. So I, just, so I don't understand why would you pay a hundred pounds for something or ninety pounds when you can just save up and have the genuine article. It just always sounds very strange. Absolutely. I mean, it, as as everybody knows, we on the Vintage Rebellion are very firmly anti-repro. I think it's a blight on the hobby, and the, the more that we can do to point out these fakes and make people aware of them, the better. Yeah, very strange that that, that those additions. But there we go. Maybe they were doing it. In, the, in in their head for the right reasons to so you could easily you know we have these arguments don't we? and you can easily tell because you go yeah but you still want to fool somebody throw in a box of figures and say rare figures someone's going to pay a ridiculous amount of money for it and by the time you go back home it's like oh yeah death star approaching estimated time to firing range 15 minutes return of the yak so this is this is like real repro well, exactly, Pete, isn't it? Safe um, repro. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got, I've got to say, I think the Yak Fears was the reason that I probably stopped collecting the retro collection, um, mainly because of the, the Yak that was packaged with the Haslab Jabba Seal Barge. But if I had known that they were re-releasing it at some point, which, you know, in hindsight, it, they probably were going to do anyway, um, I may have kept the, the line going. But... The blurb on this one is Luke Skywalker leads a mission to rescue his friend Han Solo from the clutches of Jabba the Hutt while the Emperor seeks to destroy the rebellion once and for all with the second dreaded Death Star. Inspired by the original 1970s Kenner Star Wars action figures, this Star Wars retro collection of Star Wars Turn the Jedi multi-pack features premium design and 5 points of articulation across all figures. These 3.75 inch scale figures are detailed to look like Admiral Akbar, Wicked W. Warwick, Mon Mothma, Emperor's World God, Gamorrean God, and Yak Fears characters as they appeared in Star Wars Return of the Jedi. These figures feature classic Kenner branding, as well as packaging treated with the weathered look. Imagine the excitement of the 70s when the Star Wars original trilogy had just begun. Include six figures and seven accessories. Available for pre-order now, it has Pulse and other major retailers. Now, I've got to say, out of all of these, I mean, yes, Yak Face is, you know, he's Yak Face. And one of the beautiful things about this is, is that these Yak Faces should, in theory, hopefully, prevent some of the, the, the other reproduction Yak Faces going for a hundred, two hundred dollars, whatever it is now, um, flooding the market. But 
I just don't know why they didn't stick with things like Mon Mothma, you know, and a slave Lear and things like that. You know, the, those are the characters that I was looking forward to getting. I didn't want, I don't want an Admiral Akbar, I don't want a, a Warwick, I don't want an Emperor's World God, I don't want a Gamorrean God. They've been done a thousand times. I know, I mean, I mean that pack, that special pack is just an utter waste of time. And so you're spending, what, 70, 80 quid? Or whatever it's hundred pounds, I don't know what it is, and you get a nice box, which I have to say the box design it's lovely, very simple, you know, effective, and then you get one figure really. I mean, obviously the yak is going to, like you say, it's going to might ease some of the pain of people who, who think, you know, I don't want to spend four hundred pounds on one, and you can have a nice. I mean, I bought a Boba Fett one this you know, this week off someone only for a tenner. I thought it'd just be nice to have a, like a, you know, a vintage Boba Fett on a card. I'm not going to have an original one. That will suffice just to stick it on the wall or stick it in a box or in wherever I put these things. But like I said, the Mon Mothman is the only exciting thing that I'm excited about. I mean, I hope that they release them separately, but I don't think they will, will they? Because let's face it, there's no way they're going to sell Emperor's Royal Guard, Akbar, Gamorian Guard, you know, Wicket. I mean, Christ on a stick. You're just not going to make any money out of that stuff. But you will make money out of people wanting the modern offer. You're going to see so many of those figures, Gamorian Guard, Akbar, Emperor's Royal Guard and Wicket on, you know, Echo Base for a fiver in about, you know, a month's time. Because no one wants those figures. It's just utterly ridiculous. In fact, they're, they're going to cost more singularly than the vintage figures. <laughs> you can get a, you can get a loose you can probably get a loose emperor's or garf but probably a tenner you say that pete but for modern collectors who haven't got the vintage figures i think the previous releases the star wars and the empire ones have been quite popular i think they've sold reasonably well great to see them on mothra absolutely i i'll be after one of those hopefully to buy singly as you said but i think there is a market from the more casual buyers perhaps not not the vintage collectors for those old 70s, 80s style figures. I, so I, I just, it, do, you think, do you think the, the selection of, or the choices is really poor? You know, they could have had, even like some of the figures that were released, they could have had, you know, they could have even done Luke Stormtrooper, couldn't they? And that would have been a much better attempt than they could, a Wicket. Although not a Jedi figure. Um, no, no, but I mean, it, it doesn't matter. No one's going to care. You put a, a, a Luke Stormtrooper figure in there, it wouldn't have mattered. You could have done a Han Solo figure in there, a Han Solo Stormtrooper figure in there. Uh, but an easy thing to do, you could just, they've already done a Han Solo, Solo re-release, stick his head on a Stormtrooper. It'd been, it'd been an easy one to do. Uh, are you uh, missing, are we missing the point that, you know, I think a lot of people do buy these to open and have the loose figure, but they're also the carded collectors of these and there's completists. So, you're saying you're sort of dissing Wicket there. Wicket's a great figure, a great vintage figure, a great reissue figure. But one of these carded Wicket, you know, what's a what's a Wicket on a Jedi card? At least 60 quid, isn't it? If not 100. I don't know. I'm way out on my prices probably. But it, let's say he is 60 quid. This for a tenner, for your casual collector, they're going to go that for that rather than a, a vintage carded. So I, I think there is a market for these. I'm not saying there's not a market. I just think I just think they they seem to be so wide the mark on their releases, and it, you know? especially Yakface for a tenner. I mean, I, I can only hope that that really hits the repro makers hard in their pockets. Yeah, but it, it, only if they release it singularly. If they if you can only get it for this 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 multi pack, then it's not going to work. You know, how have the other multi packs worked? Have, have they had exclusives in them? I've no idea. I've not followed it. I think, I, think, I think they've all come out singularly. I think it's the first time they've had 
I think I think quote me on this. I think they've always had multi packs where the figures been pretty run of the mill, like a boss gonna fall on or something. Came in a two pack, and they've had other four. Yeah, they they released the first was the Empire ones or the Star Wars ones in its own box. Which there was a big Star Wars one, wasn't there? Yeah. But they're probably after the original releases of the cards. Maybe this one's other way around. But that well, Mothma is fantastic. Really great figure. Yeah, I do. I'm loving that Mon Mothma. I mean, I, I, would, I don't know if I'd buy the entire pack to get one, but if they sold one singular, I'd have it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I was I cut these loose. So. Yeah, but hopefully one of the Chinese sellers, the, the, the guys who sell these things separately, will uh, will have them available. Is it Tung Hori? Yeah, Tendori, he's, he's normally got them. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, if they, if they sell them singly, I'll probably, I'll definitely pick them on Mothma. I, don't, I mean, I might get a yak if they if there's lots of them around, but uh, I've got a yak, so I don't really care. But I do want them on Mothma, because when they do release an, an original figure, I do like it. Absolutely. I wish they'd do more of them. I just don't understand why they don't do more. It's they the can third, really nail it. It's the third one, isn't it? Because um, we had uh, Tarkin, and then we had Luke Snowspeeder. Uh, and now Mon Mothma, but yeah, I, I really wish they would do more. There are so, so many figures that could be released uh, in vi- original vintage style. Uh, That's a good point. Know. That's a good point, Andy. Was t- they were only available in those board games, weren't they? They yeah. were, yeah. yeah. Yes. I've got I've got them both. Jason yeah. Frenzy. Modern Frenzy. Yeah, lo- lovely figures. Fit right into the vintage line. They do. I mean, I do, I do like them. I mean, I've bought some of the... Uh, a couple of the Mandalore, yeah, they, the the nice Darth Vader they released in the Mandalore, really nice figure. But again, the, the other ones didn't really, you know, I didn't, they don't really fit in my vintage shelf. But that that one did because obviously had a very vintage look to it. But they, they just have these two run the mill figures. I want they should go, they should go out and do it in a Man of Man. Man of Man or uh, yeah, I, I still think a hand storm to it is needed. Good morning, a Man of Man. Hey. You know, I mean, a hand, a hand solo in Stormtrooper guys will be such an... You don't even have to do anything. A hand Stormtrooper know. is really needed as a it vintage is. figure. And the other one, Rebel Fleet Trooper. Yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised by that. They haven't done that. You'd have thought that... that see, that would have been a great one for the Star Wars pack as the the unique figure. It's almost as if they're just not listening. It's like, guys, you're going to kill it if you just release these figures. Because I, I love putting these the original ones in my vintage collection they look really good like Tarkin looks brilliant next to Vader yeah absolutely I mean Rebel Fleet Trooper that's an army builder isn't it you'd buy like six of those yeah I mean especially they released the, the Tantive uh, play set not too long ago and they'd look brilliant in that um, and obviously you can get other versions of the figures but I just I just think they, they're such a slow burn these things like, oh come on get on with it I think they'd make a fortune if they actually really went now for... Because, I mean, if we'd done Return of the Jedi figures, where are they got to go now? Obviously, they're going to do, you know, the Ahsoka series ones, and they're going to do, you know, any other series that comes up. But, you know, they could, they could nail it. They could really... I just don't understand why they're not listening. Anyway. Yeah, you'd sell to vintage and modern collectors alike. you got a double yeah. whammy there. Quick question for you. Do you ever take off your retro sticker? For me, I obviously open them, but it's irrelevant. But... um. The, the Boa Fett will be the only one I won't open. I'm actually, and, and I've also got a Princess Leia one, obviously, for the uh, the car back that I haven't opened. I don't uh, remove the retro stick. I think it looks, you know, it's kind of a thing of its time. I like keeping uh, it on. Board games are still shrink-wrapped. Yeah, well, yeah. On the board game figures, so the Tarkin and the Luke Snowspeeder, not only do I remove the retro sticker, I also put a Palatoy <gasps> sticker over the Kenner logo. <laughs> 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 
Oh my god. I'm like, I leave mine as is. So I've got the Tarkin board set it's from that local entertainer to me. Every now and then has something really cheap. So I just kept that shrink wrapped. Like, yeah, I kept mine. I've got, I've got the. I haven't got many of the vintage line on the retro ones. I've, pro- I've got a hand solo, Hoth, maybe that's it. But yeah, I'm with you, Pete. It's, it's sort of. That's what he. I'm not trying to pretend it's something else. Certainly not a palatoy, Andy. But that's all. You know, the, the scuffed edges bother me more than the retro. Yeah, side. it looks really naff, doesn't it? Oh, talking of Tarkin, I've got I've got a new carded Tarkin that uh, I got from May the North be with you, which is which we're getting closer. It's almost there, but yeah, another Tarkin coming. Tarkin, yeah, I I quite like that for you. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. Right, this is going to worry Andy uh, Preston, because I know that he's got his... his it's going to worry me. I've got three details. <laughs> yes. My collection. So, What's going on with the details? Tell me Way now. of exploding details. Yeah, I saw a picture of this online, and I have heard of a similar story in the past but I'm going to pass this program back to Andy Preston because I'm guessing that he was the one who did uh, the research on this the exploding debt of I did indeed and uh, a cautionary tale here from Henrik Wolf Rasmussen again on the Echo Base the Vintage Variants group this time have to share this experience with you guys woke at 3am tonight not sure what the reason was whether I needed to take a leak or the crashing sound that I heard from somewhere in the house I got up Checked all rooms where the night alarm is not activated. I had a good view of most of the living room, all the conservatory, all was peaceful. But I could hear the sound of dropping glass in the collection room. One of the doors has got a window in it, so I looked through, and although it was dark inside, everything looked fine. Went back to bed, but I couldn't sleep, so I got dressed, had a walk outside around the house, everything was fine. So I turned on my phone torch went into the collection room, and I was met with this sight. The door to one of the Detolf cabinets had simply exploded. Fortunately, there were only 20 figures and some mini rigs in there, but those 20 figures consist of four Takaras, seven Top Toys, eight Glass Leet, and a Tall Toys Joa vinyl cape. So I was not happy, but relieved it was not a burglar. And Henrik's put up some photos of the damage, and yet... The door to one of his dittles has just completely shattered. Uh, it does look like safety glass because it's shattered into tiny, tiny pieces. But, uh, Andy, what, why is it exploded? I don't know, but this does seem to be a thing with dettols. If you put on... Uh, but, uh, I, I need to know why, why, am I, why, why are they exploding? I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. If you put exploding dittolfs into Google, you will find a lot of references from all sorts of collectors about dettolfs that have just spontaneously exploded. And there doesn't seem to be a particular reason why. Nobody sort of hits them with anything. Uh, I suspect it's due to perhaps how they're put together, whether there is more stress on one part of the cabinet than another, uh, whether one side is screwed in more tightly, but uh, I I do think it's probably a good idea, anybody who's got one of these te- these cabinets, just go around, take a look, give the glass a little bit of a wobble, make sure that there is a little bit of movement there. Uh, if you go up and wobble your doors, won't they explode? Well, I don't know, that is the danger. I mean, my I, I do uh, change my stuff around in the cabinet. I'm not so going in my collection room again, I'm staying out. Yeah. Exploding dettols. You know, 
the, the, the door, obviously, it's a door. It's designed to open. It will open and close. Yeah. What makes it explode, I don't know. But as I say, it is a thing. So watch your detolves. I've been waiting for you, Oberon. In Cincinnati? What on earth is this about? Yeah, I saw the picture of this, but I didn't read the backstory. But um, I'm glad I have now because what an amazing find. So this was the Cincy Toy Museum and Buying Centre on Facebook. And they posted on there, new to our museum, an incredible find. In the mid to late 80s, overstock Star Wars Power of the Force figures weren't easy to sell. Several years after Sir Alec Guinness gave his legendary performance as old Ben, kids preferred other action figures over an old man with a bonus coin. This particular treasure trove was donated to a church to distribute to children, but ended up in storage and remained there until it was unearthed and sold to the Worcesters playing in our museum. We'll be keeping it all together to set and to preserve the history and story while on display. Tonight we feel like Indiana Jones since that belongs in a museum. We spent well into the five figures of our personal money to acquire this collection. We aren't a non-profit, we are keeping this together and will enjoy it as a nice display. Anyone else will be splitting it up, grading it and flipping for a profit to keep. We like to think that when history can be preserved and a story can be shared, we are different. It was likely forgotten based on how it was stored. It wasn't uncommon for many different places all over the country to receive overstocked toys by the, ca- by the cases. Even as a child I would get free kind of toys in preschool and in our elementary carnival. Stale product back then was given away and used as a write-off. Now the toy companies crush, destroy and bury it as a write-off. We have the shipping box here, so on the side of it it has uh, Kenner, um, 96 pieces, 85 Return the Jedi Star Wars minifigure, Ben, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And in there is a lot, I don't think there's 96 of them there unless they've only got part of them in the photograph, but there is a lot of Star Wars Power of the Force Ben Kenobi's. Uh, that is brilliant. It's a really, really good um, photograph. It's fantastic. You know, the things like this are still being found. But how many times have I said this, Pete, over the last, you know, getting on towards eight, nine years now? How many times yeah, but when do I, said, why do I never find this stuff, Richard, and become exactly, rich? Exactly, exactly. Not fair. Mm-hmm. So, wonderful, wonderful item. It definitely does belong in a museum, but these card figures are in looks in you know wonderful condition the box perhaps a little bit tatty but obviously the box has done its job and it's protected the contents really really well so wonderful wonderful post and a good spot there Andy Preston right here's a little weird little story Uh, this is one for me uh, Stormzy the Stormtrooper stolen in Stratford Richard so this was there's a shop in Stratford Stratford from where I live is about 10 12 miles just around a corner really where my dad grew up and i spent much of my childhood over there uh, so it's a little shop vintage toys and bricks so it's all it's not quite scrappy enough for my liking but it, i've been there a couple of times and they had outside the shop it's sort of like in a nice little area they had a massive one of those modern jacks pacific 32 inch stormtroopers which some people used to hollow out and make a stormtrooper costume for their little kids so he had this, it's well known for having this out to the store, had it there a couple of years, and on the 4th of July, it got stolen. So he's on his Facebook group, and he's going, look, you know, who on earth stole this? It's utterly ridiculous. It had several marks on it. Obviously, he has not revealed what they are, but they had you know, identifying marks, just in case it did turn up at a car boot or something. And then, on the 17th of August, so not only a few days ago, the shop put up this message, message, 
Thank you to everyone who has contacted me regarding Stormzy. A stormtrooper was seen for sale in the Lock in England auction in Leamington Spa, which is where I live, just around the road. I spoke to the auction house this morning and had it taken off sale. The police are now investigating it further. However, Stormzy was seen to be leaving with a police escort this afternoon. So fingers crossed, coming home. What a stupid thing to do. You know, you've just stolen it. He's obviously flogged it to somebody or put it in a lot. And then, what, 10 miles down the road, he's just going to put it in an auction. I mean, for goodness sake. Hopefully that crook will be caught or will be traced back. But, I mean, it is, yeah, we do say it a lot, don't we, when things are stolen. Just have a look out for these things appearing. And there we had it. Just down the road, it appeared. So hopefully get your Stormtrooper back and the criminal will hopefully be uh, identified in court. Is it worth saying, Pete, that the uh, the seller of the auction feasibly has bought it from somebody else? Yeah, obviously, yeah. I mean, we, we have no idea how he's got hold of it, but yeah. it's a little bit odd, isn't it, that, you know, this is a well-known shop. He's on all the groups. For that to, to kind of go past the radar and appear at an auction house, a little bit suspicious, but there we go. I will update any further elements of the story, but um, it was annoying because it, it sat outside his shop. It said it was well known to people, it even had its own name, and uh, just wanted to steal it. Shocking that is, but um, yeah, quirky story, a quirky one. Just a quick shout out, Pete, on a similar topic. In-demand toys, very well-known online yes. retailer, Star Wars and other products. I mean, they, they sell modern, they don't touch vintage, so not really within our sphere. But uh, they had a burglary a few weeks back. If you go on their Facebook page, there's a long and detailed list of what was sold. Uh, I don't think any's turned up yet. But uh, uh, again, if large lots of modern figures turn up looking a bit suspicious, do go on In-Demand Toys Facebook page. Just make sure that it's not any of their stuff, and if it is, then obviously notify the appropriate authorities. Woolies woes. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. So a collector who we all know uh, goes way, 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 way back uh, to the Rascivy days, I believe, certainly uh, big on level scum, um, who we won't name, but we'll just say that uh, about 15 years ago, he took money for a book that still hasn't been published from many collectors, and we'll just leave it at that. He offered a Woolworths 8-pack on the Deal or No Deal Facebook group. So I'm just going to read his description out here. Now, bear in mind that this is a well-respected collector. He um, may or may not be a partner in a very, very big grading company. Um, so there's certainly some kind of kudos and, you know, a lot of people are going to sit up and take notice to his words. And he posted, deal or no deal or buy it now for $15,000 or best offer. So we're talking a lot of money here. One of a kind Boba Fett Woolworth special buy 8-pack Star Wars figures. This is one of, if not the best undisturbed set in the world. I bought this directly from the late great Jim Star Wars Stevenson in the UK that bought it directly from Woolworths to 99p. He was a Palatoy direct distributor in the 80s and when Palatoy started loading him up with cases and cases of worthless trilogos he went on the hunt at Woolworths weekly to see if he could find any of the elusive Final 17 Power of the Force figures that were hitting the US at the time. He never did find any Power of the Force figures and fully believes that they never made it inside these body 8-packs. Now he does capitalise some words like never and we'll come back to that. But he was able to find the second best which was a UK version of the Boba Fett. 
Here is the set offered for the very first time. If you are a Boba Fett collector, then this is your one-of-a-kind item to add to your collection. The baggies came untaped from Woolworths. Some came with no baggies, but not in this case. And the outer bag had the tape slightly dry and popped open after being sealed in a box in my closet for 20 years. For these pictures, I opened the outer large baggie for the very first time and the limbs of all the figures are unsnapped, untouched and have never been out of their individual baggies. Boba Fett is the proper light pale blue, non-painted knee with a scar where the COO would be. You will never find a better, undisturbed set than this one ever again. So let's see if we can get a deal done today. So it's a very, very detailed graphic description written by somebody who's incredibly knowledgeable about Star Wars figures. I mean, I must admit when I read that, uh, I take a bit of umbrage on the unsnapped um, and now untouched because obviously he's opened them. So, you know, I've, I've assumed that he's had to have touched them, equally been touched by the people who put them in the baggies. But I always put unsnapped with C-3PO and Death Star Droid. I wouldn't put unsnapped with any other figures because... You know, it's, that's just me and my thinking. So the first post of note was from one of the vintage villain variants, uh, Craig G. Thomas, who is a, an, an expert, as far as I can say, on Luke Jedi. And he identified that the Luke Jedi baggy had been assembled from various parts. A Taiwan cape, a Hong Kong figure, and a China baggy. Luke Jedi wasn't made in 80s China. So there was the first clue there that there was something not quite right. Now, obviously, we're not saying that the seller has put this together. Equally, we're not saying that Jim Stevenson has done this. But something, somewhere has assembled this figure. And Craig G. Thomas certainly knows his stuff um, with regards to Luke Jedi. So Frank Muse had then posted he'd already made a couple of comments regarding the pack. As it's a match for my old scene example. Though there were many discrepancies in terms of baggy types, the figure CEOs and the accessories, as well as the outer bag being from the other of the two Woody's promotions, as they came in in line and offset font versions, which we assumed to have come at different time periods. One was a summer sale and one was a later winter one. Mine has a mixture of loose figures as well as baggies. These come heat sealed and taped by the way as well as open ended and often a rather random selection of weapons and accessories frequently not even matching the figures in the pack. The Luke Jedi is a huge red flag. And just to clarify this is one of only two confirmed seen examples known to exist. Well the only two that could be traced. So a couple of flags here was posted you know some doubts were made. Uh, the post got pulled. Um, now, I've got to say there, guys, before going any further on this, I mean, you've got to say well done to Craig Thomas, and you've got to say, you know, well done for Frank. The, the, the two of them have, you know, highlighted to the members of the public uh, and the Star Wars community, this is a $15,000 item. If you're going to buy this, you've got to know your stuff. Um, and these two have highlighted this as a particular problem. So spoons are going to come to you first. You know, we can't thank Frank enough certainly for for what he's done over the years and years and years with with baggies. And without people like Frank, without people people like Craig, perhaps we wouldn't have even known about Baggy Gate. You know, the, the, which seems to have really gone quiet. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed, but the the baggy 
market in general seems to slow to an almost standstill. You just don't see the amount of bags for sale anymore. No, and it's it, it's a market that you really, if you are buying baggies, you need people like this to help you because for for us, you know, untrained people, it's a minefield, isn't it? I mean, and, and it's like with this instance, fifteen thousand dollars for items that I, I wouldn't know what goes in the right baggie or not. It, it, I wouldn't dream of spending that much money on something I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't actually aware of. And then when, you know, if you've got a big name seller selling it, I can see how people just uh, think to trust that person, you know, the, you know so you know, we, we sort of, a little, uh, what was, what's the word, Skir, skirted around the subjects a little bit, you know, this, this person's got a, a little bit of a shady past with uh, other items that weren't perhaps what they what they seem it is a minefield and i and if it wasn't for for frank and craig and co you know what what would we do i i, I suspect baggies probably wouldn't be worth much more than the loose figure now jason i'm coming to you next so the seller is certainly well known from a baggy point of view he's made some amazing early discoveries he wrote a wonderful guide on us baggies but over the last 10 years or so I am very aware that Frank's tried really, really hard to join forces with this seller to create, if you like, the definitive guide of of American and European baggies and, and, and to pull it all together in one thing. But for some reason, this American seller absolutely refuses to engage. He just will not engage. Isn't that a bit of a, a lost opportunity? Because, Jason, I mean... In order to create your palatoy guide, you've lent on the so on the shoulders, and you know, and, you, and, you, and you've shared information, you've received information to create a very, very comprehensive guide. Don't people need to work together to make these? Um, generally, yeah. And um, if you're looking to do a site on baggies, then you know Frank's not involved. It's going to be a lesser guide, isn't it? Absolutely. So, for what reason would you think that somebody would refuse to 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 support or to lend any weight or to to even you know communicate? Because um, a post from Frank, which I had um, spotted probably before I spotted uh, some of the other comments in there, was that uh, he said I made a couple of comments in reply to the members who tagged me on the post, none of which were derogatory and were all fact-based replies. Um, in the past, I've had a few crosswords on posts on various groups with the seller previously, and in every instance, I've been calm, polite, and only offered up fact-based information, in contrary to what they are stating. Sadly, every time this person is proven wrong, they just stop responding to discussions, and they walk away from reality. Why would somebody do that? They don't like confrontation. A lot of people don't. Mm. I mean, that's possible, but um, I come to you, Andy Preston, so, I mean, obviously, this seller is a partner in a big grading company. I uh, I mean I mean this grading company's taking a bash after bash after bash after bash. But if, if if you're making it you know well known that you're part of this grading company and then you're making statements like that, pulling in words like Jim Stevenson and, you know, putting words like never in capital letters, you know, being very, very clear on what you believe, surely you've got to get the information correct. Yes, I would agree with you. And, you know, we, we can't say that there's any wrongdoing. Uh, it may be that this is an honest mistake. Uh, it may be that he's been misled. But 
it does not reflect very well on this individual and I don't think it reflects very well on his grading company because the two are very much linked aren't they yeah absolutely but Pete I mean you know there's many people out there who just don't believe the the level of detail that some of these you know variant villains and and some of these people who create these wonderful guides they just don't believe it they, they think we're looking for things that don't exist is this possibly another thing that we are just putting things together because they fit perfectly? You know, who's to say that this is a Taiwan cape, for example, on a Hong Kong figure? I mean, surely back then, could things have swapped from different factories? Could people have just ordered parts from different places, slapped them together? You know, certainly towards the end of the run, we've just grabbed things, put them all together, chucked them over to Woolies, Woolies then sell them and they're out the door. Yeah, I, I really have no appetite or desire to even consider baggies. <laughs> Sad as that is, there's just so much stuff that no one really knows. Probably will never, ever, ever know unless someone's out there hiding from a factory in 1977 to 1983 or four that could reveal these mysteries. Uh, just no, no interest. I would never touch a baggie. I would never. Even gave one to me, I'd probably just give it away. Just no interest. Well, I, just, I, I don't, just don't, I don't collect baggies because I don't think they they look particularly nice to display because the figure you can't really see them. You know, if it's not a clear bag, you can't really see the figure anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, they just I just have no appetite for them, but mostly because I, I could understand if I was a folks collector and I wanted one in a bag, you know, because it came in a set or it came blah blah blah. But there's I just ugh, it's just always a drama with the baggy thing it's just constant as soon as I saw a story which I have to be very honest I switched off I just went you know what I don't care just just they just don't you know it's one of those Star Wars things which I just you know yeah great you know I mean the people collect them fantastic I'm sure they're having great fun but for me not a thing I want to even get involved with I'm, I'm going to answer Richard's question they asked you, Pete, as you don't want to get involved. Yes, please. And, and I can't answer it from a baggy perspective, but I can answer it from a car back perspective. We see different licensees paired front and back on car backs. Could we not see that with figures and capes? You know, just throwing that out there. Not saying that's the case in this one, but you're right. You know what? There is a randomness to what we see out there, and people are always very sceptical when there is a kind of mismatch thing that should, doesn't make sense. You know, I'm thinking of the uh, there's a land speed, I think it was maybe a Tie Fighter that had um, Clipper Meccano front and a Toll Toys back, two very rare card backs in themselves paired together. Instant thoughts: this this can't be true, but the person bought it, it was just like normal car back price from someone, you know, sort of not really knowing what it was. There's a kind of, there's, you know, no one, no one can say for sure it is real. Don't get me wrong. And there's other examples like that. But there is certainly a kind of end of a line element to some of this stuff, I'm sure, where they, a whole load of stock gets some sent somewhere and it's paired up. Whether that, you know, whether that's true with figures, I genuinely don't know. But with car backs, I, I that's my view on those that you do get weird mixes and they are genuine for me in that sense uh, and uh, as has been said before craig thomas is the expert on luke jedi figures what he doesn't know is not worth knowing 
And for him to say that this was a China baggie and Luke Jedi just was not made in China, you know, I, th- I think that's case closed. Yeah, and the, there's a couple of guys on the Baggy Tastic group have pulled apart some of the initial comments. So, for example, Del Hooper um, has posted that he was talking to Steve from UKG and he is absolutely adamant that Jim was a firm believer that the last 17 did appear in the Apex. You know, so yeah, it would make sense. You know, they're running towards the end of the line. What's the end of the line? The last 17. And there are some photographs of other people's baggies, um, including a Boba Fett. So for it to say that this is the only Boba Fett known to exist, uh, there's just so many red flags on this. Now, I'm not saying that the sellers, you know, obviously done anything here that is untoward. But when information isn't shared and people don't communicate, then we get things like this. So all I can say is, thank goodness it disappeared before somebody paid the $15,000. And I hope it didn't appear on another website somewhere. For example, the Boba Fett focus group where, you know, people like Frank perhaps wouldn't be tagged in it. Rebel base, one minute and closing. Imperial Peril. Andy, this is one of your stories. Yeah, this was a, a slightly worrying story for any of us out there with uh, with websites and, and kind of links back to the argument that forums are safer than Facebook. Again, we were talking about earlier because Stuart Goodburn posted in the Echo group on Facebook. They had a link to the the Imperial Gunnery group on Facebook, which I must admit I wasn't aware of until until this league. I think I'm a member, but I've been in for ages. So he says, hey, everyone, since 2009, the Imperial Gunnery has been trying to help the community by providing ways to make your hobby safe and informed when it comes to reprint. I think we can all agree they do a fantastic job on that. Uh, sadly, we've been informed that as of August the 31st, the site will be decommissioned as the host, Webs, is no longer serving as a provider. We were initially were told we'd be moved to Wix. Then we were told we need to move off to another provider we just informed that our site pictures information can't be downloaded or saved to migrate our only option will be to move everything one by one it's a tedious process and with five weeks we'd have to hire an outside web designer to do this since we aren't for profit we're deciding what to do one option would be to set up a gofundme to just cover the cost of hiring someone to move the site the other option is to sunset the site now let on this, on the group, there are loads of people chiming in. I'm a web designer. I can help you. Yeah, GoFundMe's great. I didn't see any resolution. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has seen this or is aware that this is this has moved on. So yeah, there was loads of offers of help, but but no one there. But then, as as of this week, Jason, you've been going through a similar thing with your yeah, Palatoy Carbat. Yeah, uh, my Palatoy Carbat guide. So originally, back in 2006. My kind of IP provider uh, was FreeServe, if you remember them back in the day. And they had a web builder offering that I used to build um, that website, which then became webs.com, which is the the, the company in question here. And I've looked through and I've missed the emails. And same thing's happening to me. They're they're saying we're closing the site down. You have until at this point next Thursday to move all your stuff off. Uh, and then it's gone. So that website's been out there for 16 years. So it's had a good run, but I basically uh, I'm going on holiday the day after this gets pulled. So I'm looking at this weekend moving the website. Now, now for me, it's a bit more of a manageable thing. It's 
it's a web page with 43 sub pages on it. So it's, you know, it's 43 pages and I'm a techie guy. So uh, hopefully, um, I've, I've, I think I've just found the new Bluesmobile that I'm going to publish it on. I mean, what, I mean, I know, I know it's an old website and it needs a lot of work and rewriting, la, 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 la. But initially for now, all I'm going to do is get a copy of the, it's one of these sites where you have a web builder where you type all the information in and it generates your web page. Half the edits I do, I just edit the raw HTML anyway. So I'm just going to take the raw HTML, HTML pages for now and just just post them somewhere else. So I'm in the process of doing that right now. So, uh, yeah, it's a pain. But as I say, it's the web. People think you can just publish stuff on the web and it stays there forever. Generally, it doesn't stay there forever unless you're kind of paying someone money to do it and everything everything's at risk everything can go away so it's just it's the nature of the web your, your best bet is having the same information replicated in different places if you want it to stay around for a long time but i say the future isn't certain so well this this calls jason so obviously my um nearly in fact we've only released three of them so far the diecast videos for my diecast website there's a couple more recorded which chris is editing at the moment this is the time for you to be doing the same with your palatoy matrix doing a little feature on each car back so we've got it on uh, on youtube and your new website you've got belt and braces approach yeah yeah my name it's kind of logical that once you've done the the diecast one that i would do car back ones so uh, yeah but um stuff on youtube's fairly kind of safe you know it's kind of not going away anytime soon well say. don't don't say that yeah, exactly. Yeah, nothing's. That is just a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, yeah. YouTube tomorrow could just say, you know what? We need to free up, you know, fifty petabytes it, of it's information. So many photo sites. Yeah. I'll, I'll just delete you into several photo sites, and they've gone right. We're turning it off. We're charging money. You know, it's just keep keep your stuff locally. Have it backed up. And be prepared to move when you when necessary. I think is the case. Yeah. Well, I still listen to records. The Imperial oh, exactly. Gunnery website's actually gone. It's already gone. There's nothing there. Yeah. Oh, shit. It's, well, that's mine, dude. Let me have a look. And they, they posted August the 31st, the had till, but yeah, you type on. in the, the reference guide website, it's already gone, so hopefully they did manage to pull it all down in time. I mean, the thing with my website, I have never trusted the, the web host provider, so every time I've edited a page... I take a local backup because I've, I've always been prepared for the fact that thing could just die on me at any moment. There is there is always the web archive as well, believe it or not. It's still there. Um, yeah, which, that, that kind of messes, you know, from a technical point of view, it's kind of... Yeah, like, yeah, it's not, it's not perfect. But if you did lose, like, text information, I mean, um, my website, when I did back in, oh, my goodness, it must have been late, two th- no, late 90s, um, my goose2.demon.net website, which is just a load of rubbish, basically, and party invites. It's still there. It's still there. I cannot believe it. that is a long time ago, mm. and you can still access it. Because, I mean, I was looking at Power the Force 2 website that someone put up, and the information is still there. It's still there. So the web archive does have a lot of stuff. Obviously, putting videos on it won't save them, but text. There is that as your fail-safe if you have, you know, or most fail-safes. Imperial Gunnery should still be on the web archive at some stage. Because basically every time you do a major update, well, it kind I've, of managed, saves it. I've managed to get my front page and I've managed to get it onto another site with all the images working. But then 
all the menu links down the side link directly into the old site. So I've got to I've got to download them all and then do a mass um, search and replace to make them go locally. And I think I should be okay at that point. So hopefully it won't be too much work, and I'll get it done this weekend. And get, but then I've, what I then I have to do, I then have to publish the new site, make it known, get it linked into places, and then it'll have to it'll have to work its way back up the rankings. But what they are going to do is they're going to pull the old one, so the old one will completely disappear. As so if I, to prefer to your your layout, your site, Jason, it should be quite easy to re- replicate that on a if you wanted to do a WordPress site or some, you know, a Joomla site. Uh, I, mean, I, just, I just don't have. I mean. It, it's a it's a very mature site at the moment. If I was going to redo it, I would I would redo it and and you know have a go at you know redoing the whole site, putting new information in. For now, all I want to do is just replicate what I've got. I think mean, so. Rebel base one minute and closing. Right, Richard. We all stand together. A positive end to rebel briefings. Yeah, absolutely. So this is all to do with those little yellow palatoy stands. Annie Preston, I'm going to come over to you. These little yellow palatoy stands, I mean, they come with the Land of the Jawas playset, don't they? They do indeed. I think you get two with Land of the Jawas and you get two in the palatoy cantina. Uh, exclusive to those two sets, or so we thought. But there was a post recently... And this is from a guy called Paul Roberts on the Star Wars Pelotoy Collector Facebook group. And he's put a post up showing a Empire Strikes Back turret and probot set that he's recently acquired. And this looks to be a uh, it's, it's not unused because the stickers are on, but it's in very good condition. And it's got the cardboard insert and it's got the instructions and the bounty hunter capture log and the used sticker sheet, uh, the poster catalog. But what's intriguing is that on the cardboard insert, sellotaped to it, are two of these yellow figure stands. Uh, he says, attached to the insert are the two mustard-coloured palatoy figure stands, which look to have original tape. From my research, I found that officially they only came with the Land of the Jowers and the Cantina playset. Can anyone shed any light on other finds? And he's had quite a few replies. Uh, some people saying that there were two included with a Star Destroyer playset, also Imperial Attack Base. Somebody else uh, saying, uh, yeah, they were with the Darth Vader Star Destroyer, but maybe not on a consistent basis. So what it looks to be the case is that they were perhaps overstock. They were left over from the earlier sets the star wars play sets because of course those weren't sold again in the empire or jedi eras and they just packaged these up with some of the other boxes and got rid of them it looks then as if they were with the turret and probot with the star destroyer and with the imperial attack base Uh, so those are three out of the four empire play sets uh, the fourth one being dago bar not an awful lot more information other than that several other people have confirmed they've seen it with those sets as well and then a comment from a chap called pete jones who says he was a palatoy rep uh, back in the 80s uh, he says all sorts of offers were going on with various retailers he could remember a retailer specific promotion around that time he thinks it was martin's that gave away two extra figures uh, with these packs. During manufacturing, these stands would be added 
and the figures put in afterwards. Maybe, he says, they ran out of the specific figures and the stands were already in the box. So interesting little story. Uh, I tend to favour the story that this was just overstock and they were getting rid of them by packaging them with other playsets. Uh, certainly not the case with all of the uh, playsets. You know, it, it seems to be very, very much a rarity, but an interesting little palette oddity that I've not come across before. So uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much to Paul Roberts for raising that particular topic and also everybody else that contributed to the discussion. Hey, Chris Porteous here. I'm very excited to share a panel from May the North Be With You 2023. We had the absolute pleasure of reuniting John Celestri, Larry Jacobs, and Brian LeMay, who all worked on Star Wars projects at Nelvana, and it was really fascinating and hilarious to hear them catch up. The panel is hosted by Mike Freeman from Fourth Moon Toys. Fourth Moon Toys was a sponsor of the event, so go check them out for all your vintage Star Wars needs. Be sure to check out the May the North Be With You YouTube page where you can find the panels from last year and this one with an extended Q&A and the other three from this year will eventually be up there too. And enjoy this Nelvana reunion panel with John Celestri, Larry Jacobs, and Brian LeMay. Welcome back. Hopefully Thank everyone's you. well fed and <laughs> yeah. uh, good to go here. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, so now we get to kind of dive into an interesting part of um, Star Wars and Canadian history that Thanks, it maybe hasn't been delved into too much before, and and that's the Nelvana connection, uh, both the Christmas special but beyond. We've obviously talked already a bit yeah. with John about uh, the Christmas special, uh, but I think this is really interesting because. Uh, We've all already nerded out as much as we can on on toys and know everything there, uh, and I think to a lot of people in the room, animation is a world they don't uh, they don't really understand. Uh, but to start the off, world is strange to us. It yes, is. Yeah. It is. And and time-consuming and a lot of work yes. by yeah. the sounds. Yeah. yeah. So we already met uh, John Celestri who worked on the Christmas uh, special and was at Nelvana till 83. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourselves as well and tell us a bit uh, about what your particular roles at Nelvana were. So Larry, do you want to start? Okay. So uh, I started at Nelvana in 1977 as an assistant animator, and John was one of my uh, my key animators. He was my supervisor and taught me lots of stuff. Uh, and then I became an animator at some point. And then from there, I became an assistant director and then a director. So I directed for many years and directed a ton of half-hour, 11-minute series productions at Nelvana. Cool. And, and then 
a number of other places after Nevada showed me the door. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you're a Sheridan College uh, yep. alumni? Sheridan, yeah. Yeah, which is just uh, a stone's throw Just away. over there. Yeah. All right, and Brian, can I introduce yourself? You gave the Coles notes. Like you, didn't, <laughs> yeah. you didn't talk about any of the shows you worked on. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, let's hear. Well, what, you can uh, check besides... me out on Internet Movie Database. Yeah, yeah. Although, don't believe them all. I did not work. I didn't work on Midnight Movie Massacre. That <laughs> I have some other Lawrence Jacobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Care Bears, Babar, uh, Beetlejuice, Magic School Bus, Cyber Chase, Johnny Test. Uh, I'm running out. Oh, and you're getting oh yeah. To so present. I worked on, on droids and Ewoks yeah. Yeah, yeah. as an AD. Um, birds? Oh, yeah. Birds was a show that I created and uh, was on yeah. ABC for one season. Uh, yeah. But it was fun to go through that process oh, cool. and have that experience and, and get screwed by the network. And, <laughs> You'll and hear that, that term a lot. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Screwed by the studio or yeah. screwed by the uh, network. Yeah. I did some 3D projects out in Halifax. Uh, some. Bob the Builder was there. And uh, Space Ranger Roger. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, n- no, it was... Um, can't remember what that was. <laughs> but it was a Hanson thing. Doozers. Oh. Doozers, thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Brian. So now now you've got to give a quite detailed... Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so when yeah, did get, you, get when did you start at Nelvana? And you're Sheridan as well? I'm Sheridan, yeah. And, and I, then when did you start at Nelvana? Well, I, I went to Sheridan in 77, uh, uh, the year that Star Wars came out. Mm-hmm. And I should preface it by saying that I am a Star Wars geek. Uh, I love Star Wars as soon as it came out. And uh, I remember it came out in May. And that, uh, that Halloween, uh, I made a costume of Luke Skywalker oh, nice. and my, my best friend dressed up as Darth Vader. Now this is before yeah. cosplay was yeah. big. Yeah. Uh, we made his mask out of cardboard and then coated it in fiberglass and spray painted it. Oh, wow. And we made our lightsabers out of flashlights and golf tubes. <laughs> and, uh, and we went to high school at the time and uh, I think we were in grade 10 or 11 and uh, you weren't allowed to get dressed up for Halloween at that time. And we walked in proud as could be as Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. But what was great about it was it was like Spaceballs. My friend was like this tall <laughs> as Darth Vader and I'm like Luke Skywalker. And we immediately got kicked out of the school. Um, oh, so, worth it. so that's that's to preface my, my Star Wars uh, geekiness. Um, so then I went to Sheridan College in, 80, in 77. Uh, I dropped out of second year, got a job at Nelvana working on rock and roll as an assistant animator in between her first and then assistant animator. I think some of the earliest stuff I did was with you, Larry, on uh, taking up to the ball game. We were a team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, after rock and roll uh, in 19, immediately after rock and roll finished uh, Christmas of 82, I got a phone call uh, early the next year, 83, to come into the studio. Mm-hmm. Out of the blue, she called me up, the, uh, um, uh, Dale. Dale Cox yeah. All right. called me up, production manager, said, do you need a job? And I said, yeah, I need a job. Yeah. Well, come on down to the studio. So I came down and uh, she walked me to the back of the studio and sat me down at a desk, didn't tell me what I was working on and said, someone will be by to talk to you. And they plunked a script down in front of me and I looked at it and went, okay, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And someone else, I think Pete Sauter came up and uh, explained what was going on and said, you're the character designer for the show. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> Open it up, yeah. Inspector Gadget. <laughs> and so uh, I am I'm was the primary character designer for all the secondary characters. So Penny Brain, Quimby, 
and uh, Gadget were already pre-designed. I did everything else in the show. So if uh, Penny had a little buddy that she ran into, I designed that character. All the mad agents are my designs. Uh, animals are all my designs. And anytime Brain was in a costume, that was my design. So then after that, uh, I went, we, uh, what happened right after Gadget? Gadget? Oh, I got burnt out on Gadget. Uh, went to LA to surf for a little while. Um, came back and then I was a pizza delivery specialist um, <laughs> for a year. Uh, and then finally got a call uh, about Ewoks and droids. Mm -hmm. And I had never done, I was a layout artist and I had never done layouts before. I was always character animation or yeah. character design. Walked in, did a uh, test for show three on Ewoks, uh, was one of the Duloc scenes and uh, immediately got the job. And so uh, I became a layout artist on Ewoks and droids. And that must have been pretty cool if you were a Star Wars geek to begin I, with. To this is this is the thing that I tell people. It never registered in my brain that, holy crap, you're working on Star Wars. This is so <laughs> cool. You should be so, this is so amazing. All I was concerned about was the fact that I wasn't delivering pizza anymore <laughs> and that I was working in animation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what consumed my thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So what... Um, what was Nelvana like back in the seventies when you guys guys started? Because Nelvana was founded in seventy one, um, and so you know it was already a slightly established company. But uh, you know how big was it? What, what was uh, what was the culture like in Nelvana then? Um, okay, uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's put it this way: uh, it was called. It might have been called uh, the flying by the seat of their pants. <laughs> Because none of them had actually worked in professional animation, you know, doing out stuff production-wise. Yeah. Um, there's some basic, basic things. I mean, there's, uh, let's see, uh, things like they didn't copy exposure sheets, so everybody just passed around the master sheets and worked on that and divvied up. And if you were working on a scene, half of it was like, um, you know, you get a, you know, you'd get a scene and then you'd have the sheet. They divvied it up. And, you know, if the editor wanted it, you'd head out, go and he'd grab it from you and go and work with it. What happened is that I, I had come from Raggedy Ann and Andy and I said, uh, this is kind of crazy. What we need to do is copy the sheet on, you know, whatever the scene is that you're doing you know, copy it, give us, give the animator a copy of mm -hmm. it, and then we can, you can recopy it onto the master sheets or what have you after and afterwards, but at least you have that and just staple it to the folder mm -hmm. so that they're not flying all over the place. Let me backtrack. Yeah. An exposure sheet. Yeah. It's about this long. Yeah. And it's got lines across it. And every line on that exposure sheet represents a frame of film. Right. So, what goes on that exposure sheet is uh, by the animator. As they're animating, they might animate you know, 70 drawings. They label that on each of those lines where they're supposed to go. But usually for television, we're doing one drawing for two frames. Yeah. You can get away with that. Hmm. And, but sometimes there's a hold, so you, you might hold. Oh, and there's layers because it's animations. Uh, there might be a head and then a body and then a legs. So you have a, a separate layer for each one of those items, right? Mm -hmm. So you could hold the legs and hold the body if they're not moving. Uh, and then also th on those exposure sheets, the, the soundtrack was broken down. So the side of that exposure sheet, there was a column for the soundtrack. So if somebody was going, hello, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. there was somebody in the edit suite with this 
headset on and a mag track and they're going back and forth and and so they would figure out on that exposure sheet where the h is and the e and the l and so because animators we all have like a a way to draw those mouths yeah Yeah. lip sync yeah and, so, it, and, and it would be phonetic. The best, the best ed- sound editors breaking down track just don't write the words. They write the sound phonetic. phonetically. Yeah. That way you understand. And then also the really good ones hit, you'll give you a hit as to where it sometimes the sound starts slow and then hits and then comes down. So if there, if it's a really good editor, with a good ear will give you that that oscillation up to a point and then diminish and that way that's yeah so so all of that has to be written down and and described it's um and, and then and then something like with in the limitations for exposure sheets we only could use six levels you didn't have 99 levels as you do, or, or an infinite, infinite amount in computers because of cell acetate, you know, so that the weightness. The number of sheets you could have yes. with yes. different elements. And on. that would be six. And yeah, you can six. only hop a, a, a jump. From, if you have, if you're in the middle level and you, of, a full, of a full figure and you want to split characters up and move in different uh, parts, you can jump up one. Or down one, and so you can. Everybody in the audience right now is going. What? I'm sorry, but but you know this is technology. Yeah, I thought you guys were nerds and wanted to know the minutia of this. This is this yeah, is yeah. this is all part of what we brought to the holiday special yeah. and to androids. This is how we worked, and this is you know this gives you an idea of the culture of what we were all about. It's very analog. But yet, it's very minute. Um, uh, minute. You know, you have to be so. Given all that, the idea of only having one exposure sheet as a master sheet to be handed around to everybody, going will and nilly, mm-hmm. you lose that exposure sheet. You're screwed. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's a major piece of it. Just, yes, it's just a, a bit of that. Like, the you that is that uh, the rule that we would often run into in animation? You'd see your stuff coming back, and, and the lip sync wasn't working right. The the rule was make the visual of the mouth first uh, before it comes up on your exposure sheet. Mm-hmm. So if there's a if there's a P on your exposure sheet, so this would be the mouth for a P, and so you put that a frame or two before the actual sound. Yeah. Because visual stuff transfers to your head faster than the actual sound. Uh, Unbelievable, but that was the rule. Yeah, I, I got a funny side story about lip sync and yeah. exposure sheets. So very early on, uh, Melvana, to keep up with production, we had to start sending stuff overseas. Uh, first was to Japan. I think uh, Gadget was sent to Japan. Who? Ga- Gadget. 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 Yeah, Gadget yeah. went to Japan. Gadget went to Japan. Yeah. So would that have been? Early 80s? That's 84. That was 82. 82. 82, 82 83, actually. It would be, it would, 83. Yeah, yeah, 83. Yeah. Yeah, we went to Japan first. And then, yeah. and then, you know, then we ended up using uh, Taiwan, Taiwan and, and Korea quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, South. So, so the classic story was uh, <laughs> on the side of those exposure sheets what would be the breakdown of lip sync. And it wasn't in Chinese, mm-hmm. uh, it was in English. Uh, but for lip sync, we had a code that was set up and that code was created by Hanna-Barbera, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so A mouth was, was closed, 
and then D mouth was wide open, <laughs> and then E mouth was ooh like that, and there were some other yeah, variations of that. There's a tongue on top of you yeah. for, yeah, for a la. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so all that was written down as A, B, C, D, D, right? According to the lip sync. Yeah. So overseas, uh, they would understand those letters yeah. as being what, what the visuals should look like. They didn't yeah. know what the letters were in English. Yeah. But also on the side of uh, that sheet was director's notes that would tell the animators overseas uh, along with the drawings from the storyboards, mm -hmm. uh, what the action should be. So uh, one day, the lips, the uh, character, the director's note said, uh, "Character bites their nails nervously," which and then they translate that English into Korean for the director's notes. And so the, the scene came back looking like this, yeah. <laughs> 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 because evidently culturally. Uh, whatever country it was animated it didn't bite their nails nervously. No, so so all they could <laughs> believe it was in their mouths was like, this character's eating their fingers. Yeah, yeah. What are these crazy, yeah. crazy Canadians up to? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, John, when you started, were you one of the more uh, experienced people? There oh, yeah. Now, I had, so I, when I, you were kind of bringing your best practices? I was bringing, I was bringing two feature films into, into that, into a yeah. studio that hadn't completed their first half-hour TV special yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, John was a wealth of knowledge, and, and then there was a Greg Duffel, yeah. uh, who had already worked at Richard Williams, yeah. uh, and then there's some other guys at the studio that had a lot of stuff under their belt. So it was it was great to mm -hmm. have that education after Nelvan after Sheridan College. Yeah. So I walked away from Sheridan College with a degree, but that's about all. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was totally raw, yeah. like I I knew nothing coming out of college. Yeah, because I had dropped out of second year. Because I knew I was going to fail because I had missed a couple of assignments and ah. and mm -hmm. uh, so I was just looking for an out and I had a an interview with Clive and Clive I think thought I could heat up the studio a bit with my, my body heat it wasn't <laughs> there was nothing in my portfolio I thought that would we, get me we, a job but we. he hired me and yeah, and no, uh, no. I my learning curve I remember the very first month that I was there I was terrified uh, John Collins I worked on one of John Collins scenes. And he tore me a new rear end uh, on the very first scene that I in between because I did such a crappy job on it. He called me every name you could think of, just reamed me out. Mm -hmm. Like it's stuff that would not be socially acceptable yeah. nowadays, yeah. you know, for the kids today. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, you know, complaining and saying, how dare you bully me. <laughs> Fred, Fred Nissen called me a sleeping spastic. Yeah. Oh, man. He, he just... He reamed me out, and I knew immediately if I was going to continue in animation, I had to smarten up and and start to think about what I was doing when I was drawing. Yeah. And my learning curve just shot right up. And then, of course, we immediately jumped onto rock and roll after that, and that was a whole new learning curve as well. So for me, as a green person, I look to these guys. I mean, I never said it to you guys outright, but I really looked up to you and, and respected the way you drew. It was uh, it was something to aspire to, so I just well, drove for that. All right, next Thank question. You. But in general, in general, like I think your original question was, what was yeah. the atmosphere? I, I thought the atmosphere was very loose. Mm -hmm. um, everybody yeah. was disciplined, but man, it, it was, was a lot of fun. It was so yeah. much fun. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was fun, and all inside of a fish warehouse. Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. on, if you on the second floor of the Queen's Key. Terminal, uh, which I is a terminal there warehouse. Issues there, you mentioned the the body heat or whatever. Was well, it? Yeah, it was very cold. I found the, yeah. the yeah. studio was very yeah. cold yeah. in general. 
Yeah. Uh, um, they, well, part of that warehouse was Booth Fisheries, yeah. where they had frozen fish from all, all over the Great Lakes. Yeah. And they had cork on the wall, uh, like that thick, like, yeah. like cubes of cork. Yeah. That was the insulation used yeah. in the early 1900s. But it was below us. Yes, it was below us, yes. Yeah. Yeah, interesting, that was below us. And then on our floor, there there was a, also Dempster's bread. Right. So and, places, and, and, yeah. Well, so when smelled. we were doing, yes, when we were doing, when we were doing the holiday special, uh, you know, they were, they were defrosting uh, hot dog and uh, hamburger buns at about 120 <laughs> degrees, you know, running the heaters next to us. And so, and that's, uh, it was in June. Yeah. And uh, May and June. And uh, we were sweating. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't put air conditioning. I mean, there was no air conditioning. Basically, yeah, you know, not yet. That's not right, there. it wasn't, but it was cool. Yeah, it was, it was you were okay. a bunch of young guys and just kind of. Uh, yeah, I, I was, but still, I was twenty. I well, yeah. I was nineteen when I started, yeah. so I was just. A, there were rats all over the place. Yeah, yeah I remember the rats. Yeah, yeah. I was what I, uh, for for the Holly special. Was I was I was still twenty eight. I was still twenty eight years old. Young dude. So, yeah. so it was in the warehouse right on yeah. Lake Ontario, at the foot of uh, York Street. Yeah. And they would throw ropes across the streets yeah. down there yeah. in wintertime because uh, everything would ice over off the wind off the lake. So they threw ropes across so nobody would slide off. Yeah, slide off people the did. pier. Yeah. People yeah. drowned yeah. down there. Yeah. 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 The closest, uh, I mean, the, the furthest at the, uh, the end of the building where the entrance was, was where the camera is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, to the water. To the water. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know what they've done since then in terms of- It's the same. I think they the might same, have guardrails. Same thing, but, okay. But I know, I know that the building that we were in, <laughs> yeah. the Queen's Key building, I was saying this to one of you, is that where we were, the, our physical studio was, mm-hmm. is now being gutted. Like there's, it's an atrium now. So there are no floors. Like I, I went in there uh, about three months ago to oh, yeah. try and retrace my steps, mm-hmm. and where my desk was, there's actually an open chasm to nothing, <laughs> two floors down. So, yeah. uh, and I was on the very outside edge, and so yeah. right behind me was a wall. But and there was they a, turned it into a big atrium. There was a skipper restaurant. Yep. Yep. The skipper. A, on Friday, which the, was a tugboat. The, on Friday, the I bank was that. there. Yeah. So yeah. The bank was there, and then the skipper restaurant. So you didn't got some sink? money. Didn't it went, sank at some point? Didn't it? Yeah, I believe it was condemned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, I'd like to get get an idea again, getting into the minutia of just like how an animation project like uh, droids or Ewoks, like how that actually gets made, because it seems like there's five million things that that need to get done. Mm-hmm. We can maybe just use droids and Ewoks as as an example on that. But like specific to droids and Ewoks, um, how how baked was the stories or I, I know you guys weren't in the negotiations with Lucasfilm or anything, but do you know, like, how much did they come with? Here's what we want this series to be about and how much was left up to Nelvana? Yeah, you. I think a lot of the original scripts came out of L.A. and then eventually script writers from Nelvana hopped on after they, the L.A. writers mm-hmm. that uh, I assume we're like hired by by Lucas to carry off what the show should be about. Well, Ben uh, Burt and uh, and Joe Johnson um, were both pretty involved in droids, I know, and I think did some writing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Ben Burt was a sound engineer on Star Wars, and and Joe Johnson, mm-hmm. one of the um, I guess concept designers. Designers, yeah. Yeah. Well, to touch on your question yeah. about the the process, one of the things that that 
most people don't understand about animation is that it's it's like the Manhattan Project, you know, Oppenheimer, the mm-hmm. movie that's out. They when they were doing that, they had people compartmentalized mm-hmm. so that nobody knew what anybody else was doing on the project. And animation is sort of like that in that there are different departments within the entire project where you have the writers who write the script. They just sit at a typewriter and they write and they write and they print out a script. And then you have people who are designers. Like when I was on Gadget, I would get a script and it would say, um, in the case of Gadget, Mad Agent uh, runs across the screen and has to do this and do that. In the droids and Ewoks, it would say, Wicket swings across to the platform and and knocks uh, one of the Dulocs off or something like that. so that would be the descriptive passage. So that would then be taken by the designer who would then say, oh, I need a Duloc. What does a Duloc look like? And they would design what the Dulocs look like. Mm-hmm. Now, again, being compartmentalized, I don't know who originated the Dulocs or yeah. who originated Wicket. Yeah. Or because, I mean, obviously it was after Revenge of the Jedi. So yeah. the Ewoks were already in existence. But yeah. who actually uh, came up with that concept? I don't know. But internally within the studio there was a design department of maybe five ten people they, they were concept paintings mm-hmm. uh, yeah. illustrations that came from right lucas right but then would then be taken by the individual artists right mm-hmm. who were character designers so you would have character designers who just designed characters and nothing else and then you would have location designers who designed nothing but locations so as an example this room is a location so in this room we have a platform here we've got the desk over here we got this stuff over here we got chairs here somebody has to draw where everything is and say there's an aisle down the center there's an aisle down the side there's one of there's an exit door over there and a platform up here and etc and that's done in what's called a three-quarter down shot where they peel off the roof and you put yourself up there in the corner and you look down in this direction so you see those two walls and the floor and where everything is and then you go up in that corner and you look back in the opposite direction to show what these two walls look like. So that's a location design that describes and where we are. And that's just used as a guide. That's it's not a guide. A production. It's, it's, it's not except, actually except, in production. Except a lot of times those three-quarter down shots ended up in the show. And we, <laughs> and we wanted to kill the designers because that was horrible to have yeah. to animate in, right? Yeah. It's okay if the camera's like right here uh, yeah. for yeah. animation, but once yeah, but when they right do there, the establishing shots or yeah. three-quarter down shots. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you remember uh, Lewis? Lewis did Cravania. all. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, he the background the, in the first six years that he was the major guy who would set up the what layout, the, what, guy. The, what the backgrounds were, yeah. how they looked, and his design sense. That mm-hmm. was that was a big thing. He would be working out there, right? Um, but there, you know, uh, in terms of compartmentalization. That happens when a studio gets very big and takes on a lot of different productions. When you're, let's say, let's let's talk, um, you know, prior to Rock and Rule, it was a much smaller studio, mm-hmm. right? And and there was a lot of different things that would happen. Like, you know, you'd have, um, you know, one-on-one discussions with with Clive in terms of talking through a scene and what what needs to be what's what needed to be done Mm -hmm. with it and uh you don't once you start shipping stuff overseas you can't do that it becomes it comes coding which is what the a the mouths are it's code Mm -hmm. and and if you can't read it correctly and if the code isn't all of that written information has to translate cultural culturally 
and that's where you get you know fingers being chewed off and spit out <laughs> you know that's uh, that's that's what it is and uh and something gets lost in the culture of the studio where it becomes it stops starts being it stops being a cultural connector or creator versus being a production house mm-hmm. you know that's a very different thing but, yeah the studio had to evolve yeah. through productions you know when, when we first started it was like uh, one off like yeah. a, like a half hour right. special yeah. right and uh, and all of a sudden we did get thrown into doing series production yeah. and people had to like dance real fast to figure yeah. out how are we going to do that because yeah. uh, those half hour specials uh, as an animator i was hired for like six months yeah. to work on one show yeah uh and then you know what it took right. another uh, six or nine months for another show to come up yeah so mm-hmm. scrambling doing other stuff yeah. at that point but then we got into the series stuff where uh they, they must have gone how the hell are we going to do this yeah mm-hmm. well they can uh, inspector gadget came in with the concept that, well they were following what filmation had done with he-man and they would uh, he-man was the first one to do 65 half hour shows it was one a day, five days a week for 13 weeks. At, at what point did Gadget come in? A, a Gadget a, came in, a, no, it came in uh, uh, right after that because I think a Gadget, we were doing stro- a Strawberry Shortcake and, uh, and uh, Herself the Elf, and then Gadget came in. So that's about, a Gadget came in at probably around uh, mid of 82. But they, we were so. doing series stuff before that, right? No, we were doing we no. were doing the half hour special. Those were half hours. Okay, we were doing yeah. That was just herself the elf and uh, well uh, uh, the strawberry shortcake oh, and boy. herself the elf. Those yeah. were, those were those were two, you know, there were two half hour specials. Because what know, happened for, on Gadget is that I think that was one of the first shows where. Uh, the animation team was cut. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was going, being sent overseas. Yeah. So who they did keep in and who they had to reinvent to to make the show go was storyboard artists. Yeah. yeah. And there was really only Ray and Arna that knew how to do storyboards yeah. at that mm-hmm. point. And I think you did storyboards. No, I didn't do storyboards. Um, Alan Bunce came in. Alan Bunce, who's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and, a and couple, there was a couple of other couple of animators that yeah. rose Dan to the Smith. occasion. Yeah. And then some some of us uh, were doing posing. Yeah. And they kept us employed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brian, yeah. you were a layout artist. So what exactly does that what when do you come into the process and what okay, do so you do? What I was mentioning before about the designers, so you got location character and then after those are done, you also have props. Uh, so anything the character carries or moves around or a spaceship would be designed as a prop Um, that is then put into a package uh, a big binder which uh, we everybody had access to we could just go and photocopy it as we needed it and so after that the storyboard artist would then take the script the designs and come up with what's basically a a comic strip version of the entire show so it would say scene one uh, spaceship enters from off screen left flies through scene cut to interior of spaceship we see a character R2-D2 and C-3PO goofing around trying to get a, a computer to work. And uh, then cut to scene three. So you'd have this sequence of different scenes where you're cutting from looking at one thing to another thing. So those are called storyboards. 
I would then get as a layout artist in the layout department, there was myself and we were, there were about 15 of us that worked on uh, Ewoks and droids. And we would then get this package. We'd get uh, not the whole storyboard. We would have a supervisor who would uh, go through the entire boards and they would chop it up into little bite-sized pieces. So usually, it, uh, typically it'd be like scene one, your opening establishing shot through to scene 30. You'd get 30 scenes. And that would be handed out to layout artist A. Yeah. Uh, so let's say me, I would get scene one to 30. So I'd get those storyboard panels in a little package. I would then trot back to my desk. I'd read through it. And then I'd have to go find the designs for what I needed. I need a spaceship. I need 3PO. Uh, I need R2. I need uh, this, the interior of this thing and uh, this prop. So I'd gather up those prop designs in a, a little photocopy package. And then I'd go back to my desk and I would do uh, larger drawings, full-size animation drawings that are usually about 11 by 14, this big here. I have a bunch of them on the, the board back there that you can come back and take a look at from the actual show. Mm -hmm. um, I would then translate what's in the storyboard panel into a full-size drawing of one, the background, whatever is going on behind the character, and then uh, posing for the character. So if the character comes in from off screen, it would, there would be a pose of the character starting just off at the edge of the, the screen, 3PO standing at the side, and then 3PO in the middle of the screen because he's walking into the center, and then R2-D2 comes in behind him. That would be pose three, and then 3PO might run off screen. That would be pose four. So whatever action is taking place within the scene would then have to be drawn by me, the, the layout artist, as a background on one layer and animation poses on a separate layer. And then this is then put together into a folder uh, and then sent off to another department, the, the posing department, in the case of Ewoks and Droids. So we and, had a... And then they would kind of fill in the in-between. And so the animators would then take the drawings that I had done of the characters and maybe flesh them out a little bit more, put them on model, because, you know, sometimes we were rushed and we would just sort of scribble them down really quickly or whatever. They'd put them on model and then do them as key... and That's the exposure sheet. Uh, they would do them as key animation poses. So in animation, like we said, there's there's these these are all frames down here. So you've got 24 frames per second on twos. That's 12 drawings per second. Mm -hmm. So if you have a character that's going to wave hello to you and it's going to take one second for the character's arm to go from here to here, that's a key pose. That's drawing number one. And this is drawing number 24. And then you would have 12 drawings in between on odd numbers. So you'd have one, three, five, seven, nine, et cetera, et cetera, until you get to the end. And then when you shoot it under the camera with the exposure sheet saying, this is how long it's exposed for, it then looks like this, okay? Uh, so each drawing, like yeah. in, in the instance of me in particular in layout, yeah. uh, our quota was 10 layouts a day. Whoa, okay. that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it, it is a lot. So in an eight hour day, which was never an eight hour day, yeah. mm -hmm. um, you know, you'd come in, you'd, you'd sort through your scenes. So I didn't know I, I had to do 10 scenes a day. Um, I would sort through them and I'd say, okay, I got medium, easy, and hard scenes. I got one hard scene. That's going to probably take me two hours. So I might do that right at the very beginning of the day. So nine o'clock till 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, yeah. I would cram through that one scene. So at the back there, there's a big, long pan background. Actually, they were showing the show that that was from. Um, it's a, an alien spaceship. That background took me about three hours to draw. 
Okay. And then there was a couple of uh, A-wing fighters that flew in and landed on the back of it. So a couple of poses of that. Mm -hmm. So then I would then go on to maybe a couple of really easy scenes just to burn them out really quick. And they might take me 20 minutes a piece. And then I'd sort of cut up my day so that I met my quota at the end of the day. And sometimes you can go over, sometimes you go under, but just so long as at the end of the week you had 50 scenes that you had completed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the important thing. Okay. So you're doing backgrounds and backgrounds and animation posing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's in there kind of the key points yeah it's it's basically the guide for the animator to say here's how big the character is this is where the character is looking this is what the character is doing Mm -hmm. you fill in the rest just to backtrack a bit into storyboards so the storyboards are like a comic book breakdown on a script the first visualization of it and then those storyboards are filmed uh, now it's all done by video, but it used to be filmed on, on real film. And then they, they run it on a flatbed. Uh, Which is like a flatbed projector. Yeah, so it's like a projector, yeah. yeah. And uh, with the soundtrack, right? So we have a script. Uh, that script would go to the storyboard artist to start visualizing. At the same time, that script goes to the recording studio. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. record the script. And there used to be a, a rule that, you know, there was a page per minute. And if we were doing a 22-minute show, it would be 22 pages. Uh, so we kind of, I, you know, it would be an eyeball with the writer. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in there, right? And mm-hmm. you can right. tell by the amount of lines of dialogue where they're within that 22-minute uh, range. Mm-hmm. But the real test was like marrying the, that soundtrack after it's been recorded. All those lines, the lines are all recorded separately. Usually, sometimes there's an ensemble cast in, in the recording booth. So they put all those lines of dialogue together and put it underneath this flatbed, and then they run it with the, every photograph of the storyboard. So how many pages of storyboard? 350 pages? Uh, no, no, it, well, it'd be 350 mm-hmm. scenes. Yeah. So well, you might have like 450 pages because it's you might a, have three or four a, panels per page. It's a huge document. Per scene, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's very thick, the yeah. document and, overall. And the, it can range from, Ray Jaffelis used to do <laughs> storyboards on Post-its about, yeah. Yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. little tiny but things. he so. would do it over the weekend right, for yeah. an entire show. Yeah, so, uh, but other, very fast. But yeah. other places, you know, the storyboards were about that big and yeah. there would be a lot of detail in it. Yeah. Uh, so that would be filmed and then joined up with the soundtrack and then you'd run it on this flatbed and you'd be within that range of 22 minutes. If you weren't, that's when you started doing editing. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I can do without this shot, I can do it without this line of dialogue, right. and, and then it fits yeah. together. You get it to time. Uh, Nilvani used to use, they used, you would go, I don't know, what, four minutes over? They would go yeah, yeah. A, a large amount of uh, minutes <laughs> yeah. over. Yeah. So that, so, cause post-production was saying, like the, all the editors wanted to, do something right yeah so in post, they got to take something yeah out, right? so post-production would like have to cut out four minutes but you know at some point in Nelvana's history they said yeah after 10 shows we've we've done we've thrown a whole show on the floor yeah. Yeah. which is very expensive so they cut that back yeah so <clears throat> so we would have a pre-production lock when we would look at that Leica it was called a Leica yeah. uh, that would be 24 minutes 25 minutes mm. and, and at that point it would start going to layout. Yeah. 
So and just so you're aware as well, like Anthony Daniels did the voice of 3PO. So he would be in a sound booth, probably in L.A., I would imagine. I don't think he came to Canada. Or he might have but, been in the U.K. Yeah, at the time. Possibly. Yeah. But he'd be in a sound booth somewhere and they would give him a script and he would have to read all of his lines. Oh, R2. Or, uh, how dare you do that to me? Uh, and then you'd have some other guy with the slide whistle doing the R2-D2 stuff. And then, you know, the various other characters would do their voices. So each of them would be done separately and they're all recorded under what's what was called mag track so how many people are familiar with 16 millimeter film you've ever seen it okay okay so it's like film that's about that wide and it's on a reel right like it's film and they would record this onto a magnetic audio track which was 16 millimeter film and so each person would record their stuff on audio tape then it would be transferred to the mag track and then someone would have to edit it you'd get an editor a sound editor who would sit there and listen to this film running through this machine as larry was saying you know you you play it forward and it would be r2 how dare you do that and then they rewind it back and it would be uh, r2 how dare you do it? how dare and they'd listen to where the beginning of the sound was and they'd physically cut it with a razor blade and then they'd find the end of it and they'd cut it where it ends and then they'd stick it up on a little clip and and have it labeled as 3PO says line 28 whatever mm -hmm. and so all these lines would be recorded and you'd have R2 sounds here and you'd have 3PO sounds here and this character sounds here and the editor would have to go through and go okay this is line one and lay it down here's R2's response and they'd lay it down and they'd have to put the appropriate amount of time between for a pause yeah because if R2 pauses between when 3PO says his line you have to have that pregnant pause there right. and then he puts it in so they would time the entire audio track out and that's what larry's talking about is then they film the the storyboard panels they marry it together with the audio mm -hmm. and then they play it back and then you have to go in and you have to start physically cutting the film and taping it together in order to get it to the appropriate length yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and um <clears throat> so larry you were uh assistant unit director uh, is that the correct uh, title? I think that's what IMDb says. Assistant director. Director. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, on Ewok. So, what does what does the assistant director do exactly? I did notes. Uh, what? <laughs> I did notes on exposure sheets from the crowd. Here. Heckler from the yeah. crowd. Here. <laughs> like once again, there's those exposure Speaking sheets. He has a director. <laughs> I just noticed on these exposure sheets that there's little dots, uh, rhythmic uh, stars there, and. This is uh, from a scene from the opening uh, of Droids. So those little stars would note where the beat is in the, the music. Yeah. Ah. So they would want action to happen, if possible, on those dots, on those stars, right? right? What did I do? So I did like director's notes. I did lip sync. I did some preliminary designs for uh, uh, some of the characters, which meant yeah. I, I had those illustrations that came from Lucas films, mm -hmm. and then I would uh, do line drawings of that, and then rotations, and in some cases I did some uh, simple animation just to show animators and designers how it should move. Okay, so yeah, kind of, kind of managing or overseeing the process, and then filling in whatever needs to be mm -hmm. needs uh, to be done. Yeah, as yeah, much as I could. Much yeah, it. yeah. Cool. Um, uh, so uh, I get. Uh, was Ewoks and droids, how did they compare to the other work that was being done at Nelvana or as, just as far as um, the amount of work that needed to be done to create an episode or anything? Was it a fairly standard um, It was. It was or? a very tight, fast schedule. Yeah. I, I recall it being very 
uh, heavy. Like the, the number of scenes that we had to do in layout, like I said, it was 10 a day, yeah. 50 a week. Um, it was pretty hectic. Um, but uh, the story I was going to tell was uh, we would break up the, the tension by doing practical jokes on each other yeah. and, and just doing wacky things to, to just release the tension because we were so tightly bound to this schedule that uh, we were freaking out most of the time just trying to get it done. Yeah. And so we do crazy stuff. <laughs> like? Like. <laughs> uh, my, my favorite story is this. We, in the layout department, um, the room was, uh, well, it was slightly smaller than this. It was a big hockey stick shaped room. And um, there might be, well, there would have been 15 people in my area. So we were sort of all crammed into this space. Like take these, the chairs that are here, bring it across here and across this way and put uh, 15 desks in there. They're all like five foot by four foot and 25 square feet per person. And you cram all these people into an unair conditioned room uh, yeah. and ask them to produce 10 layouts a day. Yeah. So uh, my favorite story is this, um, a friend of my, uh, one of the people in the layout department uh, came in one day and he said, um, uh, my mom is coming to visit and I don't want you to do anything stupid. <laughs> so immediately my brain went, Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so he walked out the door to go meet his mother downstairs in the foyer. I immediately got up and I got all the other guys in our area up and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I, I said, we're going to take his desk. We're going to move it out onto the balcony, take everything down off of his walls, <laughs> his side table, everything, clean out his entire area. So it's just a vacant spot. So the 15 of us, like we, we just scrambled. So this was in, within about five minutes. Yeah. Okay. By the time he got downstairs and then got back up uh -huh. with his mother. So we cleaned out his area completely. And you, you know what it's like, you know, when you're in a, a space for a long period of time and, you know, the cleaners don't clean necessarily as well as they should. So when we moved everything out, it was like this barren spot where on the walls there were like the imprints of, where, <laughs> you know, the, the, the wallpaper color should have been this color, but it's not anymore. Or this, the space on the floor, there's a little dust ring around it. Mm -hmm. So we had this thing completely cleaned out and I grabbed a clipboard from the production office and I walked over to the door that he went out and I stood there and he came up through the door and around the corner and he's talking to his mom at this time. He says, this is the layout department and this is my desk right here. <laughs> and he's looking like, what the heck? And I walked over to him with the clipboard and I said, excuse me, sir, are you supposed to be in this department? <laughs> you don't have a visitor's tag. Uh, why are you here? And his, his mother's just like, and he goes, I will kill you. <laughs> so that's, that's just one example of, of the types of things that we would do practically on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. uh, there was always something that we would do to someone else. So hard work, but a fun place. Oh, um, I, I, I look back on that time period of, of Ewoks and Droids as being the most fun that I ever had in a studio. Um, Larry, uh, how f I, I, I was very aware of, I remember, you know, at least two of the talent nights and uh, did that, how long did that carry on uh, through Ewoks? Yeah, I, I think two nights was it. Like, uh, oh, okay. and we're not talking about it. it was like one, and maybe a couple years later they had another one. Mm -hmm. But we did have one where uh, Frank and Ollie from yeah. two amazing uh, animators, nine old uh, two guys from the nine old animators of uh, Disney. Disney Disney showed up. Yeah, 
and yeah, I was in some punk rock band. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's amazing that these old Disney animators had to sit there and listen. Well, wait a minute. You got to remember one thing is Frank... Frank Thomas was the was piano player. Thing. He was a play, uh, the Firehouse, Firehouse Five. Five yeah. And so he was a piano player. So he might so have he, appreciated He appreciated that, <laughs> that, that stuff, yeah. And then when it, I think in the very first talent show, Lenora, yeah. who ended up being the, what was it? She was an executive producer, <laughs> Yeah, right? at Disney's, yeah, she'd be- well, At know, Disney, yeah. Executive but, producer, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she did a tap dance and, and she made sure any footage of that was just- Deleted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then and then one of the guys uh, showed up as uh, oh the, the guy from Rocket Horror Picture Show. Uh, yes. Well, that was Clive. No. Oh, no. It was Jim Christensen. Jim Christi okay. Yeah. He came up dressed in drag, uh, which kind of shocked everybody because mm -hmm. it, it was it was like 1978, yeah. so it, was, we, it wasn't really in the open. But you know, okay, Jim Christensen looks great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I just remember Clive being you know very much like the. Uh, you know, he was the, uh, not Igor, what was the, the, the leader, the, you know, of uh, from uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. All right. It was, a, the, you know. The guy, the, the guy with the, the bald guy, head. With bald head and whatnot. Oh, because Clive was, you know, very much of that, that eye, you know, that, yeah. that, uh, that, uh, that energy. And it was, yeah. yeah, it was a tight party scene. Yeah. I was going to say, like, we, we went to the bank on Fridays. Yes. Uh, well, sometimes on Fridays they would, they would announce to the studio, don't cash your checks. checks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was yeah. typical. Maybe yeah. sometime yeah. next week. Yeah. 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 Do not but we, cash yeah, we would go check. to the bank and get yeah. some cash and go to the bar. Yeah. And at the bar, uh, Karen from, yeah. from Ink and Paint uh, would announce where the party yeah. was on that Friday yeah. night because there always was. Yeah. Uh, and the Ink and Paint department was, was filled with, uh, yeah, it was like a dating circle. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, remember, I, I was the average age at Nelvana at that time was maybe about. 25 26 yeah. Yeah. yeah you know we were just young kids yeah. very very much so uh, as I I, I I described a lot earlier this morning was about it was a rock and roll uh you know studio mm -hmm. that's basically yeah. what it was well, I made the comment to you guys uh, yeah. the memory of the the very first then this goes back to rock and roll but the very first week that I came to, to work at Nelvana uh, for some reason, I had to go into the the ink and paint department, which was all girls, right? Yeah. And I walked in, and uh, you guys know who Carol Pope is, uh, rock singer. Okay, yeah, Rough Trade. Okay, so she's she's working in the paint department there yeah. on rock and roll. And <laughs> I walked in, and she goes, "Fresh meat." <laughs> to go along with that, so. and I'm 19 years old, going, "What?" <laughs> yes. So so when you do an animation cell, the, the, the drawing from paper is, it used to be hand inked onto the front of the cell or acetate. Yeah. And then on the back, that gets uh, flooded. They used to call that opaque. Yes, yeah. opaque, right. yes. And so this paint, as you can see, is somewhat flexible. So it was a mixture of latex. Latex, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like common house paint, latex water-based paint. That, uh, yeah, but I think they added something else to keep it more flexible, yeah. like more rubber to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. But they did something, otherwise it would just die. It, it was just flake it would off. Flake right they would off. mix yeah. up their well, own. Well, it's amazing how those cells have held up yeah. over yeah. 
you know. Yeah. Well, I remember when 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 I started there in the cell department was these gigantic Xerox machines, mm -hmm. and they had to calibrate them yeah. for the heat so that yeah. they wouldn't melt the cells. And I can remember going in and they'd be fiddling with it to try and turn the heat down because when you put the cell through, it would just crinkle right up because the heat well, would melt. They it. had to experiment with that. And I yeah, noticed yeah. was some of my old cells from Nelvana. Uh, and then I recalled why that was happening. They were stripping off the, the registration pins. Yeah, and, and because uh, before they Xeroxed and they put registration marks on right. it and they re-registered it. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I was gonna say about the paint department, they had basic colors they would buy from uh, Cartoon Color. Right? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was the name of the company. Yeah. So they would buy like huge pails of it, yeah. right? And then they would mix up specific colors for the episode. And right. they would make up names. And, and yeah. one of the names that I'll always remember was kind of this gray purple. It was called Throbbing Dick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember that, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so they, they had all sorts of great names for, oh, yeah. yes. for their purples. <laughs> remember, this is uh, not Hollywood. Yeah. This, 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 this is a very different culture. It was, yeah. it was yeah. completely different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's uh, that. That's the, one of the, one of the, the coolest things about it, yeah. really. Um, so, well, even yeah. even when like when I started on on uh, rock or uh, sorry on Ewoks and Droids, um, I would have been uh, twenty four at the time, so I'd already gone through rock and roll and gadget, yeah. and um, so I was a seasoned veteran yeah. to a certain extent. Uh, but we were bringing in new, fresh people right out of Sheridan College. Yeah. At the same time, like there were quite a few people who were just yeah. graduate students yeah. that were coming in and we had to teach them, you know, yeah. this is what layout is all about and explain to them. Yeah, uh, it was a quite, a, again, a brand new learning curve, mm -hmm. you know, at that time. So, again, it wasn't like everybody was, you know, professional people from years and years of experience. These were like fresh out of college. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and one, let me just one just one last thing is that uh, one of the. Uh, uh, um, the classic animators from Disney's, uh, Ken Henderson came after Frank and Ollie uh, did lecture. Uh, he came in and uh, he just said, uh, he, you know, it was one night we were at the Skipper and he said, you know, he was drinking away there and he was saying, you know, this reminded him very much of Disney during Snow White mm -hmm. and the early days because that's what it was like. Mm. It when was the age group. You don't know better. And well, well, it's no. It's just that's the energy. The energy. Yeah, the energy. The yeah. energy. The young energy. Because at Snow on on Disney's for Snow White, the average age was about 27, 28 years old. Mm -hmm. You know. So, mm -hmm. so he said very similar to that. Yeah. yeah. So I worked in the industry a long time, and and it was interesting to watch the progression of. Uh, how much input came from our producers and and uh, creators yeah. and network execs? Yeah. So very early on, uh, we didn't have much, yeah. and we produced great shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and Nelvana won an Emmy for for Beetlejuice. That was yeah. like the I think that was the studio's first Emmy. Uh, and uh, you know, and, and I remember the notes for that. They're yeah. only a page long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And but. Throughout my years, I've gotten more and more notes from people <laughs> yeah. that you know want to be the director, 
Yeah. You want to be like the mm-hmm. creator, right? Mm-hmm. And, and God forbid somebody shows up with the title as showrunner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I worked with lots of showrunners, and I only really had one guy that deserved that title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more they're mucking around, the worse the show worse became things, yeah. Fragmented, yeah. fragmented and uh, didn't hold together. Yeah. With droids and Ewoks, was there a lot of um, a lot of notes, and, and would those be coming from Lucasfilm or from the network or? I don't remember many notes. Yeah. I think there were there were script notes that came in like after we had recorded stuff, mm-hmm. and that was problematic. Uh, but you know, after the visuals were done, we, we didn't hear much, yeah. which which was remarkable because I never watched the live action part for years. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I heard time, about it, yeah. but when I finally did, it was sort of like, wow, <laughs> this is pretty who, cool. Who dropped the the ball there? Yeah. It was like it was very odd. Yeah. Yeah. In, uh, in layout, like we, um, we, we, there was a little bit of an evolution that took place in layout, where we were working on on the previous system of uh, of layout, the way the layout scenes would be laid out, and it evolved as the show went on. We started to streamline it a little bit, yep. and again, that was because we had to get the shows out faster and faster. Um, so we modified things. I was telling one, I was telling you earlier that originally we did all of our artwork at full size. Uh, later on, when we started to get into the droid show, some of the like the second half of the the season, uh, we started going to uh, smaller thumbnail drawings. Mm-hmm. So we would take the storyboard panels, which were only about that big, and we draw them as a six field, which is about that size. And then because six field is small, means that you don't have to draw as much, right? Like you're filling up the space, but mm-hmm. the pencil mileage is what it's called. The length of the line is not as long because theoretically, if I'm drawing a line that's this long, it takes half as long than to draw a line that's this long. So mm-hmm. you cut the amount of time that you're drawing in half. And then what they would do is we would sketch these out. They would then be handed to an assistant who would then take and blow them up on the Xerox machine yeah. to the full size. And in some cases, like I always drew very clean. So my layouts would just be blow it up tra- and not even trace it off, just repeg it and send it off. Mm-hmm. And then that's why I still have a lot of the original artwork is because I just kept it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, everything that I chipped over was mm-hmm. all photocopies. Mm-hmm. But there was this evolution that took place through the department. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't anything external. The, yeah. It was just our own internal way of saying, Enjoy how can we do this better? Yeah. How can we do this yeah. more efficiently? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a lot of changes between Ewoks season one and season two, uh, notably Wicket's hood changes from orange to green. <gasps> what but the? is there is there Shocking. a reason for that? Does I, I wasn't know? I wasn't involved in season you know? two, so yeah. I have no idea why. I don't know, and uh, <laughs> I had no idea. It's a, it's <laughs> a mystery. And and droids got the one season. Yeah. Was there? Uh, the reception for the two of them is there was it because Ewoks was kind of a younger audience and kind of there, played there a were two different or? shows yeah they, they were two, very different shows there yeah. were two different teams Ewok Droids uh, was much more technical drama yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was just it was a harder show to produce I found it easier <laughs> I I didn't I disliked Ewoks simply because it was all trees it's like I <laughs> like I, I say the line I hated drawing trees it just got uh, sick of it it was tree all tree, you had tree, to do was draw one tree yeah yeah, <laughs> just, yeah theoretically yeah. but but we were talking that uh, at that point and this was the evolution of the the studio there were they were very heavy uh, scene heavy shows so on average 
a normal show, like if you're watching a kid's show, you might have 200 to 250 shots per mm-hmm. 22 minutes. But these were like 350, even up to 400 scenes for droids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were very, very action-packed, quick cuts, lots of scenes. But they wouldn't do reuse, mm-hmm. right? Reuse is when you have a background where you're looking at something in the background and you cut away to something else and then you come back to that same shot. Well, they wouldn't do that. They that would one change trait. the angle mm-hmm. yeah. all the time constantly and it was uh, very draining you know from that <laughs> yeah, point of view lots of work. because we'd just yeah. be drawing drawing brand yeah. new all the time yeah. cool yeah. i'd like to really thank you guys uh for for coming out uh we were really excited to uh to meet you guys in the lead up to this and to uh you know we were kind of kicking around the idea months ago that uh when we were trying to figure out who we were going to get to come to the second mm-hmm. event of like okay well what can we do that that is as good as what we did last year. And we're like, oh, it'd be really cool if we could like find someone from Nelvana, maybe, because that was in Toronto. Uh, and and through like some lucky connections, it ended up happening. And uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, coming out and and uh, explaining everything to us nerds. Now, as a post note, this is the first time I've seen John in 40 years. Yeah. So yeah. that's how incredible is that? So. Thank you. <laughs> Alrighty, so we'll take another break and then we'll come back with Roger. Oh, no, wait, no Chris has got a question. Questions. So you did a lot of just like creating the layouts and the and, and stuff and sending them off. So you never really did the whole. Did you find it more rewarding to crank out a bunch, like oversee a bunch of productions, and not like create the entire thing in house, or did you ever? Well, no, I never really thought of it. I mean, my job was layout artist. And so I knew I would not be extending into another department beyond that because that was my contract, right? Like everything was contract at that point. You got hired to start on this date. And when the show is finished, you're done. See you later. There's nothing beyond that point. So there was never any thought of, oh, I'd like to do the animation on this. You know, it was just. And I know what you're talking about. Like when we first did like uh longer shows at, at Nelvana, they actually had hired a theater and would have screenings mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we did have those celebrations. Yeah, yeah. But it, for me, what's funny about that, when you say that the screening, we never had a screening of the, the droid show or Ewok shows. Well, we, I, I didn't actually even see the show, not until just recently, I haven't seen a full episode of it. So, and because I was saying before, everything was compartmentalized, even within the show itself. Mm-hmm. I might only have 30 scenes in one show, but I, I wouldn't even know what the entire show was about. You mm-hmm. know, like there was only one show we were talking before. There's only one show that I worked on pretty much the entire episode was the race to the finish episode where Boba Fett is uh, chasing the white witch. Um, that the entire race sequence was mine. So that's the only one that I really knew what was going on in the entire show because yeah. I had to uh, mm-hmm. read through everything. So, and you didn't feel like shortchanged, like John just you, you didn't see the show until it watched it on right. TV. Like you didn't feel like crap. I think we probably see the whole thing. Or we just like, well, so just like something like a job shop thing. You don't really care about the entire thing. You're sort of like you're doing your part and that's it. You but that you see the the uh, the, the holiday special, you know, animation. That was the first job that Nelvana did. It wasn't, we didn't own it, but it was a way to kept, uh, kept, they kept the, the staff together. First of all, it was a it was a prestige thing too. I mean, they got it. You yeah. know, you, you you don't you don't uh, throw that away. But it was in, in between you know uh, Devil and Daniel Mouse and uh, and 
the robot picture, the, you know, uh, uh, the Romeo and Juliet. And they, they needed people, they needed some way to keep things going. And so that happened to fit in quite well because I remember there was about a three, a, you know, a two month layoff, you know, between. Uh, and that's, uh, that's what brought Ewoks and droids eventually. Eventually, yeah. yeah. But you would have worked on something and it would be a year or more before that. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, you have to, there's a time bubble in yeah. any production that the, the period that we were working on layouts was 84 to 85. And I don't think, I can't remember when the show aired. Uh, yeah, like I think it was 86. Yeah. 86. So, so there yeah. was like a year yeah. almost before the year, yeah. the, the show actually went on the air. So by that point in 86, where I was, I was in Ottawa at Atkinson's. Yeah. yeah. So working on Teddy Ruxpin. And I, when you mention it, I, I'm just thinking back. I don't think there's been a, a single show that I've ever worked on that I've ever actually watched a show of that episode, you know, what I've worked on. Yeah. Uh, Blues Clues was the last thing, but they canceled the shows that I worked on. So yeah. I'll never see those ones. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. Yeah. I was uh, wondering what your point of view is on hand-drawn animation versus the newer computer animation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a follow-up question is, do you think that there may be some kind of software or is there software that can kind of generate by interpolation maybe in betweens? That way, if it's too expensive even to outsource to Korea at this point, is there some way, what's your perspective on hand drawn versus computer? Work down the line. <laughs> Biggest issue on the 3D shows I've worked on was that the background uh, of, of the shots, like animation is getting better. But the, the backgrounds are such, a, it's cost prohibitive to create new sets. To create a set in 3D takes a lot of time and, and talent, right? And then so they try to reuse the, the, their backgrounds as much as possible. Uh, and uh, a lot of younger, lesser experienced uh, directors will overuse their flying cameras in 3D. So it's dizzying and doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, I th uh, and the 2D animation, the 3D animation that I'm, I'm seeing is, is, it still pales till 2D. There's just stuff that you can do in 2D that you can cheat. To cheat in a model in 3D, all of a sudden you got like the, the technical director yelling at you like, no, we can't do that. It's gonna break the model, right? And et cetera. So it's, it's not as flexible. John? Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, computers are mechanics. You know, it's basically, you know, you uh, your it's puppetry, and uh, as I said, you can't do artistic license because you can't, as Larry says, you can't cheat. But it's not fun. You know, that's basically it. Happy accidents don't happen in computer generation. When you're in the middle of doing, when you talk about in-betweens, there's no such thing as in-between. It's like saying to a, a musician, can you get somebody to put the in-between notes between the ties and the lows? It's what you do with each frame, with each drawing. It's how you touch the drawing, smear it, you know, stretch it, make it dirty. Make it clean, but they, you need to be able to use each frame in there. And even if it's only a partial, that partial can sell the whole thing. So 
I'll leave you with this. A little song, a little sal- uh, little dance, a little salsa down your pants. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you break computer animation into two categories. One is is the artistic part of it, if you want to call it that. It's what the visual output of the computer does. And then the other part is the technical aspect of it. From my point of view, the technical aspect is great because in our Ewoks and droids period, everything was analog film. It was all paper. Okay. Now with computer, yes, you can use paper, but you can also go directly into the computer using a Cintiq drawing tablet and draw directly into the computer using Photoshop or whatever. Um, so you can, it, it now creates an in-house studio. So on my desk, in my studio, above my garage at home, I have a animation studio and I can create animation by myself, everything beginning to end. Okay, I can create an animated film. Whereas back in the time when we were working on Ewoks and Droids, that was impossible. Mm -hmm. One person could not complete an entire film. So computers are great from the point of view that they can facilitate the ability for one person to become an art auteur Mm -hmm. and create their own art. On the downside, as they've already said, there's something bland and mechanical about animation. And that's because the animators, I believe, animators rely too much on the the mathematics of what the computer can do. Because as I mentioned before, when you move an arm from here to here and you say you want to do it in 24 frames, well, you don't have to have it evenly spaced one twenty-fourth of a a distance. There's what are called slow ins and slow outs where it speeds up and gradually and then slows down. So you can create that feeling or you can go very fast at the beginning and slow where you go like that. Or you can go very slow at the beginning and then hit hard at the end. So you can change the timing. And with computer animation, I found that too many people rely on the computer to fill in the blanks. They give a start position, they give a stop position, and the computer will mathematically figure out how much distance is there in between and just goes, eh, click, and stops. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see. And there's also the blandness in design where everything looks the same. But with 2D, whew, you can do anything you want. I mean, it's, it's incredible. All right, one more question. Just one more question. Yeah. Just bring this to mind. I'm just wondering you guys' thoughts on where the evolution of like both 2D and 3D are going when we're getting things like into the Spider-Verse, mm. across the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. where you're watching a movie and you can't even tell at times what's 2D and what's 3D. Yeah, yeah. Because of so many varied types of animation, or like the Star Wars Visions uh, cartoons, I don't know if you guys saw that. I haven't seen that, huh? No, I haven't seen that. Which are a mix of like manga animation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And stuff in there as well. Right. So, do you guys think there's there's a place where they can kind of come together in the future? You know. I think so. I think Spider Verse mm-hmm. was amazing. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. it, I thought it was Loved incredible. It. Yeah. It just it blew me away. But that's an art. Okay. There's yeah. an art to that. Uh, when when if you, my daughter is 16. She loves that movie. She's gone to see it four yeah. times. And I say, why why are you going to? I mean, I'm interested in the fact that she's interested in animation as well but uh, I said why do you go see it four times because, and she said you see something different every it's time so layered you know, that's yeah. what it, it is so there's, layered that, that, and that's one of the reasons we love Star Wars too yeah. I think is yeah. like, right because there's so many things you can watch so aspects. many times right. yeah. and pick yeah. up new things yeah and so I think that the future for animation uh, is wide open to to so many artistic visions mm-hmm. I, I used to always say, wish when I was younger in the analog days 
that in the future you could have a plug that would go into your brain and you could simply output what you were thinking. Because we have in our minds as artists, as I'm sure everybody does, you have an imagination, right? You can close your eyes and visualize stuff and pretend to see things in your mind. And if there was some way to pump that out directly into a computer, man, that would be so cool. We have to rely on our artistic abilities to do that. That's called the matrix. <laughs> the matrix, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Elon Musk will. will no, I was, I was waiting for the next question about AI. Oh, oh yeah. So. Oh. No, no. <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave that for personal conversations <laughs> with the animators okay. as we go. But uh, yeah, thanks again, guys. Uh, okay, cool. Okay, we're gonna have a quick break and then we'll be back. Okay. Thank you. Right, licensee section this month. We are doing Fun Dimensions, which uh, thankfully, Andy, didn't, well, this is your fault. They didn't do a great deal, um, but they were part of other things under the auspices of Fun Dimensions. There's only a couple of items, as we've, we have just found out. We always have a little chat about something, and I've got a chat about... Scalectrics. Now, I know they didn't do scale Scalex trick. So let's get it right. Because people always go, Scalectrics. It's not technically. It's Scalex trick. There we go. I had this as a kid. I used to set fire to it constantly. I think I might have mentioned that before, where we had a proper set. And it, for some reason, um, going around the corner, the sparks would set fire to the track and we did burn the cars. Several times then, that was it. No more Scalex trick. So uh, very quickly, uh, Jason, no. Uh, Preston, yes. Norton, yes. Richard, no chance on hell did he have it. So Richard, did you have Scalex trick as a kid? No chance in hell. No chance in hell. I thought so. Jason, it's been far too advanced for you in Scotland. I distinctly remember playing with it, but I haven't got any. So I think I think I I had a friend that had it, and I went and played it, played with theirs because all of the toys that I had got kept, and there's no scale electrics that, that I found. The answer is no, but yes, I did play with it. Let's go to Preston. You definitely had it. We did, but it was a second end one, and we yeah, could never really get it to work. Yeah, there was something wrong with the electrics and the contacts and the yeah, it was just just a, just dreadful. What we did have and what we did enjoy was TCR Ooh. Total Control Racing. Do you remember that? No, that's that, awesome. Yeah, that was where you could change lanes and all sorts. And I remember my brother had a Dukes of Hazard racing set. Awesome. So we had that's... the General Lee and we had one, we had one of the police cars. Oh, and that's good yeah, that was, was Daisy Duke in it. She was probably on the box art, I imagine. But mm. it sold many copies of that with Daisy Duke on the cover. Well, absolutely. Yeah, they did always break them. I mean, that's what the frustration was. I mean, Skelex trick always went wrong and just so frustrating. And the track was only round anyway. There's never any interest in it. So, oh, can't be bothered with this. The only thing I found with Skelectrics is one of those games where it was a game of control. Because if you just held the button down, the car flew off. It was all. Well, exactly. No one told me that. Because again, ours was second. It was a well. frustrating game because you couldn't really kind of go for it. Because the minute you did, the car just flew off into space. That is rubbish. And it set fire. Right, uh, spoons. You definitely had it as well. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I really can't believe what I'm hearing. Skelectrics was the best. 
and is the best. Not only did I have it, we have the Le Mans 24-hour. It's just a oh, circle. We go. You just go around. This was yeah. figure of eight, bridge, chicane. I got the, uh, the like, all the accessory packs, had the pit stop, got like this stunt. It was, it was an accessory pack, but it had ramps in it so you could make your cars jump. Yes, if you held the button down, they'd fly off the track. You'd hold the button down on the straights. It was a game of skill. It was brilliant. I loved it. Um, huge controversy in my house. As, uh, along with my BMX, my dad gave away the scale electrics to a mate at work, a younger mate at work, who obviously saw him coming, got all our good stuff. Um, did manage to keep all the cars, actually. So the, the gold and silver Porsche with the Le Mans 24 hour with their working headlights. They, they went with the set, but all the other stuff we had. So we, me and my brother, we had the, uh, the Banger Racers, the two minis, the stock cars. So they were the ones with the spinny contacts at the bottom so they could go either way around the track. So, yeah, not like TCR. And I think if you had TCR, you probably wanted Scare Electrics. And if you had Scare Electrics, you had a kind of sneaky look at TCR because they did change lanes, and that was good. But Scare Electrics was, was better because of the realism. Uh, what else we had? We had the motorbike and sidecars. had a, a uh, Mark one ford capri uh the racing you know, just just loads and loads of it but it was the early days of my internet star wars collecting all the cars that remained all got sold um i regret selling a lot of stuff back in those days but and here we go fast forward i've bought and sold quite a few sets over the last years because the local auction house here I'm always, I've been after the, the set that we had, that Le Mans one, a few times. And quite often, you just see a pile of sets at the Sheffield Auction House. I've been on them. And so you see, oh, it says Le Mans 24 hour. And it's actually been a more recent set. And they come with, so it's probably like early 90s, but with brake lights as well as front what? lights. Really fast. But there's always something wrong with it. And I take great delight buying the spare parts, fixing them they up. They smell of fire, Andy. They smell of fire. Because mine was always smell of fire. A burning. Yeah, that's a little motor whizzing round. It's the same, yeah, it's the same motor in, in the, um, Star Wars spaceships, essentially. It just moves a lot faster. But I've, yeah, so I've actually started replacing things. So I bought and sell and I always regret it. So I've still got a more recent Le Mans set that is in the garage. I've been looking at other sets. I've, I've replaced my uh, Mark 1 Ford Capri. So I've got another one of those. And more recently, because they do like all the iconic stuff now, I've got, it must be a couple of years old now. Uh, an Adam West Batmobile scale electrics car. You can get Knight Rider. You can get. It's just the best toy line ever. Costs a fortune now, to be fair. Oh, I bet. But yeah, no, all this just nonsense. It never worked. <laughs> never worked. Best. Ever. I mean, it did take a long time to set up, but once you got it set up, you have it there on your bedroom floor. It's there for weeks. Brilliant. I had the patience of a hamster when I was a kid, so it wasn't going to work. Anyway, say after me, Andy. Scale X trick. Scale X trick. Scale X trick, there we go. Because you're like, everyone says it wrong, it's amazing, isn't it? Scale yeah, X trick. Scale- everyone says scale, scale X tricks. There was yeah, another trick at the end. It doesn't matter. It's like skellington. It's just, <laughs> just one of those words. Shocking. Right, anyway, let's get into this stuff. The reason we're talking about that is because, uh, fun dimensions, two, effectively two items, some sun catchers, and the mighty and spectacular Jewel at Death Star racing set. Now, I've never really looked into this before. You know, I just kind of take it for granted that the box art is amazing. But I watched a video earlier of, of some guy with his with his set. And he's amazing. I just can't believe how much stuff there is. So 
you know, you get your, your beautiful box. We'll come to the box art in a minute. But inside the box, you have got, so the track is a big, long track, sort of two sides to it. Big, long sort of, what do you want to call it? An oblong, but with round ends. So on those round ends, you put these kind of like Death Starry effects as a tunnel at each end. So the cars go through and under it. Then you've got on the side of the track, you put um, dual Death Star kind of banner advertising cardboard, which looks brilliant. And then you've got sort of bits of the Death Star, um, sort of battles over, over the top of the Death Star. And then you've got Darth Vader's head and Luke Skywalker's head separated. And you put those on the side of the track as well. It's kind of like a, you know, some kind of um, hero worshipping going on with the two racers. And of course, the cars are sort of a TIE fighter kind of thing. And... I'm not really sure how you describe the thing. I suppose it's kind of an X-wingy kind of thing, but it's not because obviously they can't have things sticking out. Um, it, it's a real oddity, but it looks kind of cool. And these things attach to the cars, and you get your two controllers, and yeah, it's obviously a race. It's crazy, but it was the whole. I didn't. I've never seen the setup before. Oh wait, anyone else? Yeah, Andy, you've seen the setup of that before. I haven't, Pete. No, I mean it's a, it's an American piece, so not really on my radar, but. Looking into it ahead of tonight's discussion, it's a fantastic set, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's, it's so it's, visual for something that's, you know, not to insult and the other Andy, but it's a bit boring, really. You know, it just goes round and round. Well, and, this, uh, is a, this is a round and round track, I'll give yeah, you that. It's but it does, it's fun. Actually, I'll tell you what, if, if this was Canadian, Andy would know about it, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Yeah. You're over it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an oval, isn't it? Americans love their ovals. They look, are. Look, they're look dreadful. NASCAR. Oh, who wants, uh, and honestly, NASCAR, what on earth is the fun of that? Well, actually, I'm going to stick up for this, because this, this goes back to Jason's point on this, that this, so it does look boring because it is this big long oval, but actually, you would hold the trigger down for those straights, release it at the last minute, get you around the curve, and then fire it down again. So I, this is a game of skill. Not that I've ever played it. <laughs> and this is a, this is a cut above your scale X trick. It allows lane changing. We're talking about fun dimensions, but this also comes under the banner of Power Passers, which was a racing set or racing style uh, in the States. And it also comes under Lionel. Now, I've heard Lionel before as a manufacturer of toy trains. So quite where Lionel and Power Passers and fun dimensions sort of get on with each other, I don't know. Uh, but uh, power passers, yes, that technology allows you to change lanes to swap. And as, as you say, you can probably... You say that, Andy. You say that. See, I was waiting for this because the guy in the video just went, that's not a thing. Because he was play, he's playing it on his video. I yeah. said, how you pass? I do not know. I can't work it out. He had no idea what was going on. And he seemed to be quite up for this. But he said, there's no way this, this changes lane. No way. On the one that we had back in the day, there was a button. Button on your controller and that would swap, swap your lane. Yeah, he, he wasn't having it. I've got to say. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in that box. I mean, I've got a picture of all the all this stuff inside. I said all that stuff, you know, the the banner advertised all on one bit of cardboard. I guess you punch it out. Um, but there's a lot of wonderful visuals. And you, that's not even counting the instructions and the stickers. Uh, there's tons of stuff in that. But I mean, you get that for Christmas. And that's it. Before we even get the box art, the box art is now. I think we we've, we've definitely talked about this before because it's come up in all sorts of other things. The box art is staggeringly brilliant. I mean, oh, it's just see on a shelf, you've got to have it. I mean, not only is the Power Passers logo on the top left-hand corner really groovy, but you've got Death Star, 
you got Darth Vader's head looking sinister, you got X-Wings, you've got the whole thing set up in the corner, so you go, wow, that looks pretty cool. And you've got this monstrous, great big Darth Vader ship thing car, smashing Luke Skywalker's X-Wing thing car into, you know, into space, basically. It's just going, right, I'm having you, you, mate, and blowing it up. And, and the Luke was... Skywalker car does have a breakup feature, doesn't it? It smashes well, yeah, into not... two parts when exactly. Vader hits the, the, the backside. pops off. So it's basically an X-Wing fighter kind of canopy thing. Yeah, it was short and stubby on top of a car. Whether it ever happens, I don't know. It's almost like the, the Hot Wheels cars, isn't it? It's like an interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you've seen that new set of Hot Wheels stuff, which are pretty cool, I've got a couple. Uh, I've got some of the Ray ones they did. So they take a character like Jabba the Hutt, I got um, a hand carbonite one as well. So they take that and they build it into the design of a car. Um, hand carbonite was pretty cool actually. It's pretty smart. But they, yeah, they make that kind of material. So like the Yoda one, it's got green with these kind of wooden features in it and stuff. So it really, you will get a feel of the figure. Um, and yeah, it looks like one of those. It looks like someone's had a real go at them. I really like those Hot Wheels cars. If I could be bothered, I'd probably collect them, but I can't be bothered. Uh, but yeah, the two cars, wonderful little things. Um, it looked really nice. I mean, you, you could you could display many of these pieces on their own without having the track set up. Yeah, so the but cardboard that, you can get this for sixty quid on eBay. Get it now, Jason. Buy it now. There's another one. There's one for sale right now for 110, but the box is knackered. I must yeah. say, American or not, I'm really tempted by one of these if if it was in working condition. Yeah, it's got working. It, 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 it does look fantastic. It, it's an item that needs playing with if you own it. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, have you seen Have you seen the box where it says the side of the box? The battle's on. Victory yeah. or defeat. Everyone wins with this exciting Star Wars racing game. Not yes. sure how everyone does win. But yeah, <laughs> unless you lose, then you lose. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yeah, you, know, you can make a cartoon out of this, can't you? I mean, it's just that we, yeah, like, like a wacky racist kind of cartoon with all the. You know, over the top Star Wars characters having a race off. It'd be really, it'd just, it'd just a fantastic. I mean, that is, that is a quality vintage Star Wars item. It um, is superb. There's nothing um, wrong with that. Apart, apart from the odd, um, kind of like card back effect in the Star Wars logo. That just looks a bit strange, but it kind of works. Well, it, it does. And it, you know, the, the Star Wars packaging, there really was a consistent design through a, so much of, particularly the American stuff. In terms of the, that sort of metallic effect on the logo, and so you've got a, got a little bit of that Kenner influence in there. Yeah, and the title shouldn't be underestimated: Jewel Death Star. It's yeah, everyone everyone calls it Jewel at the Death Star, but on the box it says Jewel at Death Star, not at the Death Star. But it's listed as Jewel at the Death Star everywhere you see it. Jewel at Death Star. So that's a bit odd. Again, that's something that comes up in some of the early stuff because the. Palatoy game is called Destroy Death Star, not Destroy the Death Star. Mm. Destroy Death Star. Definitely just couldn't fit that in. So, well, they, well, they have got double lines. Is it's Jewel at Death Star Racing Set? They could have had, you know, or maybe they should have just called it Death Star Jewel Racing Set. Yeah, no, I, I, I think Death Star was the name of the the name of the thing. So you wouldn't say Jewel at the Tatooine or Jewel at the Alderaan. I think it's you know Jewel at Death Star. Well, the Death Star is a thing, isn't it? So the well, Death Star. It is. That's how it's been more recently. But I think in the early um, stuff, perhaps that's what came out of uh, Lucasfilm. You call it Death Star, not the Death Star. Is that really ordered this? You do what? No. Yeah, I bought it no, off um, Mark Daniels at Father's Farm. 
appeared Which forty pounds. You own something this extravagant. Yeah, it's the box. You buy for the box. The contents are rubbish. It's the box that you want. Do you, do you have the contents? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Does it work? Yes. Richard, you've been playing this all, day, all night. Rich, this has to come to, uh, to, to <laughs> this has to come to Echo Live. Yeah, the next next thing you attend, Richard, you're bringing that with you. We're going to play it. We won't we, we won't get anything sold. We'll just yeah, yeah, don't bring the day. box. Just bring the contents, and we'll have a go, and we'll sell it for you. But um, yeah, I just think it's a great set. It's really, I mean, explodable parts. I mean, that's what you want, isn't it? Things exploding. Just fantastic. Oh, well, well, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah surprisingly, the, it doesn't go for loads of money. I thought it would be worth hundreds. But the, box, the box tagline says, hours of slotless racing excitement in a Star Wars setting. Slotless. And you, you can really believe that, can't you? Hours. Hours of excitement. I think oh. I would get hours of excitement out of this. <clears throat> Maybe. If you set fire to it, though, then I wouldn't. Because like, everything I had like that set, got set fire to. Well, yeah. I don't know why, just did. Maybe I was, maybe I was a, you know, what they call those people set fire things? Pyromaniac. Maybe I was a pyromaniac, I was a child, just like to set fire things, didn't really realise what I was doing. There you go, you've had hours of excitement watching the fire <laughs> engines turn up at your house. <laughs> exactly, burning almost scale X trick to, uh, today. <laughs> so that's the toy, what about the, the, uh, the, the, the alternatives, the variations, the promotional mm. stuff? Quite a bit of that on the archive. Well, yeah, there was. I mean, I didn't. I don't know. I've seen this before. The uh, there's a there's a black and white line art box. I wonder why they did that. For, I mean, there is now those. Why often, didn't those often come out in the catalogues? Okay, but still, it's just so strange. you you'd you'd sell the thing out of the catalogue. So you'd have the colour picture in the catalogue page, but you wouldn't have to pay for a colour printed box. You just pay for a cheaper black and white one. <laughs> I think that's a theory, but I think that might be right. Yeah, it, it's kind of cool. The, I'd, I'd see, I'd have coloured it in. If I'd have had that box, I'd have coloured it in. As a kid, I'd have been hours coloured it with barrel pens. But yeah, it's kind of cool. It's the most odd, odd little things. I, I like seeing those, uh, the, the black and white line art. It's the same on the Jabba the playset, isn't it? There's a, there's a line art one as well. Yeah, although wasn't kind there of, some debate about whether that was actually a custom? Oh, I don't know. But whatever, it looked cool. So there was a poster as well, Andy, uh, for shops, I'm assuming. Available here. Jewel at Death Star racing set. See, again, everyone's calling it Jewel at the Death Star, but that's got Jewel at Death Star. Yeah. Everyone added a the. As you say, available here. Now, look look at that artwork. Look at Vader. Mm. Vader is really well-defined, well-proportioned on the box art. But on this one, he's kind of stretched. He's a little bit. They've just kind of whacked him in. But also, that is play accurate, because you, you actually have the picture of Darth Vader on the side of your track, the head of Darth Vader. So that's actually... Yeah, screen. Ah, that's there actually portraying the actual toy. Yeah, exactly. With the Vader head, I got it. Yeah, it's a nice poster like that. And uh, although it's very similar, it is not the same box art, is it? No. The Vader helmet's different. The exploding X-wing car is different. Star Wars logo is slightly different. Yeah, it's a bit better on this actually on the poster. The Tie Fighter car is coming at a different angle, so yeah, it, it is a completely redrawn image, which is interesting. But power passes is definitely a thing. It was uh, were, it's important to have that in the corner. Yeah. Seeing seeing that shoved everything else to the side as well. <laughs> Star Wars would shoved to the side. Go on, Absolutely. Star Wars. Power passes is far more important. So that's the poster. Uh, what else do we have? We got a shelf talker, which 
again looks like a variant on the poster art. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like a cardboard piece. Now, a shelf talker is normally quite small and thin, isn't it? But uh, this is quite a big rectangular shape. Possibly folds over to sit on the store shelf. It's got a big black light at the top. What's, I mean, what would have sat there? Or, do, or is that the bit where it folds over? No, so, well, it, it might be, but you've got... Yeah, I mean, it could well be, but you would, you would take out the top of Luke's ship, though, wouldn't you? Unless that's cut out so it stands up. What I'm thinking is if, if it folds over, so you've got the, the plain black bit to sit on the shelf, and the rest of it folds down to hang in front of the shelf, maybe? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, but you are cutting off a big thing. I tell you what that, that design looks like. It actually makes a lot of the two, that Vader is knocking two ships off the track. It doesn't automatically, see, as a kid, I would have gone, oh, there's three cars involved in this, because it looks like there's two items being knocked off. It's not, it doesn't you know, straight away appear that uh, I would go, oh, yeah, well, that's loads of, loads of cars being knocked off. It does almost, doesn't it? it? It's another variation of the poster art, not the box yeah. art, but the poster art. It doesn't look Star Wars enough, the top bit, does it? No. It's all over the place. No, def- definitely my least favourite of these uh, of these yeah. pieces of art. But but that's rare as heads teeth. Oh, the the, the store displays, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there we go. What a fantastic <laughs> item. I mean, fundamentals haven't done much, but uh, Rich, you have got to bring that down next time. Got to have a go on that. <laughs> He's like, no, I love playing with it every neat. They think I was reet soft if I bought that dune. Look at Richard with his little cars. Right, the other ones, there were some catches. We've seen a few of these. Well, I don't know if I've seen these before, actually, these particular ones. I've seen other, I've got a sudden catcher of another variant of these, you know, the same company, but I can't remember what the, the company name was, some bloke's name. What are these, Pete? Do you want to just describe them? Um, you, I don't, you bake them, don't you? You put them in the oven and you put this coloured material in, so you lay them flat on a, you know, a baking tray or something. And then you have this colour stuff and you plonk it into the gap. It's basically like a wireframe picture. So you've got Vader, you've got Jabber and Salacious Crew, which I do not know how they're going to do that one. R2-D2 and the Gamorrean Guard, obviously a Return of the Jedi card. And you get these little crystally things. You whack them in the, in the, in the slots or the gaps of the thing. You shove them in the oven. I think it's the oven. And then they kind of, um, melt a bit and fill in the, uh, fit in the gaps and you hang them up to reflect the light all over the place catch the sun yeah catch the sun i mean yeah oh there's actually a guide on the back actually telling you where to put the colors which is interesting oh crikey some of the colors are fascinating yeah it's almost a sort of paint by numbers isn't it it is yeah so you've got all sorts of colors you've got chocolate pudding licorice peacock blue <laughs> moon glow Spring green, so I can't quite see enough of them to see where... You're making this up. I'm not. Look look at the back. Chocolate pudding, that's got got to be salacious, hasn't it? Yeah, I can't quite see the numbers, but... Very, very weird selection of characters. (laughs) I don't know why. But it's the colours, lavender, root beer colour. Light blue, pearl, purple, clear. Okay, we've got some clear smoke. So yeah, that'd have been quite fun actually as a kid, wouldn't it? Because I mean, yeah, you got a bit of kitchen fun. But yeah, I, I kind of like the card. I like a crazy mack it, mack it and back it. I'm assuming that means make it and bake it, but it says mack it and back it. Yeah. So it's obviously a brand that they put across the uh, across all the you know, licenses they had. I'd imagine. 
Another fine suncatcher product from Macket and Backet. Yeah, I do really like these, and I, I think as a kid I'd have uh, I'd, I'd have been well into making some of these. Going back to uh, Spoon's comment about Shrinky Dinks, ages oh, and ages back in the show. Similar sort of thing, bit of artwork, bake it in the oven, get a nice little uh, um, memento at the end of it. I, I think I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd have been well up for doing some of these. I'll tell you what, good luck with the colour guide, because like, look at those packs on the Gamorian Guard one. They ain't done by colour. They're just done by... They're just bags of colour. Good luck. Good luck trying to work it out. I guess that was part of the fun. Work out and, what uh, went where. And, of course, you don't have to follow the colour guide. No, of course not. Okay. Uh, maybe a red Gamorian guard. A nice artistic interpretation. and Maybe mix some colours together. Who knows? Yeah, you could give Gamorian guard a nice, like, you know, red beard if you wanted to. Yeah. The R2 is interesting, isn't he? Because uh, R2, he's mostly white, fair enough. Uh, he's got a red eye and a blue projector lamp on his dome. But the, most of his dome is black. Yeah, a bit boring. And then on his, on his front, where he's, um, I don't know what you call him, the, 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 the rectangular bit with two sort of ovals slap bang in the centre of his body. The make it and bake it figure. Mack it and back it. Mack it and back it. It's got two little circles, one bright red and one bright blue. Yeah, yeah it's not, I mean, that wasn't a good choice, was it? Well, not the best interpretation. Ooh, it's a bit dull. I wonder what the, I wonder what the colour reflection is. I wonder if it, it's better with it, like a big white section or something. Maybe that's Yeah, you but you, you'd think that there's a lot more opportunity for putting more blue on R2. Poor chap, he certainly isn't black and white. That is someone's interpretation of it, though, Andy, to be fair. You're that... something that reflects colour. Why on earth would you pick Vader? He's all black. It's black and black and grey. You got you got two different shades in Vader and a the bit of red. Fun, the fun of grey. It's got a bright red belt buckle actually. Japanese latest come in that interesting either. Although the one that's been made up earlier, it's kind of cool. It's kind of because the glossy kind of yeah when it's when the crystals have melted, the glossy kind of finish actually is pretty nice. Color scheme wise, not very interesting. Yeah, they they are quite fun these. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that brand, I'll just have a quick look, that brand is still going. Make it and bake it is still a thing today. They're still churning this out. So it's uh, something that's been going for a long, long time. Is that right? Yeah, now, it's still, still a brand now. Let me tell you something in, in, in my best... I can't even remember who did the quote. Michael Caine. Not a lot of people know that there is a British version of these. What? So, on the front... It is no different to the American ones. You ca- cannot tell any difference. But on the back, bottom left, there is a little bit of text that says "Made in Hull" by <laughs> by Contract, not Contract, but Contract Crafts Limited, and there's an address. Now, made in Britain, I doubt it very much because it's the same product on the same card as the American. I imagine probably cards printed and shipped over here. But, Maybe. Uh, yeah, there there are there are British versions. I have two or three of them. Not not entirely sure which. Very very hard to come by. They hardly ever come up. Every time I see one of these on eBay or at fair, I'm looking to see whether it's a British version. Mm. In which case, I'll buy it. I've only ever found, as I said, these two or three that are uh, up in my loft. I wonder what sort of heat had to be applied to get them to melt. Because I'm wondering well, that's a you, problem. You've got the instructions there somewhere, haven't you? <laughs> you run up to your loft. Get it down and have a look. Right. Just give me... I'll be back in about three hours. Place in centre of oven. Bake approximately 15, 25 minutes until crystals melt. Does it say the heat? Oh, yeah. What? 
Preheat oven to 375 somethings. I can't see what that is. I'm assuming that's Fahrenheit, not not degrees centigrade. Although you'd be burning yeah, your a, kitchen that's down. A, that's a bit hot, that is. Imagine if it was. Yeah, you've got to literally create a furnace in your in your oven. Cover a cookie sheet with smooth aluminium foil, or they say aluminium. Place frame flat side down. Use a teaspoon to fill each section, blah, blah, blah. 15, 20 minutes, you're done. And you've got a little sun catchy. We've got a little hook on the top. Well, a little little loop on the top you can hang into any place you wish, near anywhere with light. Or I guess you get a torch and have fun with it. But uh, yeah, they're pretty cool. I mean, again, lovely creative little items. Yeah, not uncommon. It's in these all over the place. But uh, yeah, I was first time I ever send a make it and bake it thing. I didn't I said I didn't realise that was a thing that was still going today. Pretty much the same logo in the top left hand corner of every new make it and bake it item. It's amazing, isn't it? That's 40 plus years old. It could be even longer than that. But that's still going exactly the same brand. It obviously works. Yeah, well, as, as I say, I, I'd have liked to do it. I'm sure some other of you guys would. Yeah. Still do it now, Andy. Oh, you can get one really cheap. Let's have a look how much, how much they cost. Uh, not very much, to be fair. About 15 quid on a good day. Yeah, the kids have had them. Um, we've, they've had um, Christmas ones. I think um, Hobbycraft do sort of Christmas themed ones so we, we bought them there occasionally are they macket are they macket and bucket though they were them? not no they were Hobbycraft brand but oh. still fun to do and he's not good enough gotta go, you've got to go old school and go macket and bucket right so that's it is it that is about it the only <laughs> other things good. on the archive are some catalogues but they're not very interesting yeah. uh, and there's very little Star Wars certainly no Star Wars on the cover so yeah we'll skip yeah, skip over those right that's there, there we go that's done that's good stuff right we're doing another one next month Right, guys, I really feel as though that this has been an excellent episode this month, and I really feel that this is probably the most international episode that I've had for a really long time. You know, especially with we're pulling in so much of the Canadian influence in this show. It's something that we need to do a lot more of. Absolutely love this one. Well, if anybody wants to reach out to us, you can contact us on all of the social media platforms by searching the Vintage Rebellion, or you can email us at swtvrpodcast.gmail.com or contact any of us on our Facebook profiles where you're all out there, and even Andy Spoons Norton doesn't bite. A huge thank you to Paul and Joe Smith and Tom Scaife from Echo Base for the interview, and for the former Lelvana employees, John Celestri, Larry Jacobs, Brian Lemay, and also Chris Courteous and Mike Freeman for your support in getting that interview to us and for Mike Freeman for hosting the show. I really, really hope that a lot of people get a lot out of that interview. And welcome to all of our new listeners who listen to the show based on Jason's exploits in Canada. And I'm sure Jason promoted the show a lot when he was out there. A wonderful show and I promise you that the next one will not take as long to be released. We'll get this one out before the end of August, Touchwood, um, and hopefully have another one dropping just a few weeks after that. Guys, can't stress how much I've really enjoyed this. Can't stress how much that I am going to be really disappointed that the next show will be the end of... Um, the action figure face-off and I'm sure Andy's plotting what he's going to replace that with. But it's time to wrap this up now. Right, just before we go, uh, there's a competition we're running at the moment um, to win a Pally Toys Death Star Tension block set. And we've not had enough entries. We need more entries. Now, it's not hard. Get some action figures, go outside and take some pictures and then send them to us. Take you five minutes. Doesn't have to be some amazing thing. You know what my humour is like? As long as it's daft or it's a bit funny, a bit quirky, that's it. 
you might stick Han Solo on a snail or, you know, uh, attach Princess Leia to a pigeon. Something like that. Something just ridiculous. Just do it. You know, come on, we need some more entries. We haven't had enough. Do it and then send us a picture. Okay? But the cl- closing date is 31st of August, so crack on. Well, yeah, we'll go to get this out by then. But if not, then we'll keep going until we get some blooming entries. We need some more. We only had a handful. We want at least 20. Come on. It's not that. Someone I was talking to said, oh, it's too much effort. It, oh, come on. Come on. Go to cabinet, get figures, go outside, take picture, come back in. That's not hard. And you can win an unbelievably brilliant piece of kit. No excuses. And it's goodbye from Pete. Okay, bye. It's goodbye from Jason Smith. See you later, everyone. It's bye de bye bye from Shrinky Dinky Handy Spoons Norton. Give him a little sign off there, Richard. So I was going to say good night, everyone. Look after your Shrinky Dinkies. And it's a goodbye from Andy Preston. Au revoir, mes amis. May the force be with you. And it's a later, guys, from me. And remember, only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? God, it feels like years as we recorded, Richard. It must, be, it must be half a year. Easily. Pete, question for you. You're off to oh. the pub for some good old-fashioned grub with your family. Okay, let's go. What do you order? Oh, oh, crikey. Uh, what, what, what day it is? What day is it, Richard? What day am I going? You're going on a Friday. A Friday. Ooh, Friday. It's probably going to be fish and chips with mushy peas, if they do mushy peas. If they don't do mushy peas, then I'll have to do something else, like probably a nice steak and ale pie. Yeah, that's very, very old-fashioned. Next on the list is Andy's... Rich, Norton. Rich, 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 before you carry on, my screen doesn't tell me that anyone's recording. I am. Oh, yeah. I'm not. I, no- I normally get a naughty's recording. Hang on. I'm Hang definitely on. recording. Do that again, Richard, because I wasn't recording. Yeah, better give us a see a man so there's no cheating. Okay. Right. You ready? Yep. It's now, uh, it's gone crazy, but... You should have jump in there, Richard. Oh, was I? <laughs> but we've got some new information on the well, the, well, the the actor. And then they would mix up specific colors for the episode, and they would make up names. And, and yeah. one of the names that I'll always remember was kind of this gray purple. It was called Throbbing Dick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember that, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so oh, they, yeah. they had all sorts of great <laughs> names for, oh, yeah. yes. for their purples. <laughs> remember, this is uh, not Hollywood. <laughs>